during 2021, we should be able to manufacture a lot of vaccines. And, and that vaccine, a uh, key goal is to stop the transmission, to get the immunity levels up so that you get almost no, almost no uh, infection going on whatsoever. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission. Uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. We can kind of almost see the end. We're, we're vaccinating so very fast. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that, that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. Essentially, vaccines block you from getting and giving um, the virus. Fully vaccinated people are at a very, very low risk of getting COVID-19. Therefore, if you've been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. We have all the vaccines we need. We just need our people to take it. A, for their own protection, for the protection of their family, but also to break the chain of transmission. You want to be a dead end to the virus. So when the virus gets to you, you stop it. You don't allow it to use you as the stepping stone to the next person. I think given the country as a whole, the fact that we have now about 50% of adults fully vaccinated and about 62% of adults having received at least one dose as a nation, I I'm, I feel fairly certain you're not going to see the kind of surges mm-hmm. we've seen in the past. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized. You're not going to be in an ICU unit. And you're not going to die. You're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Welcome to the Daily Wrap Up concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Friday, October 14th, 2022. Thank you for tuning in today. It's been a couple of days since I've gotten a daily wrap up out. And so as usual, there's just a, a mountain of information to go through. And I have some really important stuff to talk about today. Some topics that a lot of you have probably already heard dissected and discussed seeing as how I've been out for a lifetime in the current 24-hour news cycle, not out, but doing you know other interviews and our private stream media broadcast and so on, that I'm going to include a lot of things that maybe have already been talked about, like the transmission discussion, which, by the way, we were pointing at right when it came out and exactly like we thought it was going to go is how it went. Big surprise. And the topic, a couple of the things that we've seen, gone, like the, the uh, nuclear threats coming from the allegation of nuclear threats coming from Russia and what the real story is. I'm sure a few of you have been wanting to see my take on some of these things. So we're going to go through all of this, but there's a lot to get into. But my point was some really important points in here. One of which is, I think the most important that ties into something that's already been discussed, which is virus mimicking nanoparticles tying all the way back to Charles Lieber, Harvard discussions that Whitney and I were having right in the beginning of this, that I want to revisit 
because of how important and obvious it is that that is so central to what's going on today, possibly the most important part of what's actually happening that oddly and tellingly nobody seems to be pointing at. Now, other than people like us in the independent media, that's in course when I'm saying that I mean the, the corporate media conversation, the government overlap, as well as we're going to try to transition this over into the Great Reset, the food supply issues, the energy issues, the digital ID, all of this stuff. There's a lot of important stuff to get in today. So it potentially could be incredibly long. I'm going to do my best to get through it as quick as possible. Stay tuned to the end. Some important stuff. But I've already reached out to Brock and Star to have a couple of clips made about things that I think are really important as soon as possible. So that being said, let's go through all of this. But I tell you, this, this is, in my opinion, maybe one of the most important shows we've done because of how it all ties together. It shows you the larger picture. And the, in my opinion, the real point of why this is happening doesn't mean there's only one point of why it's happening, but the major primary point, which is not secret, the Great Reset discussion, the way that they want to redesign, change everything in the direction of what they've already decided is what they want, not what's best for you. And this has been outlined for decades. This is a, one of many transitions we've seen throughout history happening yet again with the new technological advancements. And it's about the elitists deciding what they want in their best interest, framing that as what's right for you. And that doesn't mean that people within that don't buy that, even if they're in these circles, that it just happens to also be the right thing for everybody. That's not true. And I think it's very obvious that we can see that today. And I think a lot of people are starting to see through it. But to start off today, I want to go through, basically to give you a quick breakdown, I'm going to talk about a few things I think are related in a, in a broad sense, but then foreign policy. We're going to talk about Ukraine, the nuclear threat. We're going to transition that into the conversation of the first part of the COVID discussion, which is the manipulation of the story of the transmission discussion and how obvious this has been for a long time, why it's being released now, transition that into the whole fact checking that's already happening about this story, why we knew that would happen. And then an interesting point about the blood discussion that overlaps with that. And then we're going to talk about the vaccine itself, the dangers therein, and how that goes all the way into the conversation of the overlap of the Great Reset virus mimicking nanoparticles, the programming of cells, which overlaps with Biden's executive order that literally outlined how that was a the direction they want to take and seeing how this all comes full circle, which will then transition into the food, energy, digital ID, great reset, dystopian future they're trying to build. But I want to start off with the article that Robert, uh, excuse me, that Derek just put up, which is a really important one. Let me move this real quick. The World Economic Forum's programs for infiltration, which by the way, is how they frame it, but for good reasons, they claim, right? We're infiltrating for freedom. It's kind of like the, the U.S. government would talk about. We're destroying for freedom. We're invading for good things. Now, you could argue that. Either way, it is for infiltration, as they argue or state that we are penetrating cabinets around the world or arguing that we have people like Putin himself stating was a young global leader. And the idea that they've been cultivating young global leaders from when they were adolescents to when they're now running countries is very concerning for anybody that understands that that's not how this is supposed to function. Not even they argue that's how current reality is supposed to function in regard to democracies and representative governments, but they're changing the model. Don't li listen to them when they try to tell you that. But a great article about this entitled, uh, again, The Programs for Infiltration, Young Global Leaders, Global Shapers, and, champion and New Champions, only one of which is getting a lot of attention. That's why uh, Derek wrote this article. The Global Shapers, New Champions, are other groups in the same vein, all about ESG and UN Sustainable Development Goals. They're all driving in the same direction. So I hope you will check this out. Now, that will relate to the larger point of what we're going to get into later, but I wanted to make sure you saw it early in the show. But on that note, I want to start off with a few points that are sort of, 
it's it kind of relates to the whole woke direction of this mindset, but also overlapping with a couple of foreign policy points. But I wanted to start with this just because it didn't really fit in anywhere else, but it shows you how they're I don't even think they truly believe the the woke the 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 agendas they're pushing to achieve the division and the direction that they're trying to drive us into. So this is white students banned from Black History Month events at Westminster University. It's interesting the way that people within this are attacking this, and rightly so. Just before we get into it, that's racist. Doesn't matter what new rate term and definitions and applications we're using to define what racism racism and race mean today. The definition of racism is clear. You are dictating actions or removing people from situations based on their race alone. That's what this is. Therefore, this is racist, period. It's because you want to rationalize that certain kinds of racism are okay or ebbing and flowing. It's like, now it's our turn to make them feel it. Like, which, by the way, is exactly the opposite of what these people argue they're trying to accomplish. But regardless, it says, this October 7th, a student union, and you just since you might be thinking already, I'm going to relate it to the story we just talked about, by the way, of the supposed Jewish free zones in UC Berkeley, which are actually Zionist free zones that they're missing, they're framing intentionally wrong because they want you to make it about anti-Semitism and, and Jewish people when really it's about a political movement, which is Zionism. They want to conflate those things. But a student union has been accused of racial segregation. Think about the reverse about after banning white students from Black History Month. Because that's exactly what it is. But you knew that this was going to upset people because there apparently in their mind is no such thing as racial segregation unless it's black people out or uh, rather minorities, again, being segregated from white anything, not the other way around. But it is. It's racial segregation, regardless of how this fits together. And that shows you that they're just being willfully dishonest about how this is being applied. And And the broader point is this is how they're doing everything today. It's emotional. It's subjective. We know how Putin thinks and feels. I keep telling you this stuff. The corporate media is writing rampantly about subjective assumptions they make about what certain kinds of people think and framing that as journalism. But in any case, it goes forward to say the University of Westminster Student Union has told students that some events will be reversed for black students, reserved, excuse me, for black students to encourage a safe space for discussions and honest conversation. The implication obviously being, well, if white people are there, that's not safe. Not a safe space, at the very least. Dr. Neil Finn, a social anthropology lecturer at Edinburgh University, said it was tragic, his words, to use a UK university, quote, copying the racial segregationism that we have previously seen in South African and USA education systems. Now, this is directly about actually segregating white people out of these areas. We're seeing a, a obviously, there's the historical concept of apartheid, really the the where the term, as far as I understand, it really became used as as we know it today in regard to South Africa. But then we saw a term, I, I forget when that was, maybe a couple years ago, up until now, the reverse of that, where it was an attack on the white people in the area and so on. Either way you look at it, it's racism. But he's framing it in this way that it's like a new reverse of that problem. He added, quote, it is bitterly ironic to see the rhetoric of safe spaces abused to justify racial segregation. Now, think about what that point is making there, guys. They're using the very terms that they're they're using the terms that they're using. Under a guise of fighting for racial justice, for equity, for equality, and using it to literally do the same thing. That's the large point I'm trying to make here about everything we're talking about today, whether it's arguing we're doing dangerous things for for safety in the injection context or the idea of arming dangerous people for freedom. It's we are watching them frame the backward idea about everything right now as the positive. And maybe this is why people are so confused. 
But that's the, I think that's the, the crux of this point here. And he says, nothing is more likely to make social spaces unsafe than this kind of willful sowing of in, uh, inter-ethnic suspicion and division. And I think that's the point. Divide and conquer. Dr. John Hayes, a conservative member of parliament or MP, said he was uh, uh, c- concerned about, quote, how sinister it is that such ideas can be propagated in a free and open society. He called for an investigation into any potential discrimination. Toby Young, as you guys know, of Free Speech Union, said, quote, at some point, you'd think it would be clear to these zealots that you're not going to reduce racial discrimination by discriminating against people on the basis of their race. I mean, you'd think that would be obvious, right? But they're so blinded by ideological groupthink, they cannot see this glaring contradiction. Again, applies to everything we're talking about. And please don't take this as only the left, right? These same things apply on all sides of the paradigm. As always, I point out just currently today, the left is playing the role of the, the crazy, irrational, and they are. But it was, wasn't that long ago when the crazy evangelical right were the crazy ones and they were the same left. This is a teeter-totter game, and it plays this way. And, we all, and, and they hope that the people who can't see through it continue to invest in the broken system. But it says they added, equality of opportunity does not always mean giving everyone access to the same thing. That's actually what they said, the group defending this. Think about what that statement says and ask yourself how anybody who can think past their shoelaces would argue that equality of opportunity, right? The equal, the, having the equal, op, having, how do you even say that the right way? Having equal opportunity for opportunity. <laughs> the equality of opportunity, meaning opportunities are equal amongst all people, they claim does not mean giving everyone access to the same thing. Explain for me how those aren't saying the exact same thing. If it's equal opportunities, you're telling me that if I don't have access to that opportunity, that does not end up meaning not equal for opportunity. I mean, that's just that's meant to be manipulative and confusing and backward. It means, they say, creating a level playing field by offering some programs to those who are underrepresented or those who have had less access to opportunity. Okay, so you're making a protected class based on previous actions that you argue until we decide otherwise get extra benefit because of what happened before. Okay, fine. You can say that, but you can't pretend that means equal. These things have meaning. Definitions mean something. Like changing the definition of vaccine, it's what they're playing at here. Well, no, equality means fair in the context of what's happened before. And like fair, by the way, does not even mean equal. Those are different words. But regardless, it says the student union declined to comment. Shocking. Do you see where we are? How broken this is? How the very guys of they're fighting against racism while being racist. You have an anti-fascist group acting fascist. It's broken. And I think this is all by design, guys. At some level, I truly think that. And the point is here, UC Berkeley was just blasted for creating what were actually Zionist-free zones. But the fact that that even happened was crazy to me. It shows you a shifting awareness, the Overton windows shifting very dramatically, where now we have human rights groups openly calling out what Israel's government is, an apartheid state, Jewish supremacist state. That is what these human rights organizations have called it, not me, even though I agree with it. So it's not racist. That's the fact of what they're doing to people, and they're trying to use racism to hide that. And it's just everything is backward. We are being led by the very people who want this to be the reality, and acting like they're fighting for freedom and lack of racism and equality and whatever else. That's why I want us to see that they are literally building the thing they say they're fighting. And one last point on the race point of this, and I haven't talked about this, but I got to say this really bothers me. As we saw with DeSantis sending people to Martha's Vineyard, these are human beings. 
regardless of why you think they're here. And reality is that they're here by and large because of our destructive U.S. foreign policy, government foreign policy that's destroying their homes. And then when they flee in here, they act like they're running for their the American dream. No, they're running to get away from what the, we, we've gone over this extensively. Now, some people might be that way, but the majority you can clearly see are left holding their belongings, trying to find somewhere to live because of what's happening in South America and Syria, anywhere else. But the point is that the refugee, in this case, we're talking, I think, predominantly about the southern border, so Mexico, which includes South America. But the point is they're taking these people and they're playing them like pawns in this game, which is, by the way, how they think of all of you. And this is just a glimpse into that. Now, of course, from one side of the party paradigm, they want to go, yeah, send them over to those rich neighborhoods. Okay, fine. I I understand why you want to do that because they're playing the game as well. How about you don't do that with human lives, though? Because those people get bussed back and forth. They don't know what's going on. They're confused. They're hungry. This is crazy and insulting. But the problem is in the two-party paradigm, it's okay when one side does it, but the other side does it. It's bad and racist. Governor Governor Abbott says Texas will, quote, continue busing migrants to New York City, D.C., and Chicago until Biden does his job to secure the border. Okay, so you're playing with them. Now, even if you agree with the argument that they should do something with the border, you're using human lives as pawns in your as as leverage. I don't even know why anybody thinks this is okay. Anybody, this is this is gross. Even if, even if you agree with the premise, it bothers me that we allow this to happen, and the paradigm is what drives this kind of thinking forward. Because these people don't want to be passed back and forth, which is what's ultimately happening. Anyway. I mean, I, I feel like an entire conversation should be had about why this is happening and what that shows you about what we are at the end of the day, if we're invested in these paradigms and, and the thought process and the political agendas. But I don't want to go too deep on it. But, you know, even somebody going base. Yeah, we agree. It's just gross. That's a gross thing to do. You are abusing people's lives for your own agenda, even if you uh, uh, will point out they're doing it, too. How about this? How about you be better than them? How about you point out that they're playing games with these people's lives and don't do it back? But you see, the reality is they're all the same thing. It's time to start realizing two-party illusion is the only thing that truly matters when it comes to the political side of this. But to go into foreign policy here and to show you the same kind of game being played on a world scale, it, Jack Posobiec put this out, and this is, this is actually important. Kingdom Saudi Arabia, this was today, I believe. This was, uh, oh, excuse me, two days ago. Oh, and, and that was the other point I was going to say. A lot of this stuff's going to be scattered across the last week. Some of the things from maybe a week ago, some of them from a couple of days ago, but I'm just aligning them over the last week of information. So some of them will be a little older for you than what we're used to on this show. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia confirms Biden attempted to coerce them to postpone oil cuts after the mid until after the midterms announced that they have rejected his his quid pro quo, basically saying, we'll give you this, you give us that. And it's, it's, it's the way politics actually works. What's important here is to show you the the kind of degradation of the Saudi Arabia-U.S. alliance, or at least the the outward appearance of it. But this is manipulating the idea. If you're postponing the oil cuts, what's what's interesting is you're at this is ignoring what these actions to do them or don't will have the effect they'll have on the average person. All that matters to him is making or waiting to basically postponing them until after the election to benefit you, Biden, and your administration. At the expense of the average person. Regardless of this, it should, there's, a, there's more politically involved in this. If you'd like to in, read more, Robert wrote a great article on the 13th. Will the U.S. punish Saudi Arabia over oil production cuts? Read into this because it's really important to understand the evolving situation with OPEC plus and, and where this is going and the shifting geopolitical alliances in the world today. 
And that in and of itself is all underneath the Great Reset. So it don't, it's, they're not mutually exclusive, right? They can be vying and having differences of opinions, but still be in line for the Great Reset together. That's an important thing to realize. But I wanted to include that as we before we jump into the larger point about Ukraine, because this is a big deal. But with everything going on today, it does seem lesser than the large, the even more important and crazy things happening, or at least the fear mongering agendas that I want to get into today and how that's being framed. Now, I want to start. I was going to do it the other way around, but I want to start with in, in the context of Ukraine's discussion, the segment here with what actually happened first. Sometimes I like to show you the bellicose, belligerent rhetoric and then show you what actually happened. But in this case, let's start with what was actually stated. And I'll give credit to Reuters Europe, who who framed it at the very least the right way and included the actual quote of what he actually said. Russian officials warn a Russian official warns of World War Three if Ukraine joins NATO. Now, that's even the title. I would be that's I, I agree with that. They're saying he warns of it if it happens. Now, everybody in the corporate media was very quick to use this to argue Russia just threatened us with nuclear war. Not even remotely what happened, like literally the opposite of what happened, arguing that what you're doing is going to drive the situation there because of Ukraine, not because we're going to do this if you do that. That's how the U.S. government thinks. So it's quick for them to jump that jump it into the conversation. But that's not what's actually being stated. It just it, it's infuriating how obviously and childishly they misrepresent things for their own agenda. And yet that's why I wonder how many people actually buy this. And when you can quickly compare what they said to what they're covering it as and go, well, wait a minute. Why? So that, that's just simply dishonest, isn't it? So here's what actually happened. If Ukraine, it says if Ukraine is admitted into the U.S. led NATO military alliance, then the conflict in Ukraine would be guaranteed to escalate into World War Three. Now, that's them paraphrasing what he said, but that is accurate. I'll read you the direct quote. And here's the secondary part. A a Russian Security Council official was quoted as saying. So what I was saying the other day to somebody is that this is the equivalent of Lindsey Graham or Maxine Waters standing up and going, we should bomb Ukraine or Russia. And then the Russian media framing that as the U.S. government said this. We all know that's dumb and not actually the way that's being done. We know that people like Maxine Waters and Graham will say whatever they want, whenever they want, and it has really no bearing on what actually happens or what may actually come to pass. It might, but these are just people within this. It'd be different if, let's say, Biden or Kamala said it, but even then, it's still one person in the administration. But we all see how this plays out. Okay, so the media has been, Russia threatens World War III, right? Which, you know, which I'll, I'll come back to and I'll show you. That's what many of these outlets, including corporate media, were saying. I don't know why this one... Oh, there we go. Russia threatens to start World War III. See my point? But a council member said that this action is guaranteed to escalate this in this direction. It's very different. Now, here's the direct quote. Kiev is well aware that such a step, bringing them into NATO, which they've been warning about from the very beginning, was a red line from the very beginning, by the way, which they poo-pooed on in the beginning and said, that's not even possible. That's not true. Well, whatever they said. Now it's happening, of course. But this step would mean a guaranteed escalation to World War III. That he's, and, and he goes on to say, the suicidal nature of such a step is understood by NATO members themselves. And arguing that what's going on is that Ukraine, and you can read the rest of the article, is out of the Ukrainian government is a puppet government of the United States and foreign powers of the West. And that they are run by fascist neo-Nazis and Nazis themselves. This is provable information, literal Nazis, actual neo-Nazis and fascist mentality people. 
across the board. Now, there are people in there that aren't necessarily overtaken by that or individuals that are civilians that live there that aren't. But you can prove this is a CIA operation, uh, Project Aerodynamic, going all the way back from 1948 to now, that they continue to do this like they've done many other places, like the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, all over, like the moderate rebels in Syria. It's the same old story. Well, I don't know why it's that hard for people to wrap their mind around. So what he's saying is... Bringing them into this is going to guarantee the escalation because the Ukrainian military and the government is going to continue to drive this until something happens or they fake something. And then they go up oh, article. I think it's wait, article three or five. I'm suddenly blanking on it. Regardless, the article of NATO where they go, oh, now we have to all defend. If one country's attacked, we're all attacked, which is what happened after 9-11 which is basically the world military at this point. And we also have other versions that drove to, you know, the War Powers Act and so on. But this case, it's obvious to see that's what they're talking about. Putin on September 21st warned the West he was not bluffing the article rights when he said he would be ready to use nuclear weapons to defend Russia against what he said was nuclear blackmail. Now, even that is a little bit manipulative, but it's far more accurate than what everybody else said. That Putin threatened nuclear attacks. You know, that's what happened first. And now they're saying the point is what he said, as I told you, was that he was going to, if pushed, if attacked with nuclear weapons, he would be forced to respond with nuclear weapons. Like, and that's far more calm than what the US government always does, which is we have a right to attack first. We reserve everything, nothing's off the table. And anyway, you get the point. So finishing by saying, quote, and this is what they end with. The, the Russian government, or rather specifically, I see, I, even I did it, the, the Russian official. We must remember, a nuclear conflict will affect absolutely the whole world, not only Russia and the collective West, but every country on this planet. The consequences would be disastrous for all mankind. Now, they really want you to take this as them threatening all of this, but it's very clear what they're doing. They're saying, you guys are driving this. Ukraine is out of their mind, and you will drive this into that situation. They've already said that's what they want, uh, uh, not, you know, when they're not speaking of the G7 or on the cover of Vogue. But when you really listen to them in most of their conversations, usually in Ukrainian on their Telegram channels, they're openly saying, this is what they want to do. Wipe these people off the face of the earth. So it's kind of obvious why they say that will drive the escalation to this. But again, this is what they did. Russia threatens World War III. Russia threatens the West with World War III. Like they're directly threatening everybody with war, which, by the way, is what a lot of innocent people took it as. I was watching the, the clip of AOC being screamed at, which rightly so, because they're manipulative. But, you know, under the guise that we're all going to die if we don't do this today, which is not even really the truth, in my opinion. I think a lot of this is rhetoric outside of the the very the wild card that is the ukrainian military and government that i i couldn't that's the one thing that scares me that they will push this and drive action from the u.s which has happened before we saw it in syria where the people on the ground ultimately end up dictating what because the u.s government paints themselves into a corner of support that's what concerns me but from the russia u.s side of it i don't really believe this is even what they want in regard to nuclear war i don't think that's even what any of these people want from the higher positions because it's not it's the threat they want but here's the telegraph actually quoting. This is my problem with the corporate media, guys. This is the telegraph writing Ukraine joining NATO, quote, quote, would guarantee World War Three. But that's not a quote right now. I'm not being nitpicky here, but let's be clear. What he said was exactly what I'm showing you. It would mean a guarantee, guaranteed escalation to World War Three. Are you telling me that the telegraph doesn't know what the quote, if you're quoting them, you're claiming that's exactly what they said. And then you say, says Russia. This is the leading corporate media 
Telegraph, you know, in the UK at the very least, one of the many. They're quoting it, and that's not true. So they're lying to you because they want you to think they're saying this will mean World War III, Russia says. Not even remotely what actually happened. But that is the Telegraph saying that. Jack Posobiec frames it again in a little bit inaccurately, but better than at least the other corporate media. Russia says Ukraine's entry into NATO would, quote, guarantee World War III. Now, that's the escalation part. That's, I mean, at the very least, it's better than all the rest. Same kind of point, though. Here's the telegraph. Nuclear threats are all defeated. Putin has left. I'm not even, I don't even really know what that title means. I mean, I know what they want, but it's not, it doesn't make sense. It's a period. It's a full sentence. Nuclear threats are all defeated. Putin has left. No comma. I don't know. Very strange. But okay, their point is that the threats are defeated, apparently, even though they're all screaming that they're potentially able to attack. So I don't know how they're defeated, but it says the West should not give in to blackmail, but see the Russian president's rants for the bluster they are. So now who's blackmailing who exactly, <laughs> right? The idea that he says, I'll defend myself, suddenly becomes him threatening you all with weapons. Therefore, it turns into nuclear blackmail. I mean, it's just childish the way that they jump these jump the gun. But it goes on to say, of the many setbacks the Russian leader has had to endure since he launched an invasion eight months ago, he will have felt the attack on the Kurt Bri- Kurt Bridge, the Korean Bridge, Straight, straight bridge linking Russia to Crimean Peninsula. Excuse me, I can't talk apparently. The Crimean Peninsula the most keenly. So now we're admitting that it was an attack and not, an, uh, I mean, a fire that broke out. It's funny how they just skip right over the acknowledging how and who was involved to just, oh, is it a, an attack and it hurt Russia? Okay, obviously. And it, it didn't really because ultimately they already had it back up and running a day later. It certainly put a stick in the spokes, but this bridge is still operating. His response to a fire bar- uh, was a barrage of cruise missiles and drones. And they, of course, indiscriminately, not even remotely, if we're pretending that 100 different missiles to 60 locations that only hurt 14 people that we can't. By the way, well, I'm going to get uh, actually I, think, I don't think I put it on here today, but there's information there are videos of the women they're using or the woman and the man they're using on the front page of that newspaper to claim they hurt people that you can show them taking pictures with their phones and saying, I'm going to send this to my mom in Russia. Now, I don't know if that proves they're lying, but it's very suspicious. Back to the kind of white helmets manipulations we keep seeing. We know they're capable of this. But indiscriminately, but only 14 people were killed. And that's even at the admission of the, or at the, admission of the Ukrainian government. And I don't know why we trust what they say. Either way you spin it, if 14 is even accurate, 100 missiles, 14 dead, and that's indiscriminately or aiming at civilians. I mean, this they can't even lie properly. But... The idea is that he's failing, that Putin has lost. That's what they want you to think and argue that this entire thing proves that ultimately they're going to lash out irrationally or that they've already lost and so on. I mean, this is just a it's this is not even just propaganda. This is fairy tale land. And by the way, I just saw today, I think, reports of them saying that they were going to be pulling back in another location. Now, I want to know more about why the logic of what they're doing. Ultimately, because I do not think my opinion, based on the facts on the ground, that there's just some kind of shift in who's winning. It doesn't really make sense for, the, for a lot of different reasons. As we just saw Russia demonstrate, if they should choose to, they can very quickly put this down. But the I don't know what the game is here. But either way, every time they move back, they argue that Ukraine's taking over, which is just a game of propaganda. But here's how this ultimately amounts. No matter what you think is actually happening, this is what it translates to. So after they scream about all these threats that aren't actually there, Ukraine, I think it was at the G7, regardless, I'll show you the clip of this on the t- uh, actually really funny Tucker Carlson clip, where he says Ukraine needs $57 billion. 
That's on top of everything else that's already been sent. The billions upon billions that you've already paid for while your family can't feed themselves to Ukraine Nazis, neo-Nazis and fascists. And now he's going, I need 57 billion more. Not even really asking, demanding 57 billion more dollars to cover the budget next year. But don't, don't forget, Congress already allotted this money. There's already thousands of millions of dollars. And I say it like that because that's how the, the graph breaks down. Millions, but it's in the numbers of thousands. It's like $1,700 million for the next year. All the way to 2030, where there's 3 million earmarked. To 2030. Oh, look at that timing overlap. I wonder why everything stops at 2030. So this is just them aligning this. And it's to rebuild critical and power infrastructure. Oh, so we're going to get to reimagine Ukraine. Redesign, build back better, guys. In addition, no less than $5 billion in credit limits to purchase gas and coal. Gas and coal? What happened to the whole green redirection? I mean, none of this even makes sense. But he's demanding. Now, here's actually a really funny clip. That does sound loud enough. I didn't have time to download these today, but I'm going to try to play them with the microphone. But this 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 clip is really funny to me just because of the way that Tucker talks about it. But this is Zelensky basically demanding this money. Then five billion dollars. What? Some uppity foreigner in a T-shirt demanding money for his critical economic needs? We have critical economic needs, too, buddy. Who are you, troll? Go away. (laughs) What? Since when does that guy have a claim on our treasury? Right. So this is the job of people like Sandy Cortez to remind us again to break the spell of hypnosis the U.S. Congress is under. We don't owe this guy anything. Not one thing. Good luck, pal. That's it. And as our economy degrades and our border is gone, that guy's lecturing us with some Christmas list. Like, I want this, that, and I want a bicycle, too. You better send it. <laughs> really? Up yours, buddy. Then- <laughs> I, just, I just thought that was funny. I think that's you know, a funny clip from Tucker, from Tucker in general. But what's interesting about that is, I mean, it's, it's just, it is, it's asinine. Like, where we are at with the situation is ludicrous today, where they're now demanding more. I mean, think about how much money has already gone over there. And they're talking, we already admit that 30, like 30% can even be tallied. 70% of billions of dollars. Where is it going? Now, what's the problem I have is that is that, you know, Tucker's position from a Republican side of this takes issue with this topic. But of course, if it was money for people that they would support, like Israel, there's no, there's not. Yeah, I, I've, I actually just saw a clip from uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, like outspokenly saying that I'm, I'm, you know, because I'm Christian, I'm aggressively pro-Israel, and I will always support Israel. And it's just, it's such a counterintuitive thing to say. Regardless, it's, fu- just, it's, it's important to always point out the contrast between the party sides and how they do this from different angles, whether they know it or not. But regardless, he's right. What about our, what about our con? What are the people in this country while we're pointing over there? Because all of this connects to the larger agenda. I am absolutely convinced, but regardless, (laughs) apparently it was laundry day, same green shirt, right? It just continues over and over and over. And they, and it's, it's a moral thing. They act like it's, we have to, because we have to defend freedom. And that's how all this stuff is today. None of that is true. I wanted to reiterate this, by the way, which I pointed this out right in the beginning. Way back when, when people were barely even aware that there were neo-Nazis and fascists in Ukraine or that the entire government was overtaken by the Azov movement. These are things that are only just now really fleshing out that we were breaking down right in the beginning, which I always want to point that out to you guys, the demonstrate our value here. But I pointed this out as well, that Kolomoisky, 
right? The guy who was connected to the World Jewish Congress, the guy that was de uh, the guy that was the primary backer of the Yazov movement, but also the primary backer of Zelensky, right? Work that one out that, oh, he's Jewish. Therefore, he can't be whatever you want to claim, except they're literally being funded by the same group, right? So the bottom line is he was an actor, just like Trump. And just like Trump, he was on a TV show before he became president. And just like Trump, he was then made president. And I think what's interesting here is that the, the, the TV station that he worked at then became his cabinet. Now, I don't know if you guys have, I mean, I proved this with the last show. That's why I'm just using this meme. It's easy to look up. You can look it up on Wikipedia for crying out loud. But I wonder whether people actually still don't realize this is real. The core decision-making inner circle of Ukrainian president is actually based on his circle of friends when he was an actor, chief of staff, a comedy producer. Head of presidential administration, an entertainment industry guy, a lawyer. The president's chief policy advisor, Sergei Sheffy, is a comedy writer. These are people that he worked with in the industry. We are watching a show. I mean, I mean, this is the reality, guys. And it's what's incredible to me is how obvious it is these people are not. But, of course, the argument, well, we don't want politicians like Trump's argument. We want people that aren't politicians. Okay, fine. So just don't just ignore the fact that this has been organized and out and orchestrated from the outside. How insulting is this? Every piece ties together and people just don't want to look at it. Maybe one day when the larger people point at these things, maybe we'll start talking about it more in the corporate discussion. But all this then translates even further into exactly the, and we just saw the U.S. government buy more everything in regard to nuclear threats and pills and radiation and whatever else. Here is, uh, this was the U.K. doing the same thing. Thank you, Michael, for pointing this out. Interesting timing. He says, U.K. emergency alert tech system. See the, the technological version of this due to launch this month amid media talk of potential nuclear attack or incident in this conflict. It says, just in time for nuclear emergency, the UK emergency text alert system launches this month, October 2022. I mean, come on. what that You can't pretend that's just organic. The point is, this has been being built. That's why it's being rolled out October. And it just so happens to be the exact same time frame that the largest hype of nuclear war happens. And even Biden's administration... I mean, Biden even said, largest nuclear threat since Cuba... And he said that before it became as large as it is now. What did he, how did he know? How did they know that would be hype? Because they're the ones hyping it. It's just kind of transparent. Not even kind of. It's transparent how coordinated this all is. But here we are. Now we're now, and it overlaps with the COVID-19 discussion, the emergency alert system. I mean, all of it's driving you in the same direction, whether you can see it or not. And Michael Tracy points out on October 2nd, David Petraeus of the U.S. government said to, on the 2nd that if a tactical nuke is used in Ukraine, which, by the way, what does that even mean? So apparently whether Russia or Ukraine, it doesn't even matter. Like with the Assad argument, if, a, if an attack happens, we're going to bomb Assad. Remember that? Who cares who does it? We're going to blame them. Or rather, they're going to blame Assad is what they said. So the point is, he says, that if a tactical nuke is used in Ukraine, the U.S. will immediately launch an all-out conventional war on Russia. The, you know what that is simply saying? Ukraine. If you want to launch a nuke, we'll blame Russia. No thought given to consulting Congress, he says, or the public first. They just do what they want, right? Which is the reality. They've already decided ahead of time to launch World War III. So that's that. He says, if this is the plan, how about just submitting a formal declaration of war or resolution to Congress? At least that way, we can see if a majority of Americans via their elected representatives, which he's still buying that illusion, really want to launch World War III. Right, because we're going to pretend that these people actually represent the people that vote them in. I mean, come on. Why are we still missing that maybe he just made, said that to make a point? It just seems like fairy tale. This is adult Santa Claus land when we get into this argument. But going forward, again, the translation of the threat, 
right? So arguing that the idea of nuclear war is more so a threat to hype other things than actually about the threat or actually about the, you know, the reality of nuclear war happening, save for the wild card that is Zelensky and the Azov movement. I think it's about allowing this kind of stuff to happen or justifying this. Terrified of Putin, the Jewish press writes, 13 NATO countries now want Israel's Arrow 3. You mean the U.S. government's funded Arrow 3 that's built in Alaska, but it is Israel's Arrow 3. Right, so this, this is something we've written about before. And the reality is, this is now justifying more arms sales that overlap with Israel and the United States aimed and, and justified by what? A claim, a threat that's not real, the statement that didn't actually happen, right? So have, see how transparent this is. The point is, Arrow 3 is a is a missile system that's being, that's apparently, as far as I can tell, still in Alaska right now, even though it's Israeli military weaponry, as we pointed out before. Why isn't anyone talking about the Israeli military coming to Alaska? I don't know why that's not alarming. This was this 2018. Israel will be testing their Arrow 3 weapon system from the island of Kodiak, just off the coast of Alaska. Now, the reason I say funded is because the U.S. government funds, constantly funds Israel in weapons, in defense, in whatever they want to call it. Half the time we end up funding projects, we then buy back from them, which we pay for twice. Either way you look at it, this is a real conversation. This was the daily wrap-up version all the way back in 2018, where this is how far ahead we tend to be on these Israel missiles in Alaska, right there. Anyway, you can watch them for yourself. But that's where we see this all going, justifying more war sales, more weapon sales. But on top of that, this drove the U.N. to make a ridiculous statement completely independent of the facts on the ground. U.N. demands, or rather the voting that, you know, of the council demands, that Russia reverse illegal annexations in Ukraine. I mean, it's just insulting to your intelligence. And the point is that the U.N. voted. Oh, I thought I had this highlight. I did have this highlighted. It's strange. Anyway, it says uh, they overwhelmingly voted Wednesday to condemn Russia's attempted illegal annexation. It's just so embarrassing how clearly you can have hundreds of international observers that all observe that it was legitimate. And it's just it's, it's just like Crimea and the people that just have an agenda vote otherwise. It doesn't matter. Understand just because they vote this way does not mean that that's actually true. They're either being swayed by political conversation or they don't care about the facts because they're not saying here's proof that shows they lied. They just decide that it's not legitimate and vote the way they want to. This is why the U.N. has been manipulated by people in charge, the, the, you know, permanent like the U.S. government, the Israeli government, the ones that are have veto power, essentially. But in this case, it wasn't like that. It was 143 to five with 35 abstentions voting to do this out of 193 uh, members in the, in the body. It was the strongest support, they say, against Russia and the four resolutions it approved since Russia's troops invaded in uh, February 24th. But it's just, it's frustrating they continue to drive this lie. Again, it is a lie. If you're going to argue that it wasn't legitimate, then one, you should be, you should be forced to prove on the record that it was, have evidence showing that it was illegitimate, and then discuss why hundreds of international observers from different countries, many of them U.S. allies, said that it was legitimate. Right? Shouldn't that have to be proven? No. They just, just, just dictate the future. That's what usually happens. But here's why this is ridiculous anyway, regardless of those facts. Iran UN envoy dismisses accusations of violation of Iraq's sovereignty. Right. So here is the uh, Tasnium uh, News Agency reporting on October 11th. The hypocritical stance of Iraq in regard to their sovereignty, right? So right now we're everyone's focused on Russia's violating their sovereignty. But, you know, who else is violating sovereignty around the world, right? 
The U.S. government is literally currently occupying Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, and in many cases, other countries that we can get into that would be, there are plenty of examples around the world. They've destroyed Libya. They're occupying in other ways, smaller versions all around the world. But these are currently occupied illegally. The U.N. still maintains that. Iraq, in fact, voted for them to leave and they just said, no, but we respect your sovereignty. I mean, this is how insulting this should be to everybody. As it says, highlighting Iran's inherent right to self-defense in response to terrorist attacks, the Iranian ambassador at the U.N. rejected the allegations raised by the member states that they were violating Iraq. Think about how insulting this is. Iran is an ally of Iraq. Now, regardless of even their, their regime changes and manipulations, for the, for by and large, they are still considered an ally of Iraq, despite the Iraq government generally saying they want everybody out, either even though, they, and by the way, just so we're clear about this, Iran is not occupying Iraq. Iran is present in the case of allying and working on the ground with them, if at all, and that's in the context of the people that they would be allowed to be there, the idea that the PMU or these Iraqi militias, because they're ideologically aligned with Iran or just simply Iran, is the lie spun by Israel and the United States. Simple as that. And every time they say we're bombed because Iran, they never prove it. They never argue, here's the proof we can see Iran on the ground. They just lie. And nobody seems to care, which shows you how dishonest these people are. But even if you argue Iran is there, as an ally, by the way, which is not even remotely the same as being an invader occupying, the point is, what right does the U.S. government, or at the, this is where it's coming from, have to argue that they're violating Iraq sovereignty while they're currently literally the largest example of that point? That It's just mind-blowing. Or how about this? Iraq discusses sovereignty violations with four countries. So here's Iraq. So here's my point. That's Iran saying we're not violating Iraq sovereignty. You guys are, essentially. Now here's Iraq discussing the sovereignty violations that are happening. And they're discussing these violations with other countries that are also being violated. Now, what's the common denominator? The occupation of the U.S. government and Israel. As it says, the four countries that the Iraqi delegation held meetings with are Iran, the Kingdom of Jordan, Palestine, and Yemen. This, <coughs> excuse me. The statement elaborated that the delegation seeks to gain international solidarity and support on urgent issues that Iraq presented to the agenda to the agenda regarding the the, uh, continuation of repeated attacks on its lands and airspace. Guys, that's Israel. And the violation of national sovereignty by neighboring countries. There's no way around this. So are they going, Iran? No. They're pointing at Israel and the United States and their actions in these countries. That's what's happening. And what happens at the UN? They go, Iran's violating this. Well, is Iraq saying that? No. So why are we listening to the country that is acknowledged by the UN to be illegally occupying Iraq when they say that person's violating Iraq's sovereignty? This is how broken the reality is. These people are corrupt and they've taken control. But here's what they care about. So over here, we're allowing all this to happen or anywhere else we want it to. But there's no room for compromise on Taiwan's sovereignty. You know, of all of these situations, the only one that has not legally defined the process of declaring independence, haven't gone through that process, haven't asked for acknowledgement, any of that. So on paper, on the record, they are still part of China. It doesn't matter what you think about the whole thing. If you want to declare independence, which I would support, I support anybody doing that, go through the process. The fact that they just get to say, we declare them independent because we want to and act like that's okay. But then when Russia allows legal referendums and there's international observers and they vote to join, that's broken, right? That's the bad guy stuff. But we just get to declare them because we say so, and that's freedom. 
I mean, you just, this, I, this is why I don't think anybody buys this anymore. It's become painfully obvious. Here's Hassan Mafi pointing out the U.S. is currently occupying right now a third of Syria, stealing Syrian oil and wheat. When will the U.N. demand the U.S. end that illegal occupation and theft? Right. Because the same point, U.N. demands Russia reverse illegal, even though they're not illegal. What about Syria? What about Iraq? What about Afghanistan? Are we really going to pretend the U.N., the collective body of member states, cares about illegal annexations or illegal occupation when they don't ever point these things out? But remember, remember, there has been points where they've acknowledged this and it never changed. It's just a stated reality that they're illegal, illegally occupying Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan. But they just put it behind them and go forward and then allow those very states to scream about other people doing the same thing. Hadi points out same kind of back and forth manipulation. So if you look up Ukrainian resistance, of course, the Google machine puts out Ukrainian resistance during the 2022 Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, you type in Palestinian resistance, Palestinian terrorism. <laughs> Talk about influencing the discussion with your personal opinion. I mean, think about how insulting that is. One, I, I, it doesn't even matter what my opinion is, guys. That is hypocritical, however you spin it. Now, one overlapping point that I wanted to make in regard to the contrast to where we are in this country, as I said in this tweet, look at what these Russian forces did to this man in Ukraine. Oh, wait, this is just the all-too-familiar end to a benign traffic stop in the United States. So you're allowed to ignore it. Carry on. So let's watch this real quick to understand what is going on in the United States government, even, or rather the, uh, the U.S. occupation. Because don't forget, many of these people are trained by the IDF and so on. While they're screaming about unprovable things happening all the way across the world, this is what's happening to people in this country right now. And what's crazy to me, as far as I understand, this person made a wide right turn, got pulled over, and then because he rolled up his window, as he claimed for his own safety, all of what happens next continue happens. 77. Any reason why you rolled your window up when I walk up to this car? 377. Any reason why you rolled your window up when I walk up to this car? No, sir. You had been driving it down for the past mile? I just rolled it up. All right. Step out of the car for me. No way, man. No way. Is it illegal to roll your window up? Right? The law matters, man. You don't just get to say, I mean, what, what is the justification? Like, right out of the gate. So, wide turn, and your window's going to roll up, and you have to step out of the car. Step out. Do not shut that window. Open it now. Step out. Wow. Right here. Face that direction. Face that direction. Change right here behind your back. Don't move. You understand? Already being handcuffed. Can anybody explain to me how this is even remotely justified? Now, understand, even if you think something bad happened first, it didn't. But if it did, this would be going very differently, right? It would be, oh, well, why is it? It'd be get out of the car like if it was a crime or whatever else. The point is, this wasn't a big deal. Wide right turn turned into this. Why are you acting so suspicious? Well, because he's scared. I'm walking up on scene for a routine traffic stop. Ain't nothing going on. You roll your window up. What does that look like to me? Okay, so the point being is that, well, because you acted scared just for a routine traffic stop. Right, because it's not possible that the cops could end up hurting somebody in a routine traffic stop, right? Everybody's aware of how this plays. And I don't care what your political talking points are. It's very clear that people focus more so on minorities in a lot of circumstances, whether you believe it's statistical or not. There's a fair conversation to be had. But even that point could be then discussed why that might be the case. Regardless, the point is we know that there's a focus and we know that this has translated to some pretty ridiculous realities. 
Even if you think that's not even true, that's all the point is in people's minds, they perceive it that way. So the idea that, oh, just routine traffic stop. No, I have a right to be concerned about how you may abuse your power, especially today. But to act like that's unjustified and therefore you being concerned then justifies his suspicion of you is a self-serving problem. That's like screaming, stop resisting when you're not to justify your violent action. I mean, you're throwing it up for my safety, for your safety. Yeah. Nothing. I rolled up my window. Check off. That's my dad. Oh, sir. Yeah. I rolled rolled up my window. 320, give me a unit code now. And he got mad because I rolled up my window. Step right here. I rolled it up. Step right your feet. Yeah. You're about to be arrested for blocking the roadway if you don't park and get out. My God. I rolled, I park over there. I said I can. It's my right. You are interfering with my job. You need to go park over there. I rolled up my window like you said. It was my right to roll up my window. No, it's not. Oh, my God. So this cop is literally saying it's not your right to roll up your window. How in the world is this guy? This is the state of where we are today. That's being rationalized. And don't forget, we've got people on the right. Donald Trump, plenty of others saying cops need to do what they have to do to to make sure we're safe. That is what they're talking about. Giving them unilateral allow. They they can do. The point is, it'll be rationalized. This was necessary because he thought he was in threat. At the end of the day, it comes down to less accountability. The bottom line is it should be hard for them because it's so important. They should be more accountable than literally anybody else. But it's not. They protect them more than anybody else. And you could argue I have a, a slanted opinion of it. Maybe I do. The regard, but bottom line is we can see a situation where these people are dramatically overfunded in a very alarming way with military level equipment. And the problem is that they then enforce this under a perception that they're being attacked. Well, you know what? Even if that's the truth, you're putting yourself in a position of authority to defend the, the, your it's, it's like a fireman being afraid of fire. It's so frustrating that we put them in a position where they know it's a dangerous job, but then use the danger to justify attacking you. It's it, it, it's it's frustrating to me. Okay, so his dad pulled away and parked and came back. You can see him right there off to the left. He's the one over the left on the sidewalk filming calmly. Okay. He said, watch, so you can watch that guy over there. Okay. He says, watch me what, stand here? The cop didn't like that snarky response, so he said, arrest that guy. This is a belligerent, power-hungry cop. You don't get to arrest somebody because they said something back to you. But this is the kind of authority, trust me, I've got cops in my family, and I'm well aware of the way that they perceive themselves to have this kind of authority, even when they don't. Oh, yeah? You're going to speak back? What are you, my teacher? You're my father? But guess what? Guess what he does? Violently arrest this man. For what? Uh, put your phone down. The roadway. Put your phone down. Turn around. No, man. No, for what? Right. what a, hold on. Hold on. What am I blocking? No. I'm not blocking any roadway. Enough. I, I am not blocking a roadway. Right. Put your phone down. All right. Put your hands down your head. Hey, Russ, I hope you got this on video. This guy is arresting me for just standing here. And now he's taking my phone away. Hey. Dude. 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 Oh, my God. Hey. Hey, you're going to, dude, what are you doing? You're going to get sprayed. Okay. He's not, the guy has his hands back. 
And he said, you're going to get sprayed. And the guy goes, spray him, spray him, spray him. He's not resisting, at least not in the case to enough to do this. And he sprays him anyway. This is terrifying, guys. This is terrifying. This is the wild abuse of power that is being allowed, not just because of COVID, but definitely jumped up from COVID-19 and the, you know, ignorance to the things that were happening around it. I'm not even doing anything. Look at that. Raise him again. Stop. Stop what? Man. I mean, that makes my blood boil, guys. That is terrifying. It really is. That's disgusting. And they just spray the guy. This is punishment. You're watching punishment for speaking back to a cop. I hope those cops end up in jail. They really should. That is the most disgusting abuse of power. Now, I, I just want to include that in general because I made the, the kind of the, the joke, I guess, about what Russian forces did to this Ukrainian. But, of course, that's the only thing people care about right now. That doesn't matter. But going back into the conversation of Ukraine to finish the segment before we jump into the next part, Sweden just blocked the joint investigation with Germany and Denmark into the Nord Stream explosions. You know why? Sweden says the, quote, safety classification of the investigation is too high to share the result with other countries. That's not a joke. Oh, apparently you're not you're not in the circle. You're not allowed to know what happened. You know why? Because this was a false flag. That's my opinion. But I think it's painfully obvious. Oh, we have ways of stopping the pipeline. Don't you worry. That's basically what Biden said or Newland saying, well, we've got. I mean, this is blatant. And now the investigation is the safety classification is too high. Just let you see what happened. How convenient is that? We're living in a time that's never been more obvious, guys. Now, as Off Guardian points out, if you really are con- questioning whether we're in a propaganda state of, I mean, more than ever, this is this is the kind of this is the new this is a, really the Orwellian future that we're living in. This this is they said so. This is what the war looks like in the new normal. Both sides releasing many action movies with production company logos and a music soundtrack showing blurry images of what could be any slaughter anywhere. And then people buying what they want to see it is, right? War porn. A rep and reputable people on both sides are sharing this and never think of Orwell. I mean, it's just this is just straight up propaganda. It's a video from Ukraine putting this out. We are what we are living in a very Orwellian time for sure. Now, here's another example. Last few points are going to be examples of why it's obvious that we are being played potentially from the whole damn thing as a wag the dog scenario from top to bottom. Important movie to watch right now, actually, if you want to truly understand what I think is largely happening. Not to say that they're not literally murdering people, especially in Donbass, but the arguments of what's like the lies they make about what's happening or the control of the situation is being done like this. Now, this is AZ pointing out, where is Zelensky hiding? The video reveals the truth about the fake background during the statements of Zelensky. There's two different types of pomegranates that we're going to be making. Quiet, please, everybody. We're going to go for take now. Here we go. And action. Even now, as the war is raging. We continue the digital transformation of our state. We need to use next generation technologies. We need to make it feel like he's more in the room. For the podcast, as the president was supported by a host of high profile individuals. I 
I don't think that I ever seen this technology before. And my question to you. Hmm. Go for it. <laughs> That's the point, guys. And we continue the digital transformation of our state. We continue the digital transformation of our state. Yeah, you know, during an invasion, because that's what most people do, right? Once you're being invaded by another country, you transform into a digital future, right? Of course, the Great Reset while we're being invaded. That's the only thing that makes sense, right? Come on. I mean, it's this. I don't think people are buying this. And as Wyatt Reed shared the other day, also from AZ Geopolitics, was the fact that they lied again about what just happened, about the Russian missile strikes. The, the Ukrainian government shared a, a video of Beirut, Lebanon being attacked in 2020. And claiming it was Kharkov, Ukraine. Why would that make sense? Where's the corporate media? It's easily proven. It's exact. They're the ones that put it out. Yet here we are. They lie. They're lying about damn near everything. And if they have to lie about what happened with the strikes, then what actually went down? It's an important question. He says, given the sheer volume of fakes, frauds, and forgeries published by the Kiev regime and their backers, you might think that Western reporters would, you know, think twice before treating their claims credulously credulously but you'd be wrong because <laughs> they don't care as sarah abdallah points out they lied to us about iraq afghanistan syria libya weapons of mass destructions uh, weapons of mass destruction vietnam iran north korea venezuela guatemala honduras haiti cuba panama nicaragua and you could really keep going but they're telling us the truth about ukraine though right i stand with ukraine i mean that is that is how childish this is you can easily prove throughout history that they've lied to you, but every one of these in many different ways. But apparently now, now they're being honest, though. And just a one side point again from AZ Geopolitics. Oh, I don't know. I, I swear I just followed him. This is just a clip from Burkina Faso. It says, today the people of Burkino, Burkina Faso are standing up. The people of Burkina Faso want a total liberation of their territory from France. I think what's happening is people around the world are starting to realize that there is an awakening happening and not a right-left awakening, right? Not a two-party illusion awakening, but a reality, a understanding that it's all an illusion awakening, that all of the politicians on all sides are the point being that people around the world are seeing this though and realizing that we're all seeing what's happening in Ukraine. We're all seeing the lies around these situations and they're going, you know what? We're done with this. We are done being abused by France. And they're standing up, at least in this case, and saying that we no longer want France here. We want new partners with whom we can work, partners who will respect us, respect our rights, respect our population. Oh, strange. You mean the democracy countries aren't respecting their population, their rights? And of course not, because they're lying about what they really want. Just an interesting thought that we are seeing change happen dramatically and they're going to react to it. But be open to the idea that nothing is what it seems, guys. Now, going over to the manipulation of this topic which i think really overlaps with how all these topics are being manipulated we're being dripped out information now i've talked about this like four or five days ago on the edge of that one show and then i point at it out on the pirate stream show but i haven't really gotten a chance to dive into this with you guys on october 11th we saw this happen now let me clear out of the gate it, i'm glad to see this and it's important that it's being discussed but i want us to ask the question about all of this Actually, Courtney Turner made a really great point on our last on the Pirate Stream podcast in regard to the idea of the SSRI point, right? Where 
we have been discussing this for years. Anybody who is even barely invested in the peer-reviewed research has been seeing that they don't work, that they, in fact, they're dangerous. They create the, the risk of suicide and all these different things. And then finally, out of nowhere, during COVID land, these studies come out and they say, oh, guess what? They don't work like we thought they did. And it's like, yeah, exactly. We've been telling you that for a long time now, right? So the question is, why did they do it? Why did they finally decide to be like, yes, it's always like the reality isn't that it's always been this way. The reality is this new study proves it's like, okay, well, there's been 14 different studies throughout the years that have said the same thing. Why now? Her argument was they're going to try to transition into a, a new, you know, kind of uh, natural medicine direction or rather the guise of that for the Great Reset. That makes sense. Regardless, the point is to apply that lens to this kind of stuff. You know, why did they suddenly allow us to start talking about the labs? Why did they suddenly start allow, allow us to point out that certain kinds of masks don't work when really in context of stopping transmission, when in reality is none of them do. None of them outside of like high level respirators that you wear for, you know, like BSL-4 lab level. Other than that, they do not statistically reduce transmission. They're not statistically significant in reducing transmission. And I've actually got a point about that today. So the question is, why did Lena Wen on CNN and the next day, Gottlieb on Fox, perfectly timed and coordinated, come out with the same talking point that, oh, cloth masks have never worked. Well, yeah, we've always known that because we've been telling you the science. But why did they suddenly allow it with no new information? Was it just because they decided to? Because it, it, there's no way to look at it like that. When they did that, everything shifted from there forward. Everything. White House policy, CDC talking points. They said, okay, well, now it's all N95s, which are also not statistically significant reducing transmission. Same point. But why did it happen? So I want us to ask that question here, right? Breaking news in the COVID hearing, Pfizer director admits vaccine was never tested on preventing transmission. But you've always known that. If you watch this channel, you knew that back in 2020, not because it were guessing or because, because of what they already said. Both Forbes found it in the actual documents and then Tal Zaks admitted this in an interview in 2021. I'll show you both of them right now. So yes, again, it's still important these people are admitting this stuff. I think there's something more going on here, especially since now it's already transitioned into a fact check about how we're not understanding what actually happened. I think that might have been the point from the beginning. Either way, we need to ask whether there's a coordinated release of information meant to distract us, meant to justify the next step. I'm not really sure, but something about this doesn't ring true to me. And I'm not implying that the member of European Parliament is involved in the lie. There certainly could be. But I just want that broad question to be asked. As I said, T-Lab has been telling you this since the first few months of the Jabs trial. Even Forbes wrote about this. Tal Zaks and Moderna admitted this in 2021 in an interview. We are, being are we being distracted by the repackaging of old news? Carefully timed release of now allowable discussion points. Just an honest question. And it has nothing to do with credit or saying, we said it first or we said it. Because I don't even think I was the first one. In fact, again, the point is Forbes should get the credit here. They came out with this in 2020, which is where I saw that. So really, Forbes should be getting the credit. So it's not about that. It's about questioning the way these things break down. Now, here is just a quick clip of him talking on GBN News. And he makes this point numerous times about this being the first time this will state. I'll prove to you that's not true. So I wonder why that's being that's kind of the focal point. I think it's the first time that, um, that, that, that someone admitted this. And... It's a, it's an, it was an important question. I asked this question also to AstraZeneca and, and Moderna, um, but they uh, they make 
they made a workaround and they didn't give me an answer. But Pfizer was very clear in uh, speaking out. Well, not really, though. And I'll show you why. Right. The fact that she said immunization instead of transmission, the fact that what she said was ultimately saying that, no, we never that the, it, basically the argument of today is that one, they never made that claim from a from a uh, vaccine company level. But that the politicians and the media, they might have spread the misinformation accidentally. But at the end of the day, we always maintain that we didn't know for sure and that we thought it might pan out, too. But it turns out it didn't. And that's only because Delta Omicron. That's essentially their their argument in a nutshell, which I'll prove to you is not true. One, because I have evidence that Borla himself stated it was 100 percent in a tweet, which I'll show you right now which apparently they missed that in their extensive due diligence, right? Clearly, which doesn't happen anymore in corporate media. But not only that, that we have people like President Biden. Are we going to pretend that it's n- that the average person listening to the president tell them we know it stops transmission or Rachel Maddow saying we know it stops transmission or all the people on Talking Joe and everybody, everyone's screaming these points that we're, they're not going to listen to them and that's not important? That because Pfizer quietly said it over here and didn't even tell him where to look? Okay, well, I'll, I'll make this clear to you right now. The point is that they very clearly, one, knew it didn't stop transmission, which we now know, even even on Tucker's clip, they kind of give it, they make it the point that they didn't know this, but they found out and they didn't tell us. But they the data now shows they knew this. They knew this from the beginning. They didn't even look into trying to, which is my first point. I argue because they did know it didn't. And my point is with the research we've continued to show, it's clear that they did know that. For many reasons, going back to the previous mRNA attempts into the information they had when it started. Now, here is Tucker's clip. I'm going to play it in full. And this is where he's talking about uh, or talking with the member of European Parliament. And then we'll go into the proving about one that the politicians and the me and the government or rather and the media were absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt telling you this stops transmission. So that, first of all, is enough. That's huge that they misinform people in a very dramatic way which then forced people in many ways to take the injection that they didn't need under the guise that it would stop transmission. But on top of that, that the Pfizer, Moderna, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies themselves very clearly perpetuated this lie. He's been unmasked as the sinister buffoon he is, but it wasn't that long ago he was in charge of everything. And when he was in charge of everything, he told us repeatedly that if you get the COVID vaccine, you're not going to get COVID, period. We know- and that's, that's the other, Fauci being a primary point of him saying this and acting like that doesn't matter, that Fauci of all people, Mr. Science himself, says it. Know that, and we're quoting, you become a dead end for the virus, said Tony Fauci. And so widely accepted was that statement that Twitter banned anyone who disagreed with it or even questioned it as part of its COVID misinformation policy. But it soon became clear that that itself was misinformation because, of course, you can get COVID and pass it on if you've had the shot. And in fact, that shouldn't be surprising because Pfizer, which made the vaccine, never even tested to see if it prevented the transmission of COVID. What? You'd think they would know that since Tony Fauci and everyone in the U.S. government and everyone at your kid's school and everyone on television and Morning Joe and all the rest of them knew for a fact, but Pfizer didn't even know. We know that. Because Pfizer executive Janine Small answered questions on money at the European Parliament, and here's how it went. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please 
Say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it's entered the market? No. Okay, so to unpack that, so first of all, he's very clearly saying, did you know, did you, did you investigate at all whether or not it would stop transmission? Okay, the answer is no, and that's been known for a long time, and that's now what they're essentially saying. Well, that's always been known. Well, no, even if you pretend that's been stated, it's like pretending we have informed consent because it's a paper over here that we don't give anybody where it says that you can die. Well, if you don't show people and they don't even know it's there, it's not really informed consent. So the idea that they've always known, even though Fauci and the government and the media all screamed at stopping transmission, save your grandma, it's, it's obviously a lie, however you spin this. But he asks, and she says, again, I'll play it again. It's, this is important because this is, uh, the fact that she even says immunization instead of it, transmission, it just, it's all convoluted. I, it sounds like it's meant to be. Oh, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it's entered the market? No. Did we know about stopping immunization? So let's just pretend she meant transmission, which is what everyone, even the corporate media is doing. Did we know about stopping transmission before it entered the market? No. So that doesn't even, tra- and I get why people are arguing this, even though what she's essentially saying is no, we did not research that. It's very, to me, it's clear that's how she's responding. So it's right to take it that way, in my opinion, but they're arguing otherwise to say, well, no, they just simply say that we didn't know. And now it turns out that it does. But the point is even the media or even the, the, Companies are admitting that it doesn't now. But here's the interesting point. As of today, yesterday, this whole entire discussion, there's still corporate media out there pushing that, yes, it does stop transmission. So even as they're trying to lie to you about how this went, their lie was too successful because even these people like the Morning Joe groups, and I'll show you one of these clips of these shows, are still pushing the idea that it does. So something's amiss, is it not? Let's play this out. These, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. Speed of science. Oh, the speed of science. That's the speed at which you're moving too fast to do science. And you just sort of hope for the best and yell at anyone who disagrees with your preferred and hoped for outcome. The speed of science. Rob Rose is the man you just saw on on tape. He's a conservative member of the European Parliament. He's from the Netherlands. And we are grateful to have him on tonight. Rob, thanks so much for coming on. Um, did you know the answer to that question when you asked it? And were you shocked by what she said? Well, good evening, Tucker. Um, it really was a special moment. For the first time, Pfizer admitted that the vaccine was... For the first time. No, no, not... Oops. Hit the wrong button. Not the first time. Okay. So, and the point is, and, and this is what's interesting is, you know, what the house of cards is falling. Well, I agree with that. But not because of this. I mean, if you think this was a bombshell, this has been known information for a long time. And I do agree with that. But it's what we need to be focusing on is how the media, the White House and the government, the P- Congress specifically lied us into this, lied and said that it did. That's the main point here. But yet it's being framed as this big release today. And it, I'm suspicious of that. I mean, look, Pfizer gate is trending. Isn't that interesting? Despite the fact that it's not just Pfizer, it's interesting because she said this, but here is uh, Dr. Simone Gold saying the media has gone silent on an admission by a Pfizer executive that Pfizer did not know whether the COVID jab stopped transmission of the disease before it went to market. But again, that's 
stated reality where they said we didn't they said they didn't know and the point is her staying not even actually saying it that way still gets repackaged like that the media is supposed to hold the powerful account not to cover for them and as i said the media has been silent on this provable fact since forbes wrote about it in 2020 again since tal zaxa moderna made the same admission in 2021 this focus on on her specifically seemingly intentionally confusing albeit an important statement alone feels intentional from the top and in no way am i implying that dr gold is wrong to highlight this only that we should ask why the focus is so tightly held and suddenly being allowed like with mass the lab discussion we're being controlled i believe that so here just to point out was the first discussion we had on this it's not even the title november 9th 2020 link right here to the forbes article which is right here i'll show you next Again, on August 4th, 2021, I'm, I'm sure there's other re- versions of this that I don't have it in the title, but CD, then this is when the CDC admitted they don't stop transmission. So right there, that was, of course, because Delta, even though it wasn't just Delta, they never did. And that's the reality. The Delta part of it was their, re- their excuse for why they admitted it didn't stop transmission, right? So right there, they admitted that. So the argument then is in the question is, did they know it didn't stop transmission when they put it out? And the answer is yes. So then the question again is, If they knew that, why would the CDC have to admit that that was the case? See how this doesn't make sense? Like you, they'll, they're trapping themselves in a very clear lie here, but it goes forward to say, or excuse me, the next article is uh, from December 28, 2021. As I simply said, long sought digital ID pushed under COVID guys. Here we are again, despite COVID jabs, never having stopped transmission. So, I mean, again, really pushing this forward. How could I be writing about this? Using the science, if, if this was only a bombshell that came out a couple days ago. So here is Forbes. I'm just quickly going over this. Were they writing? And this is credit that William A. Hasseltine, COVID-19 vaccine protocols reveal that the trials were designed to succeed. They put the bar so low that they knew it would make it look like it was positive, even though it showed you a very, very low level. Basically, again, it was at a r- relative risk reduction and aimed very low. At the, at the mild to moderate symptom level. That's all this was. As it says, any of these vaccines, the only difference being the severity of symptoms between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. That's it. Not death, not hospitalization, not anything in regard to transmission. And it says prevent the, they expect an infected vaccine to prevent serious illness if infected. Three of the vaccine protocols, Moderna, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca, do not require that their vaccine prevent serious disease, only that they prevent moderate symptoms. So right there, it shows you that if all it is is moderate, the point is you can obviously still exchange this. It just prevents the moderate to mild symptoms, which cough, headache, and so on, but not death and hospitalization. But it says, in the, oh, again, the point was that these were broken down to basically 59 people in the control group. That's all this is based on, you know, eight mice all the way back then. Same kind of idea, except with people. Serious consequences of COVID-19. It says Johnson & Johnson is the only trial that required the inclusion of severe COVID cases at least five for the 75 participant interim analysis. But if someone takes this vaccine, he writes, they are far less likely to become infected with the virus is a question. Are they far less likely? These trials all clearly focus on eliminating symptoms, not infections themselves. It's a choice. Asymptomatic infections is listed as a secondary objective in these trials when they should be of critical importance. He says that's his opinion, but it says that the vaccine will never prevent infection. They all, it says, appears that they all assume that they will never, I mean, this is very clear. And that's using their own research that shows that. An infected control group and an infected vaccine group. They do not measure the difference between infection and non-infection as a primary motive. This was a choice. 
As down here, it says, it appears these trials are intended to pass the lowest possible barrier of success. It is clear from these studies that the vaccines currently in a trial will not be the civil bullet needed. Okay, so then we can go into Business Insider. November 24, 2020, Moderna's chief medical officer says the vaccine trial results only show that they prevent people from getting sick, not necessarily stopping transmission. Look at that. Bombshell. Years ahead. They do not show they prevent you from potentially carrying the virus transiently and infecting others. Tal Zaks told Axios. It says, Zaks warned that the trial, this is from Tal Zaks from Moderna, that the trial results show that the vaccine can prevent someone from getting sick or severely sick, so symptoms. However, the results don't show the vaccine prevents transmission of the virus. This We're talking about the, the trial. So they knew that they did not intend to do so, which is what Forbes was pointing out. And that ultimately they knew right out of there that it did not. So when they went on to say from every possible angle that it would stop transmission, save grandma, they were lying. And they knew this all the way back then. Not when Pfizer admitted it in that meeting, not in any other point. It was always the case. Quote, they do not show, he says, that they prevent you from potentially carrying the virus and infecting others. He added, quote, when we start the development of this vaccine, we will not have sufficient concrete data to prove the vaccine reduces transmission. And he essentially goes on in the interview with Axios to say, oh, if they would have simply funded more, we could have gone forward to do so. It was a choice to not find out. The data they had did not show that it stopped transmission. Simple as that. So you can argue within there that there's a gray area to say that we didn't know for sure, which you could give them that. It doesn't really change the real crux of the issue for me that they then continued to push that when they didn't know and then found out in the, regardless, and it never did. But again, oh, here's Axios, same thing. War, Talzax warns that not to overinterpret the results, quote, they do not show they prevent you from carrying the virus. Simple. Here is even British Medical Journal from, again, this is uh, October 2020. COVID-19 vaccine trials cannot tell us if they will save lives. Main point, many may assume that successful phase three studies will mean we have a proven way of keeping people from getting sick and dying from COVID-19 and a robust way to interpret viral transmission. Interrupt, excuse me, a robust way to interrupt viral transmission. Yet the phase three trials are not actually set to deliver to prove either, says Peter Doshi. Uh, I forget if he is currently, he was previously the uh, editor at British Medical Journal. But it says, quote, none of the trials, I believe he still is, I just want to misquote it. Quote, none of the trials currently underway are designed to detect a reduction in any serious outcome, such as hospitalizations, intensive care use, or death. Nor are they vac- are the vaccines, or the injections rather, being studied to determine whether they interrupt transmission of the virus. I mean, it can't be more clear. He explains that all ongoing phase three trials for which details have been released are evaluating mild, not severe disease, and they will be able to report final results once around 150 participants develop symptoms. Okay, so back to the the, the point where we're here, where she's asked, did you know that this was the case? And she said, let me just play it again, just so it's clear. The Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market. If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. 
Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it's entered the market? No. Now, I think the way she says it like that, again, assuming she means transmission, is to suggest that it kind of does, though. And we didn't know before, but we saw that it now does to a little degree. That's what they want you to argue in this is that, well, if you reduce the symptoms, you reduce the transmission. And I mean, there's an argument you made about less symptoms could reduce the flow of transmission. But doesn't that then contradict their argument that asymptomatic people can spread the virus? <laughs> Oops. Don't you love how they're contradicting themselves in every possible direction? Right. So if asymptomatic people can spread the virus, the reduction of symptoms apparently has no influence on whether or not they can spread the virus. Right. No, the point is asymptomatic people with respiratory viruses don't spread anything, as even Fauci said in the beginning, because symptoms are how it spreads. But on top of that, their idea is that the lessening of mild to moderate symptoms somehow reduces transmission, except if you're still getting sick and you still have symptoms, whether or not they're reduced, you can still spread it. So you could argue that at the very least, you could maybe argue that it reduces the level to a very small degree. I would argue it's not statistically significant, especially with everything we're seeing on top of all death. That's if that's even true, by the way. And I think that's a huge if, just tr giving them the benefit of the doubt in the context of objectivity or in the, in the sense of, or in the interest of objectivity. Regardless, it's painfully clear that this is not new information. The, I guess the, pro the question is, why did everybody not know about this until they made it a point, until Tucker and this guy pointed it out and everybody talked about it? Why didn't we know this already? You guys all knew this. Th this is the controlled flow of information. If the British medical journal Forbes and Business Insider can write about this in 2020, and yet we don't know about it until Tucker and this guy point at it. What's wrong with that picture, guys? It's interesting, is it not? I mean, here, here is Jordan Satchdell on December 27, 2021. COVID shots were both marketed by Big Pharma and authorized by the government under the core claim that they prevent transmission. Both parties peddled baseless assertions. So even at this point, he's, he's very aware of the illusion, like most of us were. So who is that revelation directed at? I just find it to be very interesting. But there's a lot of clips in here showing you that they are continuing to say it. And you watch this for yourself. But I have a few of my own that I want to go through. Here's Dr. Asim Malhotra pointing out, oh, dear, oh, dear, that is not age well at all. Mr. Chris Whitty, right? So here is one of the main people. This is like a Fauci in UK saying the data shows a 50% reduction in transmission. Well, guess what? It doesn't stop transmission at all. Like, just because you want to claim it reduces symptoms, that's not the same thing as reducing transmission. You could argue that reduces the transmission in general to a small degree, but that's not quantified. It's not proven anywhere. What we now see is that people who are getting injected are transmitting more than anybody. That's undeniable. I was pointing that out back up beginning of 2021 based on their data. So if that's the case, it's doing the only thing it's doing is increasing their risk of transmission. That's pretty damn clear. But he simply says it reduces transmission. Getting a vaccine helps protect others. This likely improved by getting your second dose. If, if people you may are vaccinated, it reduces your risk. Okay. Well, remember, this is a very highly regarded expert who was moments ago promoting the injections until he realized he was being lied to. So his point is it didn't age well because it's not true. So the truth is, yes, they were pushing the lie, despite the fact that they're claiming right now that it was always publicly known that it didn't stop transmission. See the illusion here? This should be the point, not that we're finally discovering something that we should have already already known. Here is another person. Uh, what this is, uh, Henry and uh, Mr. Henry. Uh, where was it again? I was looking at this earlier from I think this is the UK as well, saying it'll protect you, your family and your community and the idea of stopping transmission. Well, that's pretty low.
Yeah, so that's, that's the main point, what he says at the end. It'll start, it'll protect you and your family. Not true. If it does not stop transmission, it does not do any of that, especially since the injection increases your risk of all the things we're talking about. Now, here is the clip we played in the beginning. I'm not going to play it again, but the reality is, guys, here's Bill Gates telling you the aim was to stop transmission. Now, that's not necessarily even incorrect with the other part of this, because that's what they're claiming, too, and that's what their data showed. That they claimed that they thought that it might have that ability. But if the goal was to stop transmission, as he says, then why didn't they try to look into that? Clearly, it wasn't the goal. And again, I argue it's because they very well were very well aware from previous work and now that it wasn't going to. Perhaps that they didn't want it to. Something we should ask. But here he is simply saying that it stops and stops transmission. Here's Rachel Maddow and CDC saying it stops with every single person. Right? That's all lies. Doesn't matter if you pretend that they, if the media was selling people on that, that's misinformation, is it not? Now, I'm not asking for censorship here, and nobody else should either. But that's also what's already happening. That's now a side effect of the right stepping into this and saying, well, wait a minute, shouldn't the left be censored because they were saying this? And that's how the problem works. Rationalizing it from your end. Now, look, do I agree these people are the major, like, if they're out there screaming about misinformation, nothing's happening to them, that's frustrating. The answer is not to call for their censorship, though. That's part of the manipulation. But the point is, they all said it. Biden, Fauci, everybody. They pushed the lie. Here, by the way, is another one. This is Mr. Blair. The matter is the evidence that vaccination works is literally, hey, it's overwhelming. I mean, it's just, there's no doubt about it at all. Don't you love that very well-reasoned argument? I mean, it's just obvious. It's just so, you're just overwhelmingly clear, you dummy. Oh, I'm sold. <laughs> where's, the, where's the facts in that argument? But his point is that vaccines work. Oh, don't you love to conflate the new genetic injection that's not the same thing with the general body of injections and vaccines that even in that same context are now being questioned by people like Harvey Reich? We'll get to that in a second. And by the way, Pfizer and AstraZeneca are both excellent vaccines, as is Moderna and other vaccines. So you've got you've got a situation where once you if you really take this out to people and say to them, look, just look at the data. It's clear, you know, vaccination works, the absence of vaccination, your failure to get vaccinated doesn't just put you at risk. I think this is what is important. In a way, if this were just a personal decision for people and you get vaccinated, you don't get vaccinated, it's you who suffers if you don't. But it's God, I just can't even can't even listen to this anymore. It's just it's just all generalizations and talking points. Why does people why does this convince anybody? Just be like, do it, you dummy, because it's the right thing. I mean, that's basically what he's saying, even though that's not true. And here's another one saying similar stuff. I mean, I'm just going to point is. Oh, right. And this, this, I'll get into this more in a minute. Basically saying, you know, back to the point about saying that you're different people. We need to distinguish legally, rights-wise, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. That's what they're actually pushing still. We're just, you know, remember when they said it's about making different classes of people and the prime minister of New Zealand said, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Absolutely owned it. It's crazy. Now, here was the argument I was making before about this is Beverly Turner, apparently. I'm not really familiar with her work, but saying, I'm going to check her out just because since she's clearly taking the stance here. Hats off, it says to Beverly Turner, sticking it to the mainstream media lackeys who admittedly aren't allowed to go against the official narrative. This is, a, this is crazy. So she makes a very well-reasoned argument stating things that are undeniably proven right now. And this is my point from before, right? This is This is... May 31st, and this guy is pushing aggressively that they absolutely stop transmission well past the point in which even the CDC admitted that they don't, right? So explain that. 
either these people are, are misinforming people aggressively based on some talking point. Or, I mean, th think about it like this. It's the same way that they go, we never said Iraq was involved in 9-11. We never made that claim. Well, maybe they didn't explicitly state that, but it turned out like 90-something percent of Americans very clearly interpreted that from the way that they were directing their media. That's how that works. Same thing here. Now, check this out. She's arguing what we should all be arguing. This jab is not a vaccine by any traditional definition. It doesn't stop you catching SARS-CoV-2. It doesn't stop you transmitting it. There's a little bit of evidence to suggest that it might minimize transmission, but that's because it ameliorates your symptoms. Right. And if it ameliorates your symptoms, then you are less likely because to Because you argue it's no different to getting vaccinated against hepatitis, for example. It's also, it's very different because it's a trial drug. We are still well, and it's also because it's not the same technology. I don't care if you want to quibble about the genetic therapy, even though that's ridiculously improved. Even Merck comes out and says, we all know it's genetic therapy. Stop paying attention, guys. But the problem is that it's a not, whether you want to call it that or not, call it a vaccine if it makes you feel good about it, it's still different technology. So to compare it to the hepatitis vaccine is simply ignorant of the facts. But these are the people informing everybody. In clinical trials, Matthew. And Why are you so you just have to look at but the numbers. Just in the, in the sense of like the finest minds of science in, in an extraordinarily short amount of time have come up with this vaccine. It's proven that it's working statistically. Why? See, what do you mean? So how, how can you even make a statement like this guy is repeating what the CDC says, not looking at the facts and the stats? And because that's not what it shows. That's not true. The statistics do not prove that. I and mean, this is, it. of course, if you ignore all of theirs and all the observational information and all the side, everything that they're pretending isn't there, this gigantic elephant in, in the world. And yet, they, they, you know, but it's proven the brightest minds in the world. What do you mean the brightest minds in the world? What kind of argument is that? Well, they also made nuclear bombs. They also did. I mean, the, the problem is his reverence for people he thinks are his betters that we're supposed to ignore our logic because, well, they're the experts. What about all the other experts that don't agree with them? Well, you call them conspiracy theorists. These people are part of the problem. Are you so cynical about We have no long-term data. Right. We have no long-term data. But, but we data. don't have a chance to have long-term data because we, we have... Okay, well, there you just made our point for us. So we shouldn't do it then. If we don't know the long-term data, you can't force people. You can't anyway, by the way. But you can't force people if we don't know if it's safe. So if you don't have the opportunity to prove that, then make it an option. You see, my see, these people are sycophants to do, these, the doctrine, the narrative. That's it. This virus, we do killing people around the whole no, world. No. We don't have the, we don't we have, we don't have that luxury, surely. And we also have all the treatments we could be using too. All the other things they pretend aren't there. Not Paxlovid that's hurting people, but other things that we could talk about. Why are you so skeptical about the whole? Ninety nine point eight percent because it, because of the facts. Ninety nine point eight percent survival rate from COVID nineteen. The average age of death is eighty two. This was a virus that was and Boys, remains. Not care about remains. The, exactly. No. That. This is this is you see you see the kind of lazy arguments. What do you mean? We, so we shouldn't care about them? Where did she even suggest that? The point was simply the reality that most people are not at risk. So, so, so you see, his argument falls back to the idea that by getting the injection, you're somehow protecting those people. But that's categorically false. It's not stopping transmission. So you're still able to spread it and catch it to the vulnerable people. So how in the world are you pretending that that then means you don't care about them? These people are on a hamster wheel of misinformation. They just keep circling around. And even though you prove one point is wrong, they grab onto the next one. Then we have to prove that was wrong yet again. And it keeps circling around and around. I, I don't know why they can't see that. 
language. We should always Why have looked half of those people. We should always have looked half of those people. Yeah, we're not in we that should situation, have though. We're not we, there now. No, we are. We have given We have given them the jab, but that's the point. Why are you? Why do you want to put a 22-year-old with her whole life ahead of her as part of a clinical trial when we do not know the long-term implications? It is a brand new because vaccines mutate. because viruses mutate, and every unvaccinated person becomes a potential petri dish for false verifiably easily proven to be false i mean before COVID 19 mania that was an easily pointable fact like the, with the leaky vaccine conversation the reality is transmission even if again this is if what we know from before this is true that's always a good statement to make because i don't know why we don't question literally everything we've been taught by these people but the point is if what we know to be true is that the transmission and that's even what they said is what spreads and what mutates right their simple argument was that if you're vaccinated you won't be able to transmit that's why they claim it's only the unvaccinated. But now we know that's not true. You see my point? Back in the hamster wheel. So we know it doesn't stop transmission. So if that's the case, then the people taking the injection are still spreading it. And in fact, statistically, more than anybody, and the people that aren't taking it have a very slim chance of getting it, spreading it, get 98 point. But the point is they're the, the slim part of it. So very clearly, provably, statistically, the people that are taking the injections are the ones creating variants. And that's easily proven by the correlation with the administration of the vaccine and the explosion of variants. Ask yourself why there wasn't an explosion of variants during 2020, when apparently it was spreading rampant with no vaccine. None of it makes sense. These people are adhering to doctrine. And you can see on her face that this is, think of how frustrating this must be to be from all angles being attacked by people who can't think past what they're told. It's frustrating. There are already three Right? Are we in the middle of a pandemic? We're all going to die, but they're, but they're empty, though. Right? How do I mean, I don't even see how they can't connect these dots. That choose not to be vaccinated. In some health trusts, we're talking 25%. Okay? That's actually NHS workers, 25% in one trust. And then take all the people who don't want the vaccine and stick well, them all in hospitals together. Why so, would we? Okay, so now, I, I mean, I don't even know if he's actually arguing that we should be put in hospitals whether or not we're sick just because we're unvaccinated or uninjected. Or that the assumption is that they don't get injected, therefore they're going to get sick. Like, you see how lost these people are? They're operating on 2020 narrative land. They're way back there still because that's all they think they're supposed to do. Adhere to what they're told and what they're, the narrative is supposed to be, independent of the facts. So stating a fact is irresponsible. That's where these people are. See my point? It does. So these people are spreading fake news. But so too are all the rest of them. These people are wrong. And the big conversation now, even though it's being misinterpreted, is still showing them that they're wrong and you're still doubling down on it. But the point being, it's not new. It's always been there. So why now? 
Here's Jordan Satchtill. Pfizer continues to advertise their shots by claiming they prevent COVID. Okay, so where's their argument? Wait till we get to the fact check about how they're not the ones doing it. They always said that they didn't stop transmission, except they didn't, though. In your face fraud, countless examples, justice must be served. Emergency use of bivalent, they're bivalent, by the way, have not been approved or licensed, but have authorized to prevent COVID. Now, this is where they play the game. Well, you reduce symptoms, you prevent that. Well, no, that's not the same thing. You don't get to argue that translates because you don't prove that. You don't even prove that they actually reduce the symptoms to the degree you claim they do, especially when you factor in all the side effects. But emergency uses of violent have not approved, or was it? Oh, so they're just they're just putting out the same, that's the same similar point down here is the August 23rd. It says emergency use of the vaccine in general have not been approved, but they prevent COVID-19. That's what they keep saying. It's not true. That's preventing COVID-19 would be stopping transmission. They're lying to you. Now, here's Pfizergate, that trending hashtag, which seems to be popping in and out, which is very strange to me, which just simply goes on and all these people are talking about the same point. As if this is new, which I'm still glad they're talking about it. Don't get me wrong. It really is important. But I wish that they would understand how this is a controlled conversation to a small degree. Maybe more than I realize, but it is trending. People are seeing through this stuff. So that's a positive side effect, no matter how you spin it. I'm just worried about how we're being channeled with information, right? And here's Nat pointing out, call me cynical, but it does feel like a planned and controlled reveal. Thank God somebody out there is seeing it the same way I because I, I, I can't see it any other way. And as uh, Jessica Kina points out, what I was saying to her in her response to her, you know, why? I, it's a release valve. This one possibility that they've lost control of the narrative so they take back control, even momentarily, of it. And we already see we've driven into the direction they wanted us to, if I'm right. They take back control of it with a controlled release of a talking point. Masks, Wuhan lab. The talking heads act like it's the first time it's been discovered. And it temporarily takes over the news cycle. Over and over. Even true information, by the way. Right. When they know they've lost control, they use real information because we go, oh, we knew it. And they direct us in a direction once it's no longer needed for them to sell you on that lie. They're already moving forward on bivalent, on new information, on climate change. The point is, this has already been done. A gigantic portion of the population of the world has already been injected. Maybe that was the only point. But if you're wondering how it's even possible that they can coordinate stuff like this, Paul Thacker points out, make sure. Yeah, I'm still following him. That basically $50 million contract. Here's the link to his article has allowed the PR firm, a public relations firm, to be, quote, embedded at the CDC in Atlanta as part of a division of the viral diseases team. Ask yourself why they need a public relations team. Isn't it just revealing data and being honest? Pretty sure you don't need public relations and marketing to sell the truth. You know what you do need it for, though? To sell a lie, for sure. Now, here is also, and here's where we get into the fact-checking of this discussion. As Rachel, what's her, uh, Schrerer from the BBC, of course, of course. A viral tweet is claiming to give bombshell news that Pfizer is admitting they never tested whether the vaccine prevented transmission and therefore the concept of get vaccinated for others was a lie. She said this is wrong on basically every count. So some facts. Oh, I love it. Let's, let's get into her facts. See what she's saying. I'm not going to go through all of it, I don't think, but we'll get into the fact check next. Excuse me. As it says... The vaccines were tested for whether they reduced people's chances of catching COVID. They seemed to. That's that's quite a great sell. Giving less chance by the virus being passed on. Now, it's not even necessarily inaccurate. The point is it was never quantified. And all we ultimately have is a reduction of mild symptoms. 
but not severe symptoms. So how do you quantify that, right? How do you argue the reduction of a cough or a headache is more important than a reduction of a severe vomiting or hospitalization, which means you still have symptoms, understand? It's just severe. Okay, so how does one cross out the other? My point is simply that they don't know if that's even true. But if you argue our study showed, doesn't mean it's true, by the way, that we reduced mild symptoms, that that means a small reduction. Okay, let's just give them that, even though you can't prove it's true, because the real point is not that. The point is how they then frame it as we already knew this and that nobody said otherwise. But we all know that's not true. We literally just showed you that's true. But it says, but they don't look specifically at whether they stopped already infected people passing on the virus transmission which is true. I just showed you that all the way back in the beginning, but they couched that and hid that and lied to you about the reality. But it says, by the way, neither Pfizer nor health agencies claimed that they had. She's lying to you. That's BBC blatantly lying to you or not smart enough to know it's there or not caring that it's there, right? I mean, we know this is not true. We have facts showing you Alberta Borla saying 100% effective in preventing co- Okay, oops. Great job, BBC. Journalism, right? This Nature article gives a good flavor of the discussions. Right, now, you, this is my point. You can get into the Nature articles or or the Forbes article or this, where they do go over this because it was the case. But did they lie to you about it? When the vaccines first became available, public health messaging was clear. We don't know where they stopped transmission. How can she even possibly say that? Well, here's my When she says the messaging, she's pointing to a little paragraph category in the bottom of a CDC page or at the top, who knows? But the CDC then got up and said, it stops transmission. Biden got up and said, it stops transmission. Fauci got up and said, it stopped. But they all did. So the messaging is not the couched paragraph on a page somewhere. It's what they're telling people directly. They, I think this was always set up to be framed like this. Goes forward to say, over time, stronger evidence did emerge. They reduced transmission. Really? Like she's even going further. That's not true. The ver- and then it says, of the variant of the time, this is before Delta, I- I've gone back to the data and showed you it's the same difference. Then the new variants began to change the equation. Of course, blaming the unvaccinated for that, even though the- none of the evidence backs that up, doesn't mean they don't reduce transmission from Omicron at all. This is really tricky to disentangle from the warning. So how about you say, we don't know, which even, even that would be, found. look at this. Climate scam, Nazi Germany. They're losing control, guys. I think that's very clear. But watch after 10 seconds as it goes away. How about this? Watch this. Let's just open the new page. Oh, look at that. It's all different all of a sudden. What a shock. Manipulators. The UK, at least, soon after became clear vaccinated people could pass on the virus and similar tests to to, to unvaccinated people. Vaccine passports were quickly all but dropped. That's not even really true. Like, this girl's just very clearly towing a line that she thinks she's supposed to be saying, but she's lying to you. Period. Recent claims about Pfizer's COVID vaccine trial and impact and transmission are misleading, fact checkers say. Okay, that's interesting. Pfizer never claimed the clinical clinical trial of their COVID vaccine evaluated its effects on transmission. That's a very specific way to say that, isn't it? So we're not saying they never told you it stops transmission, right? We're not saying that because, yes, they very clearly did. What they're saying is, well, we never claimed the trial evaluated transmission. See the difference? We sure as hell lied to you about it. Don't you love how manipulative that is? Reuters also reports that in clinical trials, vaccines were found to give recipients a high level of protection against severe disease. They're blatant. I literally just showed you the breakdown. Not true. 
It was mild to moderate. That's it. Dr. Peter McCullough has made that clear. Forbes made that clear. Business Insider made They all made it clear. They them literally are still in phase three now, by the way. Still a trial, which is what she was saying in the interview or in, in the talk show. How are we going to pretend that it's a high level protection against severe disease if they didn't even try to? They're lying to you guys. But effect on transmission due to trial sizes could not be determined. And that was my point that Tal Zaks admitted that if they would have paid us more, we could have done larger trials and we could have focused on it. They didn't even try to find it. And yet they argued that it would. That's the main, that's the crux of the point here. Pfizer never claimed to have tested the impact on transmission. You see my point? They're playing a game here. Here's the PolitiFact article, which is really crazy. Instagram post, right? You love that? Not a member of parliament or, you know, the facts of the studies or, you know, just here's a post. They love to couch it on one Instagram post or one Facebook post and be like, it got 13 likes and here's why it's a fake news. Like, it's just really pathetic how they try to sidestep into something else every time. But here's what it says. Alleged revelation about Pfizer vaccine trial is nothing new. Well, it's actually true, but not the way they fact check it, though. Pfizer did not claim that a clinical trial for its COVID vaccine was testing whether the, fi- the vaccine prevented transmission. And you see, they're playing the game. They're, we never claimed the, va- the trial did. Now, I don't even know. I'm willing to bet you you could find it somewhere in some conversation or tweet that they did say that. That'd be my hunch. And I did look and I wasn't able to find it specifically. But the main point is that they then went on to, per- to pressure, to push, to insinuate, and to flat out say that it did. Now, the question is, did they say that our trial was sought to find out that case. But here's my point. Biden and the rest of them got up and very clearly insinuated that. It says the aim of the drug trial was to study whether the vaccine is safe and it prevented disease. <laughs> it's another manipulative way of saying, I mean, preventing disease means preventing transmission, guys. That, the idea that you could prevent all symptoms, but yet still catch, it's just, it's a game they're playing with words. And by the way, to test whether it was safe, you mean the almost non-existent safety trials that were rushed and done in the most the shortest period of time in the history of vaccine injection research? But yeah, it's safe. We rushed through for your safety, but now we're very clearly how not, seeing how not safe they are. Details of Pfizer's clinical trial for COVID-19 vaccine have been available online, and that's my point. They go, well, you could find it right here on this link that's not posted anywhere, but it's there, so you're all wrong. doesn't matter. We all lied about it. When the U.S. FDA announced in December 2020 its emergency use authorization for Pfizer, the agency said there was no data available on whether the shots prevented transmission from person to person. Yeah, but that wasn't widely publicized, and they weren't talking about that. It says, but the answer was no revelation at all, according to Pfizer and experts. Right, so what she said in regard to his question. Regarding the question around, did we know about stopping immunization before it entered the market? No presumably meaning transmission, so even they give her that, and not immunization, meaning injections, we had to really move at the speed of science, which, by the way, is a Fauci statement, remember, to really understand what is taking place in the market. I've got a clip I'll play next, just out attacking how stupid it is to say the speed of science. But it says, but Pfizer, the FDA, and news reports before the vaccine's approval and this is a fact checker? My God. I mean, even in the discussion, it lists emergency use authorizations and you still say approval? Either they're too dumb to know that this is wrong or they're, missing, they're misleading you very specifically. It wasn't approved. 
The bottom line is, in the context of the one right now, we're focusing on specifically the bivalent, and we're talking about the community that was never used. I guess you could argue that that's what they're referring to. I don't think that's the case. That's up for you to decide. Either way, it wasn't put into circulation. But we're clear that that while the vaccine was effective in preventing infection and severe disease, preventing infection is the same difference. There was no data about whether it stopped transmission to others. They are playing word games, semantics. Some may have been surprised at Small's answer, given public officials' comments. Okay, so right here, PolitiFact, in a very casual one-sentence admission, makes it clear that we were lied to and misled using medical misinformation by public officials. So why isn't that a bigger discussion? Isn't that exactly the point? So those officials officials came out and said it stops transmission, it stops transmission, and that's what people believed. So you basically just admitted that we were right. But then it goes on to say both Dr. Rochelle Walensky for the CDC and Dr. Fauci have said the vaccination can help mitigate the spread. Well, no, they literally said it would stop transmission. The CDC in May 2021 changed its guidance on masking in regard to the idea that it, transmission the virus was lower. So even the point is you're, you're already are insinuating that the mask can be released because the transmission was lower, that the injection stopped transmission. But so here's my point. Their practice, maybe even without saying it, is clearly insinuating that it does. That's the whole Iraq 9-11 manipulation. So people go, oh, I can take a mask off because the vaccine saves me. Ask anybody around you that took it. They're under the assumption that it stops transmission. The agency reversed course on the guidance two months later when it became clear that it wasn't the case with the Delta variant. No, it was always the case. But the notion that Pfizer admitted it didn't test its vaccine for its ability to to stop transmission is incorrect. Now, again, I hate even agreeing with people like this, but that's that's true. Andrew Widger, a spokesman for Pfizer, said in a statement that details of the phase three clinical trial have been online since 2020 and that the trial was never intended to study transmission. Now, the real point, again, is they lied to you about it all. Before the Delta and Omicron variants came along, studies suggested the vaccines were somewhat effective at slowing transmission. My God, what a reach. They suggested they were somewhat effective at slowing transmission. (laughs) Translates to, we have no clue, and we're thinking, hopefully, that it does. In an era before Omicron, to some extent, the Delta variant, the vaccines clearly were transmission halting to a high degree, says Dr. Amash Ajala, a senior scholar at Johns Hopkins. So wait a minute. You're arguing that we're all fake news for arguing that nobody said it did, but yet here comes someone who goes, yeah, but it was, though. (laughs) Okay, so you are arguing that it's not transmission. I, I don't, they can't even make a coherent argument for why one way or the other, because it's so obvious that they were clearly pushing the idea that it stopped transmission. It's clear, it says, that the vaccines are not a firewall against transmission. Interesting overlap with the cyber pandemic point. Despite misleading claims on two occasions by President Joe Biden. Okay, so again, you're admitting that our government misled us on whether it did. So we're right. I mean, that's the bottom line. They just pretend that this small this study that we've been pointing at this whole time, which is is there and does say that because it was there means that we all didn't do that. But here's where Joe misled you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's almost schizophrenic. Quote, the pharmaceutical companies and the CDC both were accurate in terms of their messaging and reporting on the vaccines over time in terms of their ability to reduce transmission and currently their incredible, incredible ability to reduce severe disease. <laughs> My God, what a panderer to the generation of cellular immunity. Here's the point, though. They were accurate in the terms of their messaging. Well, what are you talking about? Their segments on Fox News and CNN? Or documents they put on their website that nobody really saw? 
quite a big difference, right? We rate this false. And what's the claim again? Pfizer admits friend's transmission. Their only point is that, no, it wasn't admits. And I knew this would be the case, guys, because we knew this already. So this is a game. We are being, I'm convinced that there's some, whether the member of parliament or Tucker or anybody else involved is aware this is being played. I hope we can see that. Now, again, how can they be fact-checking it when you can literally show the CEO of Pfizer saying verbatim, the COVID-19 vaccine was 100% effective at preventing COVID-19. There you go. End of story. No big investigation needed. No back and forth. It's very clear. He lied. They said this. So when she says it and acted like they always knew, yeah, it's important because they lied. But we need to realize that it's always been there. Now, here's Dr. John Campbell, somebody who's been very clearly on one side. He's evolved his opinion quite dramatically in all this. Very, he's he, And he is upset about this. As he says, so cool and calm and collected, usually can't hide his contempt. He says, I'll pause and explain what the speed of science means. They haven't got a flipping clue. Good for him. Remember representatives of the UK government who've now been made into dames and knights and all sorts of things, <laughs> emphatically telling us that everything that was normally done in any clinical trial was done during these trials. They gave us their word about this. And let's hope that this doesn't turn out to be less than accurate. But let, let's look at some of the information that's now been revealed today. And you can probably tell um, some of us aren't very happy about this at all. It's rolled out. Ms. Small. Regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping the immunization before it entered the market? No. And there the word, she said the word no. Now, this is my interpretation of this because this is only me. Um, COVID Pfizer vaccine uh, was not tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market. This was not done before, vaccine, before the vaccine entered general rollout, despite us being assured that everything, all the normal stages were carried out right. as they would be for any new product. And yet it turns out now we know what, however long it is now later, two years later or whatever, that this wasn't done. This really is, I think this is really quite scandalous. So you see, my point is even somebody as, as intelligent and, and, and well-versed as he is, was not aware of this. Even though we were on The Last American Vagabond, even though you were, because you're watching this channel. Now, it's not because he didn't care. It's because he wasn't there. Even these are pe people that are, are still kind of have reverence for like the system of the CDC information flow. And they, they that's what happens. The bottom line is we just proved to you that it's always been the case. It's always been very clear. So their argument that it was not, that they've always been saying this is half false, but half true. They ha It has been the case, but they haven't always been saying it. But it's interesting that even he is saying it's a, it's a bombshell. It's a new revelation. It's not really, though. I just think that's very interesting. And I certainly feel personally let down by it. I'm sure a lot of you do. Um, Miss Small, again, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science. Now, what I'd like to do now is pause and explain to you exactly what the speed of science means. But I haven't got a flipping clue. I do know not what it is. It's just words without meaning. The right. speed of science is just words without meaning. What does that mean? What's that supposed to mean? What's it, what's it supposed to convey? Just has no meaning to me at all, unless I'm a bit stupid, of course. And if Miss you know, Moore wants to come on the channel and explain it, then that's absolutely fine, of course. Maybe I'm just being a bit thick here and I don't understand what the speed of science is. But um, I've done 
two two science degrees and a research degree, and I've never heard the term. So anyway, there's always need to learn new things. I've only been doing science since I was eighteen. Um, that, again, remember that's Fauci's the one that's, that coined that, or at least the first time I heard it. Fauci said this in in an interview. Speed of science simply means, as even Tucker put it, that you're moving too fast for the science, and that's even that's a very accurate way to frame it. Right, that you are the speed of science. If you want to argue what they're trying to make you think is that we're going as fast as we can, making sure we're going through all the proper steps. But that's the opposite of what they're saying, right? They're saying we went especially fast because we believe there's such a high risk that we have to. But that's how is that even remotely the speed of science? The speed of science is going through the scientific method, proving every step and making sure it's safe. That's not what happened. That's why people like him who are smart to see through it are insulted by this. It is insulting. Now, here's the point about the censorship. Kate Talks Truth asks, I'm not a lawyer, so Barnes Law, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but did the Alex Jones case just open the door for the people to now sue Rachel Maddow for billions of dollars since she pushed a conspiracy theory that led to injury and death in some cases? Now, look, I'm all for personal. If you want to go out there and sue people based on your perceived slights or legal manipulations, absolutely. I do argue there may be a case collective, like a like a, a a class action against these people, potentially the actual media outlet themselves. But the idea to to use what's happening against Alex Jones, which we all argue is dangerous, no matter what you think about them or the platform, it's going to be used against all of us. So why then are we alive? The, it's very concerning to me the overlap here to be like, okay, well they're going to do it, so why don't we do it back? I'm like, okay, wait a minute here, regardless of what you think of her. And you know my opinion. She is a manipulating, lying, not, I don't think she has any interest in the truth at all. My opinion, based on her work through Russiagate and all the nonsense she spewed and only gotten promoted. But nonetheless, she still exists in the category of supposed journalists. So therefore, we need to apply the lens equally. If we're unhappy with censorship, she should be able to lie and scream as much as she wants in that context. But we should have every right to prove and call her out and expose her. Every which way, including the fact that you have government overlap in that conversation, right? To call for her censorship or even her being sued for her misinforming, it's the same problem, guys, and it will be used back at us. I just hope we can see that. Trust me, these people need to be held accountable. But in a sense of criminal, bottom line is they need to be held accountable for the crimes they're committing, not creating a new category for under the context of journalism or misinformation. That's never been a crime, and it shouldn't be. You have every right to misinform people. You have every right to lie. As much as that's not comfortable for people to say today, that's the truth. It's called free speech. Now, here's Dr. Asim Maholtra, or rather Dr. Eli David, uh, pointing out what he was just saying. And we already played this clip for you, I believe. Highly respected cardiologist. He was the one we just talked a moment ago about a moment ago, and he has shifted his opinion. Throughout his career, he always followed evidence-based medicine, adjusting his views to data and not the other way around like most, quote, experts. But what's interesting is that's not actually what happened here. He's even admitted that he was manipulated, right? That he thought he saw the body of work until finally it was introduced to him and he suddenly saw the through it all. So it shows you, I'm hoping that he's honest in that case, that there's not more of a controlled thing happening here. But it shows you that he evolved with what he saw. But there was a very important part in the middle there where even though he was looking, he wasn't seeing it. That's the big issue there. There are honest people in this that are either afraid to speak out or just have yet to literally see it, which is mind-blowing, but it's there. These are his conclusions and his current for the safe, effective shots. But I'll, I'll play this first, and I'll play the next thing down here. Talk about the point. Being one of the first to take 
double jabbed and being one of the first to take the Pfizer vaccine. I have, after several months, critically appraising the data, speaking to eminent scientists in Oxford, Stanford and Harvard, speaking to two investigative medical journalists and being contacted by two Pfizer whistleblowers, reluctantly concluded that this vaccine is not completely safe and has unprecedented harms, which leads me to conclude that it needs to be suspended until all the raw data has been released for independent analysis. Exactly. Now, what's interesting, though, and now we're going to get into a few points here before we sort of finish up the first arm of this conversation and literally have an entire browser of more tabs to get into. And can't promise we're going to go through all of it today, but we'll see. <clears throat> the point being, there's a, a lot of these things that I see coming. Now, things that have been clear from the very beginning, in, ca- in this case, uh, first one, mucosal immunity, something that Dr. Bhakti called out aggressively right in the beginning. And he's right. If they don't cause mucosal immunity, then there's no way they can stop transmission. And they knew it didn't. Therefore, they knew for sure it didn't stop transmission. So here's the point that brings us all together. It's simple reality. And why is nobody talking? Even as the transmission conversation comes up, where's the mucosal immunity point? Because the rea- I don't. it's a controlled release of information. I feel pretty certain about that. And the end of the day is, if it was a real flow, this would be the first thing that gets brought up by people out in the conversation that are you know, people like Dr. Bakhti, experts that would be like, well, here's why. But it's not, though. It's very, it's being very stopped short on the conversation of that, of Pfizer transmission, and yet not including all the extra peripheral points. He says, if doctors knew about mucosal immunity, not one shot would have been given. But the point is not that if they, they do know about that. Mo, anybody that's in their field knows about that. So where are all the people screaming this is designed to fail? As he writes here, a thread about an elephant in the room while people are discussing vaccine effectiveness and side effects. A design flaw, right? That's a very kind way to put that, caused by a lack of understanding of basic mucosal immunity. Again, kind of erring on the side of they're just incompetent as opposed to criminal, right? But you can read through it yourself. The bottom line is, and this is undeniably true, it does not cause mucosal immunity. They've even argued that's why they talked about the nasal sprays and all these different things. Well, they that proves it was never going to stop transmission, in particular with a respiratory virus. And Dr. Bhakti, first one I'll give credit to on this, was yelling about this in 2020. He's right. So I guess it's only a matter of time until Tucker or somebody else decides to point at this one. And then there's a breaking news about a new thing that we've always been talking about. I mean, I think that's what's happening right now. Now, there's a lot of these people coming out. Now, and in no way am I conflating all of them with each other. I personally, I, I see Dr. Maholtra as being honest. But again, who knows? As I said before, when I first saw Fauci, I, I didn't, my opinion of him as without knowing who he was was incorrect. So I just, that's just a feel. And that's why they tend to use people like that like an Obama situation, because they have the outward look of somebody that's not what they are internally. But we have a lot of these people kind of coming from very controlled positions to suddenly start screaming about the truth, at least part of it. I just saw, for instance, Megyn Kelly. Ah, well, now I see it. You know, a lot of this stuff is happening. Here's Dr. Drew. Of all people, I'm very skeptical about this, but regardless of whether this is controlled or not, this will reach some people that were otherwise not willing to hear it because it's Dr. Drew. So I'm hoping this is genuine, but I'm very skeptical. But here's Dr. Drew changing his tune on vaccines. 
I have an appointment to get the vaccine tomorrow. This is the Pfizer vaccine, but I, I can't care less. With oh, and, and for the podcast, Milk Bar TV made this clip. He, he, con- he compiles the original claims. It's same with Dr. Maholtra, where he's saying, uh, you know, everyone's crazy if they don't get this, to literally the other side of it going, nobody should be getting this. It's a big shift. December 2020, here's Dr. Drew. I have an appointment to get the vaccine tomorrow. This is the Pfizer vaccine, but I, I can't care less whether it's Moderna or Pfizer. Yeah, just get it to me. <laughs> and I had a horrible reaction to the vaccine. I have a son that had a terrible reaction to it. And I'm really very, very concerned. And I did get the booster, um, mm-hmm. which I had double Pfizer and Moderna booster. Um, mm-hmm. three and, and, and a flu shot, by the way. Remember, she's the comedian that passed out on the stage when she was joking about being fine. And they thought she was kidding. And they laughed for like 30, like a minute and a half. And she was laying there on the ground. It could have died. But the, I'm going to have a point about the flu shot in a minute. It's still happening. They are still pushing the flu along, flu shot alongside the COVID shot, despite the fact that they can show you that they have no clue if that's safe. It's just mind-blowing. Two weeks to the day of the fall. Is there anything yeah. that you've seen about time-wise? Because, uh, you know, when I asked the doctors two to, about two to that, three. they said, oh, normally. Okay, go ahead. Two to, two to three weeks. Two to three weeks is where you see really? a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, but just stay for 15 minutes, even though the original discussion was 30 minutes, and so 15 is the minimum, and yet all of them went 15 minutes. <laughs> Isn't that very telling? But the point is, three weeks, or what Fauci has said before, months. We can These side effects go, this is before COVID, of course, then everything changes because, you know, they lie to you, but interesting. I have a friend that got the booster, and he is dis- he got really destroyed by it. He still can't walk across the room. He's having all it. kinds of symptoms. There's a lot of funny stuff. Uh, we don't really know what it all is and where it's coming from, but it's still worth doing it. I'm not. I'm not at the point where I'm saying that it's it's still worth the risk. Before these vaccines, myocarditis was a. Okay, now it's March 2022, right? So that was the middle. Now it's March 2022. This is an important point about myocarditis. This is why I feel like it might just it might be genuine because this is important. What he says right here. Freaking medical, before these vaccines, myocarditis was a freaking medical emergency. It First of all, is. rare, you rarely saw it. And if you saw it, that person is going into the hospital right now. Uh, they could yeah. die any second with an arrhythmia. They could end up with a cardiac transplant because of a cardiomyopathy. Oh you don't know where you're going. And it is a serious medical emergency. And people yeah. talk about like, yeah, yeah, well, one in one, one in one in fifteen hundred, maybe one in three thousand myocarditis. What? So what? So what? Think about this spike protein. August twenty twenty two. Whether it is whether it's from the infection or from the from the vaccines that is doing some endovascular damage of some type. But what do you say? Right, and right there, right. That's a lie. They don't want you to talk. They pretend it's a lie. That's not true. The vaccine spike protein is different than the, well, yeah, it is actually technically different, but it's equally concerning and dangerous. And peer-reviewed science has proven that. And and here's here's somebody that was once arguing that it was good, making the same point. It's causing blood clots, heart attacks, myocarditis, stroke, all of it. You're, You're right. The spike protein is what's doing it, but you have just injected in you a roadmap that says, Start creating this toxic thing that's going to attack all of your organ systems and it's going to attach itself to the endothelium of your vasculature. So, yeah, and there's no off switch. Um, But I think that you are underestimating the amount of data that's actually out there with regard to these events. The study came out in circulation last this week 
that suggested that in men under 40, the risk of myocarditis is five times higher from the Moderna vaccine than from COVID itself. Right there. That would qualify as misinformation, even though it's factually accurate. So so here's Drew getting frustrated, right, with the fact that even he is now being called misinformation and censored when he says things that are true. I just think that's an important clip where he's going, look, that right there is fake news, but, but even though it's provable. So it just kind of shows you that there at some level are people are even, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always concerned about a controlled move of corporate media into independent media. I mean, I, I made the argument the other day, we all saw what happened with groups like Vice and, you know, all these different groups that came out a while back acting like they were independent and very clearly are not and never were, right? Now it's the same kind of thing happening in YouTube and everything else. Not that that's the case here. I don't know for sure, but we need to ask that always question everything right but nonetheless that's important great great clip milk bar tv that's a good one i think that's a really important one but here's another example and this guy this guy's been again he's been calling this stuff out to a small degree or not small degree to a certain degree for a whole time as far as i can tell dr paul offit here he is telling you exactly what we've been telling you what he the reason he voted no on these shots not that it was you know not sure but that he did not see a benefit at all and yet they act like the experts agree except literally one of the experts in the vote said no and doesn't. But yeah, let's just frame it as all of them agree. That's what they're doing. Do the benefits of this vaccine outweigh the risks? I didn't see the benefits. Exactly. Dr. Paul Offit, a voting member of the FDA panel that approves vaccines. This is what he thinks of the new COVID We injections. really need much better data, I think, before we move forward on this. And I can only hope that it's coming because I feel very strongly about my no vote there. In fact, the only reason I voted no was because hell no was not a choice. And, and think it just um, surprised me that we... The only reason I voted no was because hell no was not a choice. And, wow. and it just... Um, surprised me that we were willing to go forward with this with such scant evidence of benefit. I think that the phrase that I used was uncomfortably scant. So you, you just hey. sort of felt like the fix was in a little bit here. Maybe that's not the right phrase, but it was something that, that they wanted. And I felt like we were being led here and with that, with, with a, a critical lack of information. Right now, they're saying that we should trust mouse data. And I don't think that should ever be true. I, I don't think you should ever ask tens of millions of people to get a vaccine based on mouse data. And there's no public data on that yet. What's more, for these fall booster shots, the FDA is not consulting with Dr. Offit and the rest of the Independent Vaccine Advisory Committee. The reason to consult us is because when you do that, when you you consult us, that's open to the public. So we'll get then all the data from the two companies, which then is available to the public. Which has bit them in in the butt numerous times. And that's why they just skipped it this time. Unprecedented. Not doing that by simply saying we don't need that advice. What they're also saying is we're not going to be transparent about what we have to the American public. And I just think that's not fair. If you clearly have evidence of benefit, um, great. But if you don't clearly don't have evidence of benefit, then then say no. Wow. How do you possibly ignore something like that? You know what I mean? Like, that's wild. Somebody who in, is involved in the vote itself, who, by the way, they still misrepresent and say all the experts agree. And he's literally saying the fix was in. That's his term. Wow. Now, despite all of that, guys, they're still going forward with these. They're still mandating these things right now in colleges, for schools. 
Now, here's this thing kind of blows me away right here. So what we've been telling you that's going to happen is already happening, even if it's narrative, by the way. Which I don't know why they would be saying it if it's just narrative, but it's happening. They're claiming that the BA4-6 now is beginning to rise and a couple of other ones they've been pointing at. So the, the shift has already started. Now, if that's the, because of the uninjected, that doesn't make sense, especially since what they're telling you is that most people have these at least one shot or two shots. The bottom line is it's obvious that the transmission spreading between the injected are why this continues to happen, if that's even actually happening. But the point is their narrative is that we'll take the B4-5 injection now, even though we have no data, we don't know if it's safe, it wasn't tested. I mean, I'll even make another point about it in a second. But here they go, BA4, BA4-6 is already rising. So just realize that's already happening and they're still forcing this in. But the, the most alarming part to me, guess where the name comes from? Apparently it's already been given a name. You know where? Twitter. BA, BA4-6 dubbed, I think it's Eternia by variant trackers on the Twitterverse. Oh, cool. So it's just a social thing now. So now just Twitter's naming variants for, for Pfizer and everybody else that we're all going to go by. I don't know. We'll see. Let's see if that becomes the name. And that'll be very telling whether Twitter is deciding the names. I mean, this is a very weird reality. It's like a game show. Reality TV almost, right? Well, here's the concerning part for me. They're moving forward as if the booster is just an extension of the same thing they've already had. That's why I think they've been conflating the term booster with injection. Even though the White House was essentially chastised for calling it a booster, they went to a an, an vaccine, and yet literally nobody else went along with that. They're still all pushing booster, booster shots, booster shot. And you know why? Well, guess what? They just expanded the new thing that hasn't been given to children as young as five. Well, how was that possible? How can they expand if it just came out? Well, because they're expanding from the original earlier boosters and acting like it's the same thing. So now we're going to just say, here, give five-year-olds this new bivalent shot that hasn't been tested. That's literally what's happening right now. This is October 12th. It says the CDC signed off Wednesday on the use of updated COVID boosters for children as young as five. Five years old. Updated boosters? No, we're talking about a brand new injection that's made differently with different ingredients, and we're literally going, oh, but we can just stand on the previous thing. Just like we pretend we stand on the B1 data that was already flimsy itself and pretend that translates to this. It doesn't. And even if it does, they're all dangerous anyway. And on top of that, we're talking about eight might We didn't do safety. None of this. But so they're talking about the boot, the earlier booster they had and saying we're going to expand that to age as young as five, but we're not expanding that. You're, exp- you're including the bivalent shot. It says, like the boosters that came became available for people 12 and older in September, so not the bivalent, the older shot, a different shot. These bivalent boosters target the original coronavirus strain as well as the BA4 and 5. Right. So tell me how it's legal that you're going to stand on an emergency authorization for a different shot and expand that authorization to a completely different shot. Anybody? Do we even care? This is off the rails. Everything seems to be. It's not even a new point. We have lost the plot here. This is wildly unscientific. It's wildly dangerous as if all of it hasn't been this whole time. This is, this is the same difference as saying we're going to expand the COVID authorization to this new hepatitis shot. Right. So we allowed the COVID shot to be given to 12 year olds, but we're going to expand it to five year olds and give the five year olds this hepatitis shot. That's really not that different. Just because it's aimed at the same thing doesn't mean it's not a different thing. It's a new shot, new ingredients. 
that haven't been tested and you're using the old emergency authorization, expanding it to children. You should have to go through every single process for this thing, not just jump to the next step. Paul Offit said it, guys. The fix was in. They wanted this and it didn't seem to care about the facts. There's your example. And you're giving it to children, young as five, that don't need it, who aren't at risk, who have one in 1,500 chance of myocarditis. But yeah, I'll let a comedian tell you it's okay, though, right? My God. Here's Dr. Clay, Claire Craig when he says, I'm pleased to share that we have received emergency use authorization for our Omicron BA4 adapted COVID vaccine for children 5 to 11. This is an important milestone. Wow. She says, nowhere in the press release do Pfizer make a claim about what this drug offers children of this age. They don't care. And and to the point of the first comment, the harms don't even play. We're not even talking about safety anymore. It's whether it produces antibodies. Are they the right antibodies? Who cares? As long as we see a clinical response, we jam it in kids' arms. Just like Bill Gates said that one time, right? Just jamming it right in their vein. Yeah, exactly. What's the offer here? What's the benefit? What's the risk to them? What's the benefit versus the risk? We don't even talk about this anymore. They just like to say the mantra. Well, here's Dr. Maholtra making an interesting point about the mRNA and the, and the censorship. Again, this is important coming from him. But the point is about how Facebook is censoring the reality of these injections. If you don't think they've lost control of this narrative, you're not paying attention. You still uh, actually suspended from uh, from Facebook, Asim, or, or are you back on there now? No, good evening, Mark. Well, initially I was suspended for 24 hours. Okay, so somebody who was moments ago on their side, who is highly credentialed, has the right to speak on this, says something not the same as the narrative, and they censor him instantly. You see how quickly you become an expert, where you were an expert, you suddenly become a conspiracy theorist because you have a different opinion. How transparent is that? And these these are social media companies deciding that he doesn't know what he's talking about? <laughs> My God, everybody sees through this. For that particular post, and, um, essentially just sharing what the general surgeon of Florida had said around uh, people between the ages 39 um, and, and 18 really not to have the vaccine because of a very clear signal of increase in cardiac arrest in that group. Um, and then today I found out I was suspended for another three days because of a post that I put up two weeks ago, which was a reference to my peer-reviewed uh, research into correcting the pandemic of misinformation on the COVID-19 vaccine. So, um, yes, that's where we are at the moment. And wow. to be honest, Mark, I think this really represents what happened to me just represents a symptom or a microcosm uh-huh. um, of the uh, system failure that we are currently going mm. through uh, and experiencing a system that encourages good people to do bad things, a system that puts the private interests of big corporations ahead of patients and public health. Uh, a system where the legal entity that is the corporation has too much unchecked power over the media, over social media. And what does that ultimately mean? Well, it means that we aren't just having suppression of free speech. We're having deliberate suppression of the truth. And therefore, as far as I'm concerned, um, and I'm not just the only one, you know, Facebook uh, actually even um, called uh, one of the most pivotal, most important stories of the pandemic, which was the BMJ's inf- investigation into fraud. Yes. Um, that, that's Brooke Jackson, guys. 
we were the very first person to interview her. I recommend you check that out. All the data is in that interview proving she's right. It's only just fleshing out through the court system and everything now, but it was all there from the very beginning. Provable. Easy. Alleged by a Pfizer whistleblower. They call that misinformation. In fact, the BMJ editors wrote an editorial where they described Facebook fact-checkers as being incompetent. So what does this mean in terms of Facebook? And we could go into the root causes of it as well. As far as I'm concerned, mm. Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg are enemies of democracy. And whenever they are mentioned in any uh, context whatsoever, everybody should know Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, as far as I'm concerned, in fact, they should know it. they are enemies of democracy. He is an enemy of democracy. Now, again, here's the same example, right? I mean, the idea that this was happening, it's been easily provable, right? I mean, the fact that we've talked about this for a long time, I mean, the, the, the main point. Well, one was the, the Florida, which we'll point out next, the, the Florida, the, the, the uh, well, I forget his title all of a sudden, the, 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 the state of Florida put out the information from their health, their health uh, institutions about the risk that we'll show you next, which is undeniable. And it got censored or his peer review documentation gets censored. I mean, how crazy is that? But the reality of the doc, the doc, Brooke Jackson being censored as, as fake news or the British medical journal being censored as fake news. We were talking about this a year ago, right? I mean, it's, it's, in, but the point is that he's breaking through because he can reach the people that would otherwise be questioning this unless they just decide he changed the narrative. Therefore he's now fake news somehow influenced by these alt-right conspiracy theorists or, you know, whatever their nine, mindset allows them to think. But it does break through. It's a good, and I do think it's a good thing. But just realize this information has all been there, always, and it's all been clear. It's all been talked about. So just realize the one demonstrating the value here for this platform, but also that it's interesting to see how people who might be honest, who are stuck in the system, can't see it, even though it's being waved in front of them until they suddenly can. Now, on the point of mRNA, I wanted to. I knew that happened, so it did delete it. No, oh, it's right there. Okay, good. This is an interesting overlap really quickly with mRNA before we go into censorship in regard to the blood discussion, right? Here is what Red Cross said the other day. Now, I will reference this discussion we just had about the vaxxed Red Cross blood donations. And now we can prove easily with a phone call to Red Cross that was on the record as well as as many other examples of them hiding and altering what they said, that there's a real example. It's obvious they know there's a problem here with the blood donations. But they said, we don't label blood products, this was on September 13th, 2022, as containing vaccinated or unvaccinated blood, as the COVID-19 vaccine does not enter the bloodstream. That's utterly false. I've proven it to you with numerous peer-reviewed science and uh, scientific studies, all in, this, all in this show, all for you to check out. But here's an interesting point. They act like it's not a big deal. One, it does enter the bloodstream. So the fact that we know that, it's been proven numerous times. And yet they're still not labeling it other ways. Here's why this is important. This goes back to an HIV discussion. How 175 British children were infected with disease. This is published on October 6th. In general, the bottom line is that a lot of these kids ended up with HIV. Or really specifically with different things. One of them is HIV. Some of them have hemophilia disorders and different things. Or rather, I, I think, actually, no, it's the other way around. that They had genetic disorders that they were being treated for and ended up with HIV because of this treatment. Now, here's the overlap. As it says, between 1970 and 1991, 1,250 people, children with blood disorders, I think it was largely children, were infected with HIV in the UK after taking factor uh, seven, eight, excuse me, Roman numerals, factor eight, 
a new treatment that replaced the clotting protein missing from their blood. Okay, so it's a new treatment that inserts protein. Sounds sort of familiar, right? Tens of thousands of others are believed to have been exposed to hepatitis C, which can cause liver, liver failure and cancer, either through the same treatment or a blood transfusion. About half of those infected with HIV died of AIDS-related illness before life-saving antiviral, uh, antiretroviral drugs became available. So my simple point here is, guys, these things absolutely do translate. And the idea that we're pretending like this treatment with similar overlaps to what the injections are doing can't be translated, even though we're proving it's in the blood. Here's an example of exactly that. Using treatments that then end up being transferred to other people in blood transfusions. I mean, it's, it, there's a precedent for this. The problem is they don't want you to think about it. And they lie to you on September 13th, even though numerous studies have said this a year ago. So check it out for yourself. I think it's a really important conversation. Now, the problem is that a lot of these things are being ignored. Now, I think, oh, actually, I had uh, one conversation. Yeah, before we get into the censorship, there was a conversation I wanted to have about the flu really quickly. Now, this is interesting, as you already saw. I've talked about this numerous times that right now they're pushing the flu shot alongside the COVID shot, despite the fact that it's provable that they don't know if it's safe, both from the FDA documentation and the Pfizer documentation. As it says right here, September, it's last month. Studies should determine if the co-administration of the mRNA vaccine with other vaccines and whether they may affect the efficacy or safety of either vaccine have not been performed, as well as like the other girl was saying, unknown at present, the long-term safety data. All that considered, it's obvious that to give the flu shot or any shot next to this means you don't know what may happen. You don't know if it's safe. Therefore, it should not happen. Here is the other documents. This is from the, uh, this is the FDA documentation. There is no information on the co-administration of Pfizer injections or the bivalent with other vaccines. So we don't know. That was August. Both of them in 2022. And yet, both CVS and Walgreens, come in, get them right next to it. Get the shots at the same time. We'll even give you a discount. Okay, so they're being dangerous because they're told to, apparently. But how can the COVID jab, bivalent and original, which my point here too, they're conflating them in these documentation. How can they be given at Walgreens and CVS alongside the flu shot if the most current documentation shows they have no idea if it's safe? As I said, adding to this, here's where the CDC, headed by Walensky, incorrectly tell you these shots can be safely given alongside each other. Look at it for yourself. The links are below. In contradiction to the most up-to-date documentation. So those that would be trusting what the CDC says as fact would be misled here. You see? Because they're lying to you or they're wrong. However you want to look at it. Here's the source links right down here. So the point is, how is that possible? Well, here's an example of how it's hurting people. Now, totally canceled, apparently got forced to delete this tweet, but nonetheless, it's still true. Tragically, vaccine advocate Junior DePax in Brazil died suddenly and expectedly after receiving the new COVID vaccine and flu vaccine at the same time. Now, here are the tweet, the post. Here's his post himself. Fourth dose of COVID vaccine. Okay. Flu shot is okay. And let me be the next and let the next ones come. Yes, I will continue to take as many shots as necessary. And sadly, he died. Now, you could argue it's not connected. The simple reality that you're doing something that you you don't know is safe and then you die, maybe that should be investigated, don't you think? But somebody should be asking why it's allowed that he should be getting a flu shot alongside this shot when nobody knows if it's safe. Here's Walensky. I'm getting my flu vaccine this week. Do you have any questions about them? Reply with your questions. Pushing the flu shot. 
And what's funny about this is how every, I mean, everybody in the chat is, are they safe and effective? Here's Brooke Jackson. Girl, bye. New York Times. We have overprompted, overhyped the flu vaccine. When Thomas Massey, when you refer to the flu shots as vaccines, which definition of vaccines are you using this week? Everybody sees through this. Now, yes, a lot of these people are the outspoken ones, but just look through the comments. Everybody seems to be calling this out. Don't you think there'd be, I mean, that's interesting. <laughs> but don't you think there'd be some people on their side? The, the reality is that this is pretty obviously being pushed, and I'm concerned by that. Here's another push. Better COVID-related outcomes when older adults get the flu shot. Study shows, which is a flimsy as hell study, the bottom line is correlation. But the reality is these people are more at risk from the shots you're giving them than what you claim is circulating. And that's my opinion based on the data. But I, that's my point about not soft-rolling this. I don't think there's any anybody out there. And that's what Dr. Peter McCullough is now saying and plenty of others. Anybody that benefits from this. They're dangerous for everybody across the board. I really think we need to stop playing this game. And that's what the data shows you. The spike protein is a toxin. So it, it's not, it doesn't matter whether it's J&J, AstraZeneca, Moderna, uh, Pfizer. They all make your body make a spike protein. That spike protein binds to a tumor suppressor gene family, P53. It also binds to the breast cancer gene, BRCA, and the ovarian cancer gene, BRCA. We know that that spike protein can induce cancer pathways, period. It's happening. Cancers are on the increase across the board, lymphomas, leukemias, blood cancers, because that spike goes to the bone marrow. The lipid nanoparticle carries the mRNA to your dividing stem cells because it doesn't stay in the arm. It can go into any cell in your body and it turns that cell into a spike factory. It inhibits the ability for your DNA to repair itself. It binds to uh, our mitochondria, destroys the energy of our brain cells, destroys the energy of our liver cells, destroys the energy of any cell it gets into. Your own immune system attacks those cells. So a lot of people have arthritic pain, muscle pain. It's because those cells are being attacked by your own immune system because they're expressing this foreign spike protein. That spike protein causes mechanisms of cancer in many people, and I've been seeing that in the lab. I've been having it confirmed by oncologists, radiologists, radiation oncologists, pathologists all around the world as I travel. It is happening. It's on the uptick. Our military database showed it until our Department of Defense illegally froze that database and hit the data. Um, this is a crime against humanity where using a dangerous product on humanity that is harming the human cells, that is harming the human body, that is harming our hormones, that is harming our reproductive organs, that is harming any organ where that that protein lands, period. Right. There is no possible benefit here. Now, an interesting overlap with the drug factory point. I, 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 I never really define this for people. I always play it in the open. But remember, this clip I've been playing since the beginning of actually pre-COVID-19. And the idea is that this is what they were promoting. from, And you can even see a Pfizer lab coat in this clip from Forbes saying they want to turn your body into a drug factory where you can create the drugs from within your body. I mean, it's just amazing how very clear this all is. <laughs> and and it overlaps with exactly what's happening now. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Right. So we're going to turn your body into drug factories. You know, how do you do that? Genetic, en genetic, uh, genetic therapy, genetic engineering, manipulation. That's what that is. 
But back to the point. Get the flu shot, right? Well, here's an interesting overlap. Pfizer's COVID drug Paxlovid, which we were talking about in the in the uh, Discord chat today, which I hope nobody is taking my personal opinion, because even their own research is now coming out to show, as it says here, what, what this was used to treat Biden and Fauci and everybody else they claim anyway, can cause deadly blood clots when used with other things. Interesting, right? But on top of that, their own study shows that apparently under 65, there's like no benefit. And of course, it's, it's, it's a limited manipulation. It's a, that's why we jokingly call it Pfizer-Mectin. This is a one-trick pony, as I think it was even, uh, what we, what's it, we just played his clip, the older guy, I forget his name all of a sudden, but he's the one that said this, and he has a high-level expert. Simply saying it, ivermectin did all sorts of things that was benefit. That's why the peer-reviewed science is finding that. They pluck out one thing from it and try to make a, that's like when they make the, the cannabis drug that hurts people because they don't, it's, it loses the natural effects of the things in regard to cannabis anyway, but they bastardize the ivermectin and make their own drug from it, and it's hurting people. Right. But watch this clip. Now, Dr. Amati, here's another um, one of the uh, one that California might come after for you for talking about. A scientific review article now warns that Paxlovid, which was used to treat Biden and Fauci after they got COVID and they got rebound COVID after they used it, uh, can cause deadly blood clots when coupled with heart disease meds. Dr. Hamadi, Paxlovid, your reaction? You know, look, we know that and- heart disease meds, right? Think about that. <laughs> Every, everybody out there is increasing with this dramatic problem. We're all baffled by how everyone's having heart problems. Kids and everybody. And, and then, you're, then you're giving them something on top of that that then creates the problem. Now, is it the meds or is it the problem itself? Interesting overlap regardless. And the point is that we are talking about at a time, which I'll show you next, when Moderna is letting out of the bag that they're working on a drug using mRNA to fight the same problem. Any drug has side effects we know especially that any drug especially a combo of two different drugs which makes it exponentially more likely to have uh interactions with other drugs is ah okay and there's the point obviously so an experts clearly can go well you you know interact drugs interacting well that's the point isn't it because you should test these things if you haven't tested them alongside these drugs then they should never be given next to each other and there's your point and yet they're pushing that anyway maybe they want people to get hurt i don't know but the reality is what he just said, and we know that. That's why they test them alongside each other. That's why it's listed in their documentation. But their point is, we don't know because we didn't do it. But do it anyway. It's going to have these sorts of issues. The problem is that Paxlovid didn't have these lengthy phase one, two, and three trials. It was rushed to market under an emergency use yeah. authorization. Never right. Rushed for, you know, we're going to do this dangerous rush for your safety. For an approval. And as a result, they've skipped a lot of these studies. And so what... We're learning about that drug and its safety is largely based on post-marketing data. What does that mean? It's people who are actually getting it in the real life, in real world usage. And then we find out through them. Right. So you're the experiment, guys, as always. And getting blood clots from the treatment that's meant to stop you from the problem that they claim gives you blood clots is exactly what you might expect today. Right. Same thing. Here's a vaccine to stop the dangerous blood clots from COVID-19 that give you even worse or arguably the problem being blood clots from the injections themselves. But the bottom line is that this is unscientific. You're rushing through things and then pointing at the problems and then ignoring them most of the time when they happen in the very people because you didn't look at it or probably because, in my opinion, they knew there was this risk and didn't want you to see it first. I mean, look, that sounds pretty nefarious, but my God, guys, look at what's happening right now. That's just my opinion. However you look at it, the reality, (coughs) excuse me, is that there's a problem here. 
and that they're pushing these things under the guise for of your safety when it's very clear that at the very least the rush is not safe. Now, here's an overlap point about the mask, just really quickly. Orwell pointed out, thank you for that. Simply saying, if you've been watching T-Lab this whole time, that in the, currently after hours live, thank you, B-Rich, for letting us use this. Can't scroll out. There we go. Most would have had that study in hand when it hit the internet. Here's the point. You're not going to be surprised at what they say here. A systematic review of comparative epidemiological studies, which we've been going over since 2020, examining SARS-CoV-2 infection or adverse event incidents in uh, healthcare workers wearing P2 or N95 or equivalent respirators and surgical masks. So what they're doing, they're comparing surgical masks with N95s and seeing if there's if they have any differences. Don't forget, we were we just went from a point where they were saying no surgical masks, no no medical mask, no we need N95s. That's it. The rest of them don't really work like we said. Yeah, exactly. None of them are statistically significant in reducing transmission. And this is what they find. <laughs> what a shock. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Compared with surgical N95 have, quote, no statistically significant difference in preventing SARS-CoV-2 infection. Oh my God, it's almost like we've heard this before. Significantly more headaches, respiratory distress, facial irritation. Oh, so they hurt you as well. I thought that was all fake news. Except when you listen to any doctor who's willing to be honest with you and tell you that I've had headaches and problems, even when you wear it for a few hours during surgery. Yes, but yet we have kids collapsing in PE, wearing them all day, every day, all the time, getting extra infections, having teeth problems. It's all fake news. because It's not the thing we're told. It's willful ignorance. Here's the study. May 2022, effectiveness and adverse effects comparing N95s with surgical masks. Not even cloth masks. Like That's off the table now, even though that's what they forced on everybody for two years. It says there was no statistically significant difference in respirator or surgical mask effectiveness in preventing SARS-CoV-2. Meaning it doesn't, guys. <laughs> Period. So neither of them have a statistically significant effect. That's not what they're meant to do. If you wanted that context, that's when you go to the level of a true respirator, like they use at BSL-4 labs or BSL labs in general. Healthcare workers experienced, and by the way, those are, you, there's like a 20 minutes of, of setup and prep and they have to be fitted exactly to your body if you train how to use them. Like the, the illusion that they think this is how, that masks are a part of this. I don't think they, I think they've always known this is a lie. Healthcare workers experienced significantly more headaches. That means, that means oxygen, Disp- that that's that's uh, hypercapnia, hypoxia, one being uh, into the lack of oxygen in general, the other being too much CO2 in your blood. Facial irritation, pressure-related injuries when wearing respirators compared to surgical masks. But of course, the trust the science crowd is going to ignore this like all the other science they don't like. Now, going over into censorship, I thought it would be important to start with this discussion. Now, here's e- epic, epo- uh, <laughs> epic times. Moderna CEO confirms, which I do agree with, new, new MRI injection to repair heart muscle after heart attack, which is terrifying to me, seeing as how the mRNA is, in fact, part of the reason that's happening. I do think the spike protein is the biggest issue, but the mRNA is clearly part of that. So, too, with lipid nanoparticles. But the point is that it did happen. But this tweet that has 5,000 likes and 2,000 retweets is wrong. Breaking. Moderna releases new vaccine that cures myocarditis. Now, here's the problem, guys. Does this person have a right to say that? 100%. Even though it's wrong, even though it's incorrect, even though it's misinforming people, they have every right to say it. One, they probably think they're right, which is a point that we always ignore in the, the nuance of the conversation. As If they believe they're right, is it misinformation or they're just wrong? But even if they know it's wrong, they still have a right to do it. 
That's the problem with where we are today. You need to apply this equally. We can't, if we're not, if we want to argue censorship is wrong, then we need to apply it equally and argue that they just need to be called out. But then they censor us. And that's the point is they censor us and they control the conversation. We just need to break through that, call it out, not censor in reverse. But the point is this person's wrong and it gets spread. And now the argument then becomes we're fake news because even if I talk about it correctly, because the argument is we're suggesting it's been a really, but here's the point it's happening. But it's a, it's a, in, it was in a very recent interview that they just let out of the bag, essentially, that they are doing this, but it's in the works. See, so that it's, it's always it's, we need to be better than them. We can't play their same game because then we're just as bad as they are. It's like saying we want to force people not to take injections. That's just as problematic, guys. We're still controlling people's lives and their choices. It'll eventually spin around and be used against us in some way. We need to allow choice, freedom of choice. But this case here he is. I'll play this clip from Chief Nerd. A good account on here, by the way. They tend to have some pretty good clips on here. Moderna to release updated booster shot. That's talking about the bivalent. But here's the question. Or the, the point, anyway. Moderna, before COVID, could very well have collapsed and disappeared. All that technology could have disappeared simply because there might not have been the venture capital out there that was prepared to keep backing it. Again, first point is, well, COVID saved them, like all the rest of them, because mRNA had failed over and over and over and somehow magically kept getting millions and billions of dollars, right? But suddenly COVID and they were all saved and now are profiting profiting wildly, even as they aren't selling shots anymore. Something strange there, right? Yes, what most people don't appreciate is we raised three billion US dollars to get the technology to this point when the pandemic happened. And we were expecting to raise a couple more billions before we're turning a profit. But you were looking for things such as hard tumors, how to break those down, things for heart disease, different things. You weren't necessarily looking at that time for flu-type symptoms, were you? So we were working for infectious disease. So we had already a big portfolio of infectious disease vaccines. But to your point, we've always thought that this information molecule, the mRNA, could be a very, very powerful medicine that we inject in your body so you make your own drug. There it is, guys. Right. So you are becoming, and then the point is not this one time and here's the new shot for the next thing. What they're arguing is this becomes a platform where we simply update the information that produces a new drug in your body. That's what that clip was talking about. This is fake news on Twitter right now. The corporate media has no idea about this fake news, even though Sky News is literally interviewing this guy. This is the point. It's always been the point, and it's been a play, at least in the context of the mRNA direction, and they've known this since the very beginning. It's undeniable. So the next point is about the the heart focus and how concerning that is with what they're causing. It's sort of like, uh, you know, what's the company? I'm forgetting all of a sudden the, I mean, Pfizer was involved in the opioid problem as well, but uh, for Purdue Pharma, coming out with the Narcan drug and on the record after the fact anyway, revealing that they, they discussed how they knew it was hurting people, but instead of stopping the drug, they just made a drug that would reduce the level of overdoses, but kept pushing the sales and manipulating the drugs of things they knew were causing a problem. You're, you're making, you're, you're, you're profiting from both ends. Um, and as you described, we have exciting programs in cancer, you know, in skin cancer. We're going to have the data by the end of this year. We just presented two weeks ago at our annual R&D day data in rare genetic disease where kids are unlucky. They get wrong DNA from mom and dad, and they cannot make a protein that you and I have. So what do we do? We design in the mRNA 
instead of spike, to say your protein to make spike, like in the vaccine case, we put the instruction that you and I have in our DNA. And we give it IV to those kids to go into their liver. Mm. And when the mRNA delivers the instruction in their liver, they make the protein that they are missing. And the early clinical data in terms of reduction of hospitalization is quite compelling. And so I think rare disease is also something we can do. As you say, cardiology, we have now in a clinic a super exciting program when we inject mRNA in people's heart after a heart attack to grow back new blood vessels to help revascularize the heart. So it's a bit like science fiction medicine, but that's what is really exciting to me. But the, the other side of this is that right now, Moderna, though it has this pipeline, has one commercial product. Yeah, and the same point. But you see, it's barely in clinical trials, right? So the argument that it's been, and it's widely shared and discussed, that it's already released as a new injection to cure myocarditis, it's not even, I mean, all of that's incorrect. Could it be true? Of course. And that's usually how these arguments go. Well, 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 you know that what they're really trying to do. Okay, it's a different argument. We're not trying to argue that your lie aligns with what you think the truth might be, lying for your truth. And I, I shouldn't be, I'm not, it has nothing to do with this account. I don't know whether they're incorrect or they know that or not. My point is about how this tends to go in the party politics of it all. But the reality is it's important because it is happening. But it gets misinterpreted, misframed by a lot of people in media, and then it gets used to then censor people, regardless of whether they have the right to be wrong or lie, right? But nonetheless, to the point, think about alert alarming that is. We're talking about something that has never even remotely proven out to be safe and effective. And we're already standing on this house of cards to make things you're going to arguably inject into kids' hearts to stop the problem that you are arguably creating with the dangerous injection you claim is safe and effective. I mean, gosh, that's crazy. It really is concerning to me. And coming to the point of the censorship, here's why they censor this, because that is what we're finding. Now, first of all, this was removed and then brought back. But Twitter removed the Surgeon General of Florida, Joseph Ladapo's tweet, announcing how a study into COVID RNA, mRNA vaccine found, and we already reported this to you, it is mind-blowing, 84% increase in cardiac-related death for men age 18 to 39. I mean, between 18 and 40, you're talking about an 84% increase in cardiac problems, myocarditis, heart attack, stroke, and it's mind-blowing, unprecedented. And then, of course, they brought it back. It was gone until this morning, but now it's there. Here's the overall tweets. The point was simply that finally, it's really hard to imagine that the mRNA code vaccine that increases myocarditis in young men by 10, 20, 30 times also increased the risk of cardiac death in that age group. Of course it's not. And we all know it, right? His simple point is if we know it causes myocarditis, it's not a hard sell to understand that it increases general cardiac death. That's the connection. And the problem is it's un at the very least, it's peer-reviewed science. But they don't want to talk about it. That's why they tried to censor it and apparently got enough pushback to bring it back. But the reality, first of all, is that it's hurting people. The cardiac problem, it's all there. We're going to get into the, the more of the risk in a second. But on the censorship part of it, <clears throat> there's a lot of people out there trying to control and act like they're on your side. And I want to include this in this one point. Google has approved Trump's Truth Social app for release in its app Play Store. It's problematic. Now, plenty of them are like that. I think all of them, for the most part, all of them. True Social, Parler, Getter. I mean, most of them overlap with these problematic areas, which I get. I don't know if they just don't see the risk or not, or it's a choice to be compromised. I don't know. But the problem is that, as I said, ask yourself why any genuine free speech platform would work with these manipulators, willingly allowing this rug to be placed, knowing they will simply pull it out from under you the moment they feel it necessary, just like YouTube. Could be ignorance, but either way, 
Now, I was just talking with Sovereign today, actually, and I think that they're one of the only platforms out there that is going out of their way, except, you know, sad, safer super you, which no longer exists, which really upsets me every time I think about it. Because they were doing the same thing and they were they were going far with it. But now Sovereign is going out of its way to not overlap with Amazon cloud services, AWS, with with Google, with any of this stuff, app stores. And it dramatically puts them behind everybody else. I, but I greatly respect them for fighting for that because that's the only direction we should be going. And you got places like Odyssey and BitChute that are doing a similar thing. And I think it's important that we align with the ones that are absolutely trying to fight the control, the monster that we can see from Google and all the rest of it. But maybe they don't know it. I don't know what they're, that's, that's a problem. You know, how can you watch yourself get dissensored <laughs> using the app store with other platforms and then fall right into the same trap? Kind of speaks to the reality that it's not really about free speech. That'd be my guess. But on the same point of censorship, Turkey has now adopted the similar law we're seeing in it elsewhere in the U.S. and the U.K. that allows imprisonment, taking it a little step further, kind of a, 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 a glimpse in the future of where this is going, imprisonment of social network users and journalists for spreading what they deem disinformation ahead of elections. Wow. I mean, you can see the lockstep here in general. So they're just dictating what is and is not true around elections and then arresting anybody that says otherwise. So that's government controlling journalism at the very least and controlling the flow of information. Various from Turkey, more than anybody, very concerning, but no more so really than the U.S. or anybody else. That's where this all goes. It says users who disseminate disinformation will face a prison sentence one to three years that sentence can be increased by half for owners of anonymous accounts. See, they're attacking it from every possible angle. Wow. Fake news. Jailed for fake news. On top of that, Candace Malcolm from True North points out a new, a, new, a new push, basically. Treating vaccine hesitancy, whatever they want that to be, with drugs and psychotherapy. We know they've already been trying to make this argument that you're just broken right the reason you don't take the safe and effective thing is because you don't understand and you're confused by fake news and we need to help you that's this is still happening think about how crazy that is finally cdc puts out a similar point the one health approach right don't you love how everything everywhere else is about about you know individual and like you know the even like the, we were just talking about the earlier point about the the school and, and racial segregation now, it's not that we need to go equal. We want to go, we want to do what you were doing before. You know, that's kind of how, the, but here in this case, though, they want a one size fits all issue. Like in every other case, the CDC is pointing out how it's not one size fits all. But here, though, when it comes to your health, we want a one size fits all approach. One health approach recognizes the health of people, animals, and the environment are closely related. Experts must work together to monitor and improve health for all. Great. So experts need to monitor your health so we can make sure everyone's in line in the same direction. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all one approach, but that's what they're doing with the vaccine, they're doing with everything else. Since COVID, everything shifted. That's the point. But this is what they want you to think is the right thing to do. The problem, though, is that they're hurting people, and it's undeniably clear. Fully vaccinated, Julius points out. Here is Representative Sean Caston. In, in case you all missed it, an Illinois, an Illinois, how would you say that? Illinoisan, Illinoisan, 12-year-old, are eligible for vaccine. They are safe and effective, he says, and key to our path back to normalcy. Everyone in my family, including my 14-year-old daughter, has started their vaccination process. 
Representative Sean Caston reveals teenage daughter died from cardiac arrhythmia. What a coincidence. It's just really sad how often this is happening and these people seemingly don't have the, the constitution, the gumption to stand up and be like, okay, I see it now, like, um, uh, like uh, uh, Malhotra did. The courage. It's happening everywhere. Now, this, you might have been seen, but there's lots of people in, in uh, funeral homes in different situations. Autop, uh, uh, um, not, uh, what's the name of the... Blanking on the term of the person that does the autopsy, ah, medical examiner, are finding, as this says, mysterious blood clots in dead people who died around COVID times. These clots are in most corpses, according to this report anyway, and are as thick as a pinky finger and as long as a leg. We've seen this, guys, and there's lots of people attesting to this. And yet nobody wants to talk about it. It's, It's the baffling, confusing issue that we want to ignore, right? It's everywhere you look. Now, this this is a French member of parliament, Jean Lasalle, or I'm not going to try to mispronounce the French, I'm sure, Jean, who had four heart operations after his injection, almost killed him. He's apparently claiming that Macron and most members of parliament aren't even injected. You can watch it for yourself. But the point is, I think that's an interesting thing to consider more so than the reverse, that this is now with everything we know, that maybe there was a plan in general not to do it. It's something we should ask. Nothing's off the table at this point. It never should have been. But here they are, and this is new. This is October 11th. What, what else can cause heart attacks other than the thing that we know can cause heart attacks, right? Video games could trigger heart attacks in children, apparently, from getting too excited. Right, because that makes sense, right? Kids, heart attacks, totally normal. Video games, like not the thing that we said could cause heart attacks. That's crazy fake news, even though we admit it can cause heart attacks. But here over here, video games watching a screen. Yeah, we're going to argue that might happen just because you get too excited. Why? Because we make some tangential argument about how being excited could lead to this if you've got heart problems, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about kids who are healthy, dying from heart attacks. There's no explaining this, and they know that. This is painfully obvious. But here's something somebody showed me I thought was interesting. The ICANN had, is, is evaluating all the data coming from the vSafe data release. There's a lot of different things you look at here. One of the things I think is very clear is it's as somebody pointed out to me that this is vindicating something we've already been arguing. Alberta, among others, this was back in, I forget the date this came out. I think it was 2021, but the case, yeah, 2021, January. But the point was many other places show, let this out of the bag as well, but they deleted this very quickly. It showed you that what the, the majority of both or all three cases, hospitalizations and deaths The majority of what is happening in the context of COVID-19 is happening within the first 20 days, 14, 21 days of the first injection. That is why they kick all that down to what they call unvaccinated. Right? That's why they say, well, it doesn't kick in until the first 14, 21 days. Well, you're seeing the majority of the problems from the injection happen within that first time frame. Number of days between first immunization. It's proved. Then they deleted it and only deleted this graph. I mean, how much more do you need to see? And the point is up here, you can see they write that and all of them do the same. 64% of the cases were unvaccinated or just diagnosed in the first two weeks, which they're telling you that means the same to them, right? So if it comes in the first two weeks, they're considered unvaccinated. Well, that's a big deal when you also show that the majority of the deaths and hospitalizations happen in the first 14 days, right? So here is ICANN with the data from the government, from the CDC themselves, proving that to you 
And in this case, what's interesting is it shows dramatically the most within the first six days, the first week. Now, that interestingly overlaps with the fact that the Pfizer injection, as their own admission, their own data proved, increases your risk of infection by 50% in the first week. And then they, they argue goes back down. But then we know it goes back up to negative 75 efficacy after three months. But regardless, that's why I think that's the case. Now, what it shows you is up to 21 days is the majority of the problems. Um, these are all just all reported check-ins by survey interval and dose like hospital problems so there you go no matter how you look at this guys the data is very clear whether alberta wants to delete it or not they're calling unvaccinated the vast majority of the problems and that's the most that's the one of the first manipulations now the problem is that they're couching this everywhere else they can routine child vaccines may oh this was this one's actually different childhood vaccines may raise the risk of asthma by a third Shock government funded study finds. Yeah, not shock at all. In fact, I should have actually moved this over. But here's the funny part. But experts say benefits outweigh the risk. Classic argument. So you may get, this has already been proven by uh, James Lyons-Weiler's big research and plenty of others that the well visits from children that are vaccinated are dramatically, exponentially more than people that never got any. Pretty easy to see. They're going to the hospital more if they've gotten injections. It's as simple as that. Now you may, you could try to argue that the, that's, those are worth the risk for the potential that you may get sick from something else. But I don't know why that, I, I don't think that's ever been attempted to be proven, but the reality is it's not true based on everything we can see. But the point is the vaccines or the, the COVID injections, I already showed you this, but the reality being that they're trying to couch this on lockdowns and masks and everything else. The problem though, is that they're, it's lymphocytopenia, the dysregulation of their immune system based on the injections. And that's what we're seeing in my opinion at least in part, and nobody wants to talk about it. That's what this is. Now, here is one of the many examples of the dramatic increase in excess death that nobody wants to talk about. I think, I mean, I just, it doesn't get more obvious than this. Um, So we have these two hypotheses. One of them is lack of care, and the other one is that uh, we've got um, uh, adverse effects of the uh, COVID-19 vaccines. And what we can do is we can run a, an experiment and the government have, have run an experiment. And the experiment is that we apply what we think uh, might be causing the excess deaths. And that is the vaccine. So we give a booster dose of the vaccines. And if our hypothesis about <coughs> excess deaths being caused by vaccines is correct, we should see once again a rise in excess death. Um, about 12 to 14 weeks after the uh, application of those experimental vaccines. And we had a look at the data in 2022, and uh, that seems to be exactly what is happening. At the beginning of 2022, we didn't have excess death, excess death fell. Uh, But then it started again in Scotland, about 10 weeks into 2022. And it started first in the older age groups, and then it uh, started later on in, in the younger, younger age groups. That's exactly as we would predict, uh, according to our hypothesis, that there is some relationship between excess death and the vaccine. Um, so this is not this is a way in which we can see whether there's a causal relationship between vaccines and excess death. It's an experiment. It's an experiment which I 
which they hadn't conducted, but it is an experiment. Uh, so often we're told that these things are just a coincidence. Well, here we've got an actual experiment, and it tells us that we've got some sort of causal relationship between the two. Man. <clears throat> I mean, there you go. Again, it's exactly easily proven. It's correlation for sure, but it's important with everything else. With an extra 1,500 deaths more than average happening per week in the UK, not looking so good for the vaccinated, according to yet another professor. <laughs> Apparently, he's a conspiracy theorist, fake news maniac, just because he points at the facts, right? Here's another example. Same thing. And these are, these are European members of parliament. We pointed them out a long time ago. And Christian Terras, and I forget her name, I think she's in the video as well, they, they, they deserve credit for calling this out a long time ago. But as he says, in July 2022, the excess mortality rate in the EU was 16% higher compared to the average of 2016-2019 using the Eurostats. The most vaccinated countries in the EU have now the highest mortality rate. Provable. The most vaccinated countries, the most injected in countries in the EU have the highest mortality rate. How do you possibly pretend that's not obvious? Do you think the COVID vaccination caused the excess deaths? I do. If you look on this map, you will see that the countries with the highest vaccination rate have right now the highest mortality rate. So obviously we ask, is there a connection between being vaccinated and having a higher mortality rate? Everybody's avoiding answering this I would say logical question. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's about as logical as it gets, except the fact that they know they're not allowed to ask that question, so they run screaming from it and act like you're crazy for daring to question them. That's what that's, It's impossibly obvious. Now, here's what's happening from the government perspective, or rather the, the manipulated government perspective. This is from Canada, Ontario. He says, quote, he said the rate of uptake for do fourth doses by Ontario's age 70 and older, around 16%, was, quote, not acceptable. He said public health measures like mandatory masking could return if necessary. So now we're going back to stick, right? We're going to threaten you with arbitrary control measures if you just don't do what you're told and take the dangerous injection that you don't need. That's where we are. Despite the evidence. Trust the science is the anti-science movement at this point. Now, on top of all of that, Apparently, we're confused about whether we're talking about cold or flu. And this is not even new, or COVID or flu. They've already been arguing this, which exposes the reality that if you don't know the difference, it's not more dangerous, guys. And if we don't have to, if we have to test them to make sure they get the thing, otherwise they'll never get it, that implies they're never going to get sick and die. And this is the point. And this is not because of an implication. It's because the data is showing this. They'll admit, they claim it's because Omicron. I think it's always been this way. They even said it's one one thousandth of the risk now for children. That's coming from a one in a million chance from the beginning, according to Oxford Calculator. Right? They can't run from their own lies, right? Or their own information, if you want to put it that way. Oxford Calculator said in the beginning the risk was one in a million for death for children. That's there. I mean, I haven't looked at the calculator in a while, but if now it's one one thousandth of the risk, how do you look at that? And how do you force this on children? But I don't need to play this again. The bottom line is they're conflated. Is it COVID? Is it flu? And this is the, the point is the symptoms are about the same. And we just don't. The point is get tested, right? No, because if you get tested, it becomes a case demic and the flu and pneumonia get conflated with COVID-19, which is always how this goes. And here we even have, a, we have Dr. Harvey Reich, who is now arguing he's losing trust in the CDC and the FDA and traditional vaccines in general are now in question. Yep, exactly. Because that's the smart person, what a smart person would do when you realize that if these people are lying to me about this, why would we trust them about anything? 
ever. Now, I always say that doesn't have to mean that the very, the techno, the understanding of how vaccines work, if done honestly, might not have some benefit. I don't know, because we're operating in a world here where these people lie about everything. But it may just be that the intent is bad and that we could do this in a good way. I, look, at this point, it's going to take a long time for me to ever feel like these things are in any way what we should. I mean, I just personally, I'm a more natural per minded person anyway. But it's interesting to see this level of of calling out from people at that at his level. It's interesting to me. He's from Harvard, by the way. Now, not just heart manipulation stuff or mRNA. The, the mRNA stance here is going aggressively in the direction of whatever they can build next, even though, they're, and they're acting like it's all fleshed out. It's clearly safe and effective. Like you saw that guy say on the talk show, we clearly, the data's proven it's perfectly safe. How could you even argue that unless you're blindly buying the narrative, right? Well, cancer vaccines could be ready in months. And this was one of the main things they always wanted. The universal cancer, universal flu. This has been the case before COVID ever came around. Drug giant Merck teams up with Moderna to develop shot for melanoma that uses patients' own tumors. Great. More genetic manipulation, more mRNA injections based on failing technology, guys. Now, I'm not, I only say that because of how they, who knows, maybe if done with good intentions, the technology could work. It's going to be a hard sell for me to buy that at any point in the future. Regardless, the point is that they're pushing forward with the new thing using the same people, the same argument, the same technology, acting like it makes sense. Don't know why, but this is not the only direction. There's a lot of very alarming stuff rapidly moving forward. Here's This is from September 24th. New genetically engineered herpes virus apparently kills cancer cells. I mean, we're in sort of like the, the wild, the wild west was a moment ago. We're in like the rapidly, I don't even know the wild, wild west, same point really, but this, even further version of that where it's gotten pushed even more so now. And now it's just going out. It's going haywire. I don't, I'm concerned about how all this is going to be used, manipulated, or get out of control to a point to where we don't even know what's happening anymore. Maybe we're already there. Well, on, on the context of, oh, is this one? Oh, no, that was the right one. Yeah, in, to kill cancer cells. Well, here's a clip about, I think I'm going to, in general, yeah, it's it's an all, it's a nonverbal clip. In general, I'm feeling like we're running long anyway. This clip is important. It just generally is saying the cure for cancer was discovered 42 years ago. And I argue, and this is, one of the many doctors that did and clearly have an effect. And people came to testify and said he cured us of cancer. You guys won't let this happen. And they suppressed it. They attacked him numerous times. Or we could talk about SEACT. We could talk about numerous examples, sorry, cannabis of actions that have been taken to suppress the very, very real healing effects of numerous different things. So they could push in this direction, I argue. Here's another one. First person to ever be treated with CRISPR-based HIV gene therapy. Rock and roll. Right. I mean, this we're, we're in the wild west of all of this and it's being pushed forward aggressively. Now, to finish this first part of it. I want to talk about the programming cells, kind of like bioengineered direction of this. This is a really concerning article somebody shared with me from Spartacus uh, Substack. How DARPA and Moderna pioneered the idea behind mRNA vaccines. Now, this is not new. We've talked about it, but maybe, maybe many people don't know. But DARPA being, you know, the, the military arm of the direction they're all taking. And this is we saw Operation Warp Speed. We saw the overlap. Whitney and I talked about this overlap. But maybe people now haven't connected those dots because it's been a long time. We were pretty far ahead of that conversation. This is about it says nucleic acid vaccines and the concerning overlap of how this is being used. And the DNA transfect the what are they what they call it, the gene transfection discussion. 
Now it says gene transfection into cells can, in fact, make those cells produce any kind of protein with the right instructions, including monoclonal antibodies, designer receptors, anything imaginable. So remember, we just talked about the idea. That's what they want. Turn your body into drug factories. We even just saw Moderna say that, right? We just, we saw Dr. Ryan Cole tell you that's actually what's happening. Your body's already doing that. So what they're talking about is this in the context of making your cells produce whatever they want to, but using other instructions from the outside, using monoclonal antibodies to trigger instructions to do what they want. The question is whether that's already what's happening. In the case of COVID-19 vaccines, the media and the medical establishment tried getting around this by arguing that since the vaccines did not change the the recipient's DNA, which we know that's not true now, that meant they weren't gene therapy. And remember, you heard me poke at this right in the beginning, saying, well, I don't really care what term they use. It's concerning what it's doing, right? Remember that? And I'm saying, well, they, they claim it's not gene therapy because it doesn't do this, A, A, X, Y, and Z. Well, again, it gets into the definitions of it all. Call it whatever you want. It's concerning and it's manipulating your body. But the point is, it is gene therapy and it is altering your DNA and they've already gotten lost in that. The introduction of foreign nucleic acids into the body to generate foreign proteins, exactly what's happening today, is, def- is by definition gene therapy, regardless of whether or not the subject's own genes are changed by it. DNA and RNA are genetic material. And if the immune system catches the cell producing non-human proteins, some seriously bad things will happen to that cell. Enter the COVID-19 mania we're in right now while people are being hurt by what's happening. Lipid nanoparticles, this is interesting, were previously investigated for many years. Guess what? For a means of delivering Alzheimer's drugs to the brain. Because they readily bypass the blood-brain barrier. Well, then, well, there you go. Well, what were they testing for when they were jamming that thing in people's brains in the beginning, right? What were they trying to find out? Why, why did they never explain why that was happening and why they stopped doing it? Very concerning. Maybe it's because they were testing for something. Whether or not these things were reaching people's brains. I mean, I'm just theorizing here, but realize lipid nanoparticles were investigated as a, as a means of delivery for the thing we're talking about. So we're now giving an injection that was intentional. The idea of the lipid nanoparticles was supposedly the breakthrough, rather the level of which they added, which I always point out, previous attempts failed for the same reason. No one explains why that makes sense. The high concentration of lipid nanoparticles were causing too many side effects, even though it successfully delivered the mRNA instructions. They never fixed that problem. All they did was say, we increased lipid nanoparticles. Therefore, it works. And here we are watching the, ex- the side effects rapidly roll through the population. But on top of that, specifically those lipid nanoparticles were the very thing they investigated for delivering drugs. So what if that's part of what's happening? Now, look, I'm not talking about specifically delivering the spike protein or rather the instructions for it. I'm talking about something more potentially nefarious that's built into this that we don't know about. Just asking questions based on the research. When the thing, became, when the thing being delivered is a toxin, like the spike protein, however, there are serious consequences, which is simply, so that, first of all, aside from my theorizing, just the reality of what we know this is doing is concerning. Think about how crazy that is. Now, this they get into a lot of studies that point this out. We already showed this one, multifocal ne- uh, necrotizing encephalitis and myocarditis after the shot. There's been a major push for the adoption of nucleic acid vaccine tech prior to this, largely hidden from the public eye, which shows you this has been coordinated. This is a Nature article from a long time ago talking about mRNA vaccines as the future. Here is the Frontiers, Advanced in mRNA Vaccines, Intentional. I mean, there's a lot of them. 
gene therapy, look, na nature gene therapy, promise of exactly what's not gene therapy, cell press molecular therapy, self-amplifying RNA vaccines. Remember that one? That's what I believe these are. Even Pfizer was listed as self-amplifying before they changed it, which means it continues to produce spike proteins. Well, look at where we are, right? How many of these things we called and got right a long time ago? I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back for that because we were way ahead of a lot of these things. Again and again, the same properties are touted. Easy, rapid, cost-effective development and manufacture, right? Because is that it's all safe, right? Oh, it's not even listed. Plug in a gene sequence for the targeted antigen and away you go. Exactly how this started. Chinese genetic, genetic code on a computer that was picked up by Moderna and Pfizer and rolled into an injection before anything ever gotten, if anything ever did get isolated, the point is it happened before it even mattered. That was them executing a test on the population. We're going to see if this works by using you. Naturally, the military would be interested in this technology for quickly vaccinating large populations of people against bioweapons ahead of a pandemic spread because it offers the potential for rapid development and deployment of countermeasures in a wartime scenario with equally rapid developed bioweapons being flung all over the place. You know what that overlaps with? Well, the triage system that is our medical system. It's all wartime stuff. Well, here we are again. What a surprise. In DARPA's own words, they partnered with Moderna to produce mRNA-1944, a nucleic acid encoded MAB against, chick, uh, what is that, chikungunya? Some kind of problem. In fact, DARPA openly bragged on Twitter that Moderna's mRNA vaccine tech and, by extension, mRNA-1273, the COVID injection, was a product of ADEPT. Now, we've talked about this, the DARPA program. Another company involved in ADEPT Ecor Medical Systems, a little-known company in San Diego specializing in electro electroporation gene delivery tech that partners with Pfizer, Johnson Johnson, and guess who? U.S. Amrin. What's really going on here? Why haven't the media extensively covered the military think tank side of all of this? Well, we have, just not the corporate media, as well as DARPA's enduring partnership with Moderna. Moderna failed to disclose federal funding for vaccine patent applications, advocates say. Finally, it says this is an extensive paper trail, one that shows that Moderna is just another front in the biodefense mafia. The media, with few exceptions, are largely silent on this matter. The reason why you have been kept in the dark is their opinion, and I agree, because you are the target of a globe-spanning military operation, Operation Warp Speed, with, with, he argues, and I agree to some degree, with population reduction, mass surveillance, tyrannical control of people's movements, and the destruction of human autonomy through implanted technology as its end goal. I mean, it's hard to ignore that that is what's happening. And it sounds crazy to some people, but it does seem very real and in front of us right now. Now, here's a May 2022 study overlapping with exactly what they're talking about. Here's what it says. Here, I discuss the pervasive claim that mRNA-based vaccines cannot alter genomes. Surprisingly, this notion is widely stated in the mRNA vaccine literature, but weirdly never supported by referencing any primary scientific papers. What a shock. That would specifically address the question. The point is, they're saying it, even though it's not based in fact. This discrepancy becomes even more puzzling if one considers previous work on the molecular and evolutionary aspects of retroposition in um, uh, murine and human populations that clearly documents the frequent integration of mRNA molecules into genomes, including clinical context. Weird. So there's a huge precedent and background body of work that shows you this is happening, and they just lie going forward. By performing basic comparisons, they point out, I show that the sequence features of mRNA vaccines meet all known requirements for retroposition using L1 elements, most abundant uh, autonomous, uh, 
autonomously active retrotransposons in the human genome. In fact, many factors associated with mRNA vaccines increase the possibility of their L1-mediated retroposition. I conclude that it, it, that it is unfounded to a priori assume that mRNA-based therapeutics do not impact genomes and that the route to genome integration of vaccine mRNAs via indigenous L1 retro elements, endogenous L1 retro elements, is easily conceivable. At present, the insertional mutagenesis safety of mRNA-based vaccines should be considered unresolved. But no, trust the science is going to ignore the science, right? Because that's how that works. The fact is, it's very obvious it's happening. Now, this part of the segment today, and I don't know how much I'm going to get into after the break I'm going to have in a moment, but nonetheless, this will overlap with the next part of this. I keep pushing this off, so I can't do it today. It's going to be long, but this is something we've talked about a lot. This is one of the parts that I really want plucked out and made short because this is important. What we just went through, guys, is very clear that there's some manipulation going on in regard to how this is operating in your body. But the, the large question I want to ask, and I've already asked before, is it possible that what we're dealing with, well, you know, for those many that want to believe there's literally nothing there, this might be something you don't want to swallow, but consider this. I'm open to any possibility that whether what we're calling COVID could in fact be something that was used, virus mimicking nanoparticles. Now, the idea is how this is meant to be used in the context of, let's say, inside injections, right? But what if it's more than that? What if we're watching something that got out of control? What if we're watching something that got released? The bottom line is what we're looking at here, February 24th, 2011, that overlaps, which I'll show you next, with Charles Lieber's research from Harvard. Remember that whole connection from the beginning of COVID-19 that nobody wants to talk about? There's something there. I always knew that. And this is, I think, what the main part of it is that overlaps into the direction of the programmable cells, the bioeconomy, the whole push. I wanna, I'm wondering whether this is either involved with what we're putting in people's bodies or potentially what they use as a justification to make that happen. Here's what it says. Scientists have designed tiny nanoparticles in 2011 that resemble viruses in size and immunological composition. Now ask yourself how we could pretend that these dime-sized microchips are the most up-to-date thing we're talking about while they're literally using virus-sized nanoparticles. They're, they're, these are robots, guys. Not, not in the truth. I shouldn't even use the word because clumsy. But we're talking about technology, not I, it, it, this is this is the furthest level of the kind of technology we're talking about. That's what I'm, this is what we're going to get into next. Virus-sized transistors, not just particles, but actual technology, right? So when they show you this gigantic chip and say this is cutting edge in regard to the, nah, they're lying to you. We we're, we're at the smart dust level, and we have been for a decade. That's been proven by symposiums talking about how they had this technology 10 years ago. But it says they designed the particles, in this case, to mimic the immune stimulating effects of one of the most successful vaccines ever developed, the yellow fever vaccine. Now, what's the possibility that that then became a problem? That because you made it to mimic viruses, it literally became a virus and was used in that way. I mean, it doesn't seem that far-fetched or got out of control or was used. Who knows? But it can be used, it says, here's the point, interchangeably with material for many different bacteria or viruses. So now you can use this and interchangeably use this to work with real things. That's very concerning to me. Now, this is 2011, February 24th. Here is January to February 2011. 
All right, so same time frame. Harvard Magazine, virus-sized transistors. Now, you've seen this before. We talked about this way back in 2020 and intermittently throughout the year. years. It says, let's just read the first part, to, to imagine being able to signal an immune cell to generate antibodies that would fight bacteria or even cancer. Now, this is where we get into the idea of having those cells primed to pump out whatever it needs to. That's, this all overlaps. That's the turning your body into drug factories. That fictional possibility is now a step closer in 2011 to reality with the development of a biocompatible transistor the size of a virus. Charles Lieber and his colleagues, who were later arrested for, for treason, apparently, or rather smuggling nano or rather biological material into China, or specifically getting funding from China they claim wasn't, wasn't highlighted. Either way, there's far more to the story. Him, Charles Lieber and his colleagues used nanowires to create a transistor so small that it can be used to enter and probe cells in your body without disrupting the intracellular machinery. Then you know how many ways that can be used, potentially already out there, inside your body, or anybody's body, or any animal's body? I mean, that why wouldn't we ask that? This was 2011. These nanoscale semiconductor switches could even be used to enable two-way communication with individual cells. We just saw Biden's executive order in 2022 outline that they wanted to be able to program cells. How do we not see the overlap? Devising a biological interface in which a nanoscale device, device can actually communicate with a living organism has been an explicit goal from the beginning. Exactly. Weird how that doesn't get talked about today. This might be an explicit goal from the beginning of the technology they're currently using, right? Maybe they just forgot about that. When he finally engineered a tiny device that, and tried to insert it into a cell, however, he had no luck, pressing hard enough to disrupt the cell membrane, killing the cell pretty quickly in 2011. But when his team coated the hairpin nanowire with, guess what? A fatty lipid layer. The device was easily pulled into the cell via membrane fusion, a process related to the one cells used to engulf viruses and bacteria. Are we going to pretend that's not the iteration of the re what they're using now? Lipid nanoparticles coating the thing. That's what's happening right there. Now, why? Now, why would that? I mean, ask yourself whether what's happening right now is the nanowire, is the virus-sized transistor. This innovation is important, Lieber explains, because it indicates that when a man-made structure is as small as a virus or bacteria, it can behave the way biological structures do, including doing things you don't expect, accidentally getting out and acting like a virus and getting people sick, or being used that way. However you talk about it, it's very clear that's possible. Digital electronics, it ends with, are so powerful that they dominate our daily lives, Charles Lieber points out in 2011. Quote, when scaled down, the difference between digital and living systems blurs so that you have an opportunity to do things like that sound like science fiction, things that people have only dreamed about. Well, enter our blurring digital and analog lives, apparently, right now, right? What is what is Paul Schwab talking about blurring the lines between your digital and your personal life. Right. How are we going to pretend this isn't exactly what we're talking about? This is the overlap of the fourth industrial revolution. That's what they're talking about. 
And don't forget, even the Epstein overlaps with Harvard, with Lieber, with all of this, with the direction and the eugenics direction and the bioengineering, all this stuff. All of this overlaps. Here is a study from 2021. So 2011, they're working on this. And one of the guys that was shuttled away in the beginning of all this, I don't even know what happened to Charles Lieber. 2021, nano-enabled COVID vaccines. Now, this is what we're talking about. Now, understand, even the self-assembling nanoparticle conversation, that's that's not even new. That's listed in the documentation. Now, of course, that could mean something going as far as the graphene conversation, but it could also mean exactly what we're pointing at right now, right? So all these things are possible. And we've had lots of evidence, compelling evidence, to discuss the idea of possible things like graphene, but there's also a lot of evidence that puts that into question as well. People don't like when I point that out, act like I'm not looking at everything because I come to a different opinion than they do. You know, yes, I am. I just think differently. That has to be allowed, right? Nano-enabled COVID vaccines is, in my opinion, in regard to what that was talking about. Meeting the challenges of durable antibody plus cellular immunity and immune escape. It says highlights rapid progress in the implementation of nanotechnology to assist vaccine development. Now, that can also mean particles, not just technology and like machinery transistors, but it could also mean particles. But here it says, in addition to a brief description of the design features of unique cationic uh, lipid and virus mimicking nanoparticles, it's right there for accomplishing spike protein delivery and presentation by the cognate immune system. I mean, we're, I haven't seen the, the use of virus-mimicking nanoparticles anywhere in the context of COVID-19 vaccines literally saying spike protein delivery. This is what we're talking about. So if we can't consider the overlap with this being part of that and wondering whether we are being injected with virus-sized, I mean, I don't think anything's off the table at this point. But I think that's pretty compelling. And it says, finally, we consider the impact of nano-enabled approaches in the development of COVID-19 vaccines for improved vaccine design against other infectious agents, including pathogens that may lead to future pandemics. And there's your segue into building them for anything else we can put out in the sun. Concerning as hell to me. Now, here is the overlap into today forward, or for the most part. Oh, I think some of them might be a little bit older, but the point is the direction. This is today. This is September 2022, 20, 22nd, 2022. Cell Rover. Now consider this, what we just talked about. Exploring and augmenting the inner world of the cell. This also overlaps with Biden's executive order. MIT researchers demonstrate an intracellular antenna that's capable, compatible, excuse me, with 3D biological systems and can operate wirelessly inside a living cell. Cool. Well, seeing as how they were building that in 2011, maybe this is the introduction of something that's already being used like we tend to see throughout this process. Potential for monitoring, even directing cellular activity in real time. So programming cells, Biden was talking about. Here is August 2022. Microbots that could unlock medical devices in the body. Swarms of micro-robots injected into the human body could unblock internal medical devices and avoid the need for further research surgery, according to new research. The study is the, fir- is the first time scientists have developed magnetic micro-robotics to remove deposits in shunts. So we're talking blood clots here? Common internal medical devices used to treat a variety of conditions by draining excess fluid from organs. Yeah, part of that is the problem they're creating. I find that very interesting. Shunts are prone to malfunctioning, often caused by blockages due to buildup of sediment. 
So here we're introducing the same kind of technology direction, possibly all the way back to the same virusized transistors designed to block the things that we seem to be creating with the same thing we put in your body. Interesting overlap. Now, going back to 2014, it just shows you how long this has been going on. Radiogenetics seeks to remotely control cells and genes. New remote control technology may offer biologists a powerful way to do this with cells and genes. A team at the Rockefeller University is developing a system that would make it possible to remotely control biological targets in living animals rapidly without wires, implants, or drugs. Look at that. The bottom line is this is very real. So the way they're framing it today as something brand new is not very true. Here's 2015. Remote control of brain activity with heated nanoparticles from The Guardian. Two teams of scientists have developed two ways of stimulating neurons with nanoparticles, allowing them to activate brain cells remotely using light or magnetic fields. There's again an overlap. First creating genetically engineered mice with light-sensitive neurons and then inserting the optical fibers that deliver the light into the brain. The problem is that that was a little too invasive. Nanomedicine, of course, can get around this, right? Their argument being that we that at first you had to literally put brain or wires in the brain, but now we can just inject you with nanoparticles. That's really important. Nanoparticles are already being used in other fields. They can, for example, target and destroy malignant cells and therefore show promise in cancer therapy. Why didn't they focus on that? Right. More recently, some researchers have exploited their ability to sneak through the blood brain barrier. Exactly. And have used them to visualize and reduce stroke damage and inflammation in rats. Good. So you, you, I mean, I, such a whole open, I don't even know how that makes sense when you can prove that nanoparticles themselves can cause inflammation, but it says, although still in the experimental stages, research like this may eventually allow for wireless and minimally invasive deep brain stimulation of the human brain. Well, Seems to be where we are. Seems to be what they were always working on. The overlap is impossible to miss here, guys. And as we talked about back in December 2nd, 2020, virus mimicking nanotech. And here we are again. With this point to think about, we talked about on the pirate stream discussion the other day in regard to MK Ultra. We were talking about Jordan Peterson, just kind of, you know, for fun, theorizing about what the possibilities may have been and what might have happened to him. One just, you know, not that we were saying we can prove this, but just for theorizing that the MKUltra program is probably not something that really went away and wondering whether that is possibly something happening to people. But the point is we can ask or really point out the interesting overlap of using things like that to program their brains. But now we're at a point where even with Biden's executive order talking about programming cells, is that the same thing? Are we at the same point that we're at a technological level? They're trying to reinstitute the same program or maybe it never stopped in the same way. Just a thought to consider as it's very concerning to me where this is all going. Now, I am going to do a little bit more, believe it or not. This is, it's three, we have three and a half hours. I was telling Doom, I'm sure he's cheering right now, that we, this, we might be the longest show we've ever done. But I, I had to get all this out or it was going to explode in my head. Now, I am going to take a quick break. I'll, I'll I think I'll, I will, I'm going to play a clip for you that I downloaded today, That one of Brock's clips, and it's going to be, let's see, which one do we want to do here? And I'm just going to actually give Sierra a little break outside, then we'll come back in, and I'm going to probably rapidly go through a couple quick points and maybe push some off to tomorrow, but I want to anyway, just because I said I would. So let's go through, let's see, I'm trying to see what I want to talk about. Zelensky's nuclear narrative or which one? safeguarding mass surveillance. Let's see. Let's do mass surveillance. 
Now, this is a clip that Brock just made. Uh, let's put this up. All right, I'm going to play this clip, guys, and I will be back. It's not going to break the stream, so you can sit here and talk in the chat if you'd like. It probably won't be more than a couple of minutes, but I'm going to play part of this clip, and I'll be back, and we'll jump right back into some stuff, transitioning into the, the great reset direction, the food shortages and all that stuff, and I'll be back shortly. I'll see you then. Now let's jump into the evolution of the surveillance happening around all of us and this weird executive order that's happening right now. The recent ex Now let's jump into the evolution of the surveillance happening around all of us and this weird executive order that's happening right now. And by the way, to start off, I kind of believe that this is building on the back of the recent executive order they put out on the AI Bill of Rights. Um, as well as the bioeconomy and all the recent things they're doing, you know, in the in the rule by executive order world we live in, even though these same people were screaming about how Trump was overusing executive orders, right? <laughs> you know, or even in reverse, how the Republicans were screaming about how Obama was overusing executive orders, then Trump did the same thing. It's a child's game that we play and we pretend like it's not the same every time. But the point is that we do live in a world where they sign documents individually and pretend like that's democracy or even Republican or whatever. You know, the bottom line is executive orders aren't binding to the world or anybody outside the executive branch. Yet, they sign these and we pretend like that's law now, right? It's not. Even though this has to do with something well beyond the U.S. state, the U.S. country. That's what's most concerning about this. Well, this next part. First of all, my point was Biden's AI Bill of Rights was put out and it made this sprawling argument about how we're going to defend. You know, we're going to we're going to push through AI, whether you like it or not. But here's all these safeguards and railings and how we're going to make sure that your privacy is kept. And if you have problems that you can opt out and all this stuff and all it amounts to is we'll do this unless we have to do, you know, basically every statement's like you can do this if you feel like you're not getting your rights upheld. But. We can do this if necessary, or we'll do this for you unless we feel otherwise. Like everything's got a caveat that gives them the bigger national security argument they use for everything all the time. So it basically means none of that. As always, just look at the Patriot Act if you care to understand how these things are always being done. But the point is, they said, we'll do all of this for you. And then they come up with this next one, which very clearly seems to be related to the idea of all of this stuff, not just the, not just the, AI Bill of Rights, not just the bioeconomy, but the whole damn thing, the whole great reset direction. This is despite not even mentioning it in this executive order, specifically has to do with what's called the EU-US data privacy framework, specifically between Biden and President von der Leyen of the EU. So ask yourself how it makes sense that an executive order is being signed that changes the data surveillance guide rails in regard to how they exchange intelligence information across countries. Like this is how off the rails this has gotten. I would, argue, I would argue this could be like literally called into question in a court of law, if that's even something we can even do anymore. But the, I've seen a thousand different takes about what this is across the internet. It seems like everyone's confused and everyone has a different opinion. It has to do with Hunter's laptop. It has to do with Siri. It has to do with COVID vaccine. It's everyone's got their hot take on this. Now, maybe they're all right. But I think it's important to take a step back and realize that maybe there's more to this than we can grasp at first look. And, and, and it's always the way that they manipulate the verbiage. But the just a 10,000 elevation look here, from what I can tell, this is about removing the, the 
what's necessary for the trading off of data information, the kind of public-private partnership, the World Economic Forum, Great Reset idea, right? The global governance framework of exchanging information. I, I do think it has to do with you personally, but also just on whatever intelligence operations are ongoing, which includes you. But now it has to do with not just the U.S. government, but they're opening up this framework, which, by the way, existed before, and they shut it down. And, and the EU demanded certain things, and now the U.S. is essentially pandering to them and saying, okay, well, what, about, what if we remove these? Okay, and now they're agreeing. This has nothing to do with protecting you, in my opinion, at all. In fact, I think they're removing things that are safeguards for your privacy so the EU and everybody else and whoever's involved in this will be accepting of what is happening here. That's just my opinion. You come to your own conclusions about it. Let me show you what it says. October 7th, National Security Memorandum on the Partial Revoking Revocation of Presidential Policy Directive 28. Now it says the partial, the this on the executive order that we're putting out here, October 7th, which is called Enhancing Safeguards, or rather the, the yeah, it's Enhancing Safeguards for United States Signals Intelligence Activities. So just so it's clear, Enhancing safeguards for intelligence activities does not mean safeguards for your privacy. That's a side note they put out there. So they act like they always do that. And I always point that out. When it's a bill that literally undermines your privacy, they go, that will make sure that we safeguard your privacy. You know, they add that in there, nice flowery language, and they never appear, adhere to it. But they're safeguarding the signals intelligence activities, which is their surveillance and how that's operating. It says it establishes enhanced safeguards for United States signals intelligence activities, not you, not your privacy, enhance safeguards for that operation or that activity that supersedes the safeguards for personal information collection. You can't get much more clear than that. Now, I don't even know how they're trying to frame this as somehow beneficial for Americans. If you are literally establishing safeguards that super safeguards for the operation of collecting in, intelligence that supersede the safeguards that were previously set to protect you from their overreaching, then what are we talking about? This is writing in executive order, the rolling back of, of safeguards that, that weren't even being adhered, by the way. That's the first point. They've limitlessly been collecting everything they could possibly imagine on you this whole time, regardless of what a framework they had in place. Now they're just removing some of those safeguards they didn't even adhere to, in my opinion. But it says they're doing this through signals intelligence established by Presidential Policy Directive 28. Now, what it says here, I'm going to read you the whole main part. The executive order establishes Enhanced safeguards in recognition that signals intelligence activities must be conducted. Of course, that's what they argue. I'm sure Americans would think differently in a manner that takes into account that all persons should be treated with dignity and respect, regardless of their nationality or wherever they might reside. And that all persons have legitimate privacy interests in the handling of their personal information. I see all the people. Led into deception by the very men bound to care, blinded by the promises, unknowingly sold despair. So leave your herd of sheep and follow this shepherd to revolutionary ends. That you knew has changed around you It's all become a money game It's all become a money game And we're back Thank you for waiting If you 
stuck out the break, which we've never really done before, but I knew today was going to be a long one. So I wanted to make sure I had a little bit of break, especially for Sierra, for those that know that she's toughing it out with me. But here is what we're going to get into next. And like I said, I can't promise that this is going to be all of it. I, I just generally, I've, you know, her and myself and everything else, I went much longer than I wanted to do that first part. But you can, I'm sure, see why that stuff is so important. And unfortunately, as much as the second part is equally important, it seems less pressing, at least at the exact moment that we're in. But they bring up the next part of it here. And this, is, this goes into, as I was saying, the Great Reset. Uh, the food issues, the energy issues, where this all seems to be leading. So here we are. Actually, let me do this real quick. We're going to drive me crazy. All right. So starting off, <clears throat> I want to play a clip from Bernie's tweets. It says the, it's the UN and the unelected World Economic Forum has signed a cozy agreement to accelerate forcing through the 2030 agenda on its 193 member states with no democratic mandate from citizens, which should not be surprising for those that have been following what this group has been trying. I mean, from the pandemic accord to the binding treaty with teeth and all the different stuff they're doing, they don't care what your sovereignty or your individual feelings are. Sort of like the EU doesn't care about what the individual peoples of the European respective countries care. They act like we vote for someone and they do what they want anyway. And that's ultimately, I mean, it's more complicated than that, but that's ultimately the circumventing of their sovereignty. And this is the same kind of idea. I mean, and you could really make the same argument about the states individually and the federal government. Same kind of idea, right? I mean, that's, they don't respect states' rights. And even if they, I argue the very idea of federal government is the, one of the biggest issues. But the, the point here is that they're, they're pushing this through because that's the point, that's the plan right now. The 2030 agenda, they've already decided, and all the actions they're taking around this, despite how it may hurt you individually, don't matter, or it's for the greater good, or whatever the arguments are, if they even believe that. This afternoon, the Secretary General and Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, will sign a, will witness the signing of a memorandum of understanding on a strategic partnership between the UN and the World Economic Forum. This outlines areas of cooperation to deepen engagement two institutions to jointly accelerate the implementation of the 2030 agenda. This afternoon, the Secretary General and... Great. <clears throat> so, who voted for these people, as she points out? Right? Why do they get to decide these things for the world, apparently? <laughs> Look, what's trending? Nazis in Ukraine, Israeli crimes. Not surprising. Now, <clears throat> the point is that they're really pushing this idea about climate change as the justification for all of this to happen. But there's a lot of people out there, experts especially, who are arguing that they're not just wrong, but they're actually potentially dire. They're incorrect in such a way that could literally kill the planet. Is that intentional? I mean, how could that even be possible for the average people that don't know? I mean, whether we're talking transhumanism, that's the only thing that makes sense. But why that would make sense? such a rapid change. The bottom line is removing carbon in the way that they're proposing could potentially be catastrophically dangerous for the planet. As I've played a clip many times, I'm not going to play it necessarily again, of an expert telling you that that ultimately amounts to no plants, no animals, no. and, and here's the inside paper. Heat waves will make regions uninhabitable within decades. Within decades. Interesting. Isn't that what they said in the year 2000 and then 10 years after that? And then 10 years, you know, every time coming, right? Heat wave before it was the cold, though. It's going to be Global, you know, uh, was global warming, and then it was uh, what the term they use—not global cooling, but they use global 
I'm, I'm forgetting. I mean, the point is they change the terminology so constantly based on whatever works in the moment. And a lot of experts just want, I mean, I'm, you don't have to listen to me. I'm not an expert on the topic. The point is there are numerous experts out there like this next clip. Or not that's the one. Um, here, I'll play, show you first. I'm not going to play, but you can watch it for yourself. A long-standing scam, it reads, about climate change has been exposed by an international body of scientists. Now, there's been numerous examples of this, just like with the COVID stuff, where there's an entire grouping, an organization of people that go and sign documents, and, and they're all very highly regarded credentials, or highly regarded in general, have high, the credentials needed to make these arguments. Not that you need a credential to make arguments, but in the context of how they view it. And yet they just ignore it. Shouldn't they be allowed to have a debate and conversation? Well, no, they're actually attacking these people and saying they're not even allowed to have these opinions. They're actually censoring the idea that you can even hold different opinions, potentially legally so. Right? We're seeing that around the world right now. Same thing from the COVID land we just discussed. It says they say carbon dioxide never played a role in setting temperature. And when it was as high as 1,700 parts per million, four times higher than today, the Earth is in a deep freeze. So, see, now they're committed to global warming, right? To global, you know, or just climate change. But the idea is they're pushing the heat right now, and it doesn't make sense. The point is, overall, the facts don't back up what they're saying. But here is the absurdity that's coming along with this. New Zealand is now going to introduce a cow burp tax. That's not, that's their terminology. If you can't laugh at how stupid this has gotten, I mean, it's macabre. I mean, we're laughing about it. They're forcing action on people and destroying lives. But at the same time, it's, I mean, this feels like a joke. New Zealand has announced a world-first filming that will pay a tax interview on emissions from drinking farm animals. The moment that it's part of the country's plan to tackle climate change, but that's already taken a Yeah. How do you quantify that? How do you... An emissions tax to reduce greenhouse gases that are out and in will soon be costing farmers. New Zealand's Prime Minister has unveiled a world-first strategy to tax emissions from burps and urination produced by farm animals. Saying to us that what we do is workable, that it's pragmatic, that it can be introduced in a timely way, and that it will actually bring down our emissions. Yeah, those are some nice words, right? Does she even know what they mean? Right? I mean, how in the world? I mean, let's just take burps, for example. Urination, even as ridiculous as all of it is, is different a little bit. What, are you going to put devices on these cows? How are you going to monitor that? How do you quantify it? Does it matter if it's a small burp or a big burp? Does it matter what kind of grass they ate? I mean, this is outrageously stupid. It, may, it, it makes me feel dumber for talking about it. And yet they're genuinely engaging in this like it totally makes sense. And you're crazy for not talking about it. And that, that's, that's whether or not this even means if that, like, assuming for the moment that cow methane and cow burp actually translate, I mean, it's just so many ridiculous assumptions based on things that are being challenged by other experts. And then acting like, this is where we should start, right? How about you focus on the, the military pollution? How about you focus on the, corp, the corporate pollution or the, the actions being done by the government, whether New Zealand, Australia, the United States? Or how about just the gigantic companies that you let operate in these areas that constantly pollute and just pay for it. But no, let's monitor cow burps. I mean, this feels insulting. Like they genuinely think either you're this stupid or they want you to see how stupid this is and they're flaunting it. I don't know. I mean, it's ridiculous. Farmers and as food producers show the world how we can reduce our carbon footprint and feed the world in the way that they expect. In New Zealand, dairy products are the nation's largest export 
more than half of the country's greenhouse gases comes from farms. Real and methane emissions count for 97% of total agricultural emissions. In Australia, agriculture contributes around 13% of our greenhouse gas emissions each year. All right, I'm going to leave it there for the interest of time, but I mean, it's gotten that ridiculous. The adherence to the doctrine, regardless of how stupid it is, how stupid it sounds, how unverified it is, it doesn't matter. Vaccines are the, the COVID injection is safe and effective because they said anything else is fake news despite peer-reviewed science while they scream trust the science. It's that stupid. Now, on top of that, here's an interesting overlap with the foreign policy. Interesting how it all works together, right? It took a war criminal to speed up Europe's green revolution. And no, they don't mean Biden. They mean Putin. Vladimir Putin's brutal invasion of Ukraine has forced Europe to finally break its fossil fuel addiction. Right. Like that's not a like, oh, is it forced them to or is that the ongoing dis- engagement in Ukraine has been the excuse for them to attack the Nord Stream pipeline and burn wheat fields and attack infrastructure? Yeah. And the old Putin did it. This is how stupid they think you are. But it took Putin invading for us to break our addiction to what do you mean your addiction? <laughs> you're not breaking your addiction to fossil fuels. You're using it elsewhere. You're just not using Russian fossil fuels. Like, it's just, it's insulting. It really is. But the overall point is, all of this leads us into the future that we're building. It all makes sense, unless you think. But here's the problem in regard to this direction. Right, where they're acting like, we'll tell you, well, there's going to be some difficult times when we talk about the transition, but then when we point to what's happening, we don't call that the transition. We say Putin did it. But remember, they're telling you this is going to be tough. You know, changing the world's not easy, and the Green Revolution is going to be tough for everybody, but Putin did this, not us. But the point is, as Bernie's tweet points out, does the prime minister understand, as the person's asked, as he asked in, in the, the session, that by tripling carbon taxes, there will be no fertilizer, no farms, and no food. The point is, as she writes, you know we understand, and that's the terrifying part. To realize that they will not succeed. The biggest threat facing our farmers is the triple threat offered by the liberals. Fertilizer tariffs, higher interest rates, higher carbon taxes. This has put thousands of family farms on the brink of insolvency. Only feeding consumers understand the threat of the triple threat as grocery prices are up 10%, and this is driving food costs even higher. Again, my point is that you have gigantic companies involved in the same industry that are polluting far more than farm, than small organic farms. Dramatically more, provably. And yet they focus on the organic farms. I mean, it's it, it, all of this. It's insulting. It does not make sense. And it's very, very transparent. And yet they just, in, when pushed on it, they just act like they're stupid. And you know, most of the times they actually are, but they're playing dumb in the context of what's being done to you. While 30 seconds ago, they said this needed to be done. It's all that stupid. That's a prime minister understand. A triple, triple, tripling the carbon tax, the end result will be no fertilizer, no farms. And no food. Yeah. Yeah. The Conservative Party wanted to help Canadians. They should do what they've done uh, on the GST tax credit, reversing their position to support our support for families, and do the same with our low-income uh, support for renters uh, and our support uh, for families uh, on costs of dental care for uh, for kids. Uh, these two measures are concrete and will help Canadian families. The leader of the opposition flips off uh, and is. Okay, so his his argument is to point at something completely superfluous. Has nothing to do with the point. 
you could have done this and this and this over here that was going to help people. Okay, well, 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 there's a million things that could have helped people that all of you probably could have done, but we're talking about food and people starving and the actions being done that dramatically remove the food supply. And he goes, you could have done tax relief and blah, blah, blah. This guy's a politician. I think all are, but this guy is dangerous, clearly based on what's happening there. But just the way the, all of them respond like this, KJP tries to and fails, but they all try. But here's geopolitics and empire, another outlet, a platform that you should be following. A two billion euro farm retirement scheme is being considered by government in a bid to encourage farmers to exit farming while we need it more than ever and drastically reduce cow numbers in order to meet climate change targets in, in Ireland, Irish times. It's, it's the same point everywhere. So it's all about climate targets. Do we not care what happens because of those targets? Do we know if those targets actually translate to what you think it does? I mean, all of this is up in the air, but it doesn't matter. They've already latched on to the, 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 the argument of the moral direction, the woke arguments. It's doctrine just like with the vaccine conversation. It really doesn't matter anymore. Here is Eva. I forget how to pronounce her last name. I looked it up last time, but she's the one from, from covering the Dutch farmers from the ground, from the area, in fact. Our criminal government, she says, has announced yesterday, this is on the 6th, that they'll be speeding up the theft of our farmers' land. 500 to 600 farmers will now be forced to sell their land to the state in the next year. How in the world are you, are you forced to sell your land to the government? I mean, this goes back to, all, I, mean, this, I, I should be clear, that's always what they've done, whether we're talking about, um, what's the term they use in the U.S., eminent domain or any number of things, they, they find their ways to do it. But the fact that they could just force this in this context is really crazy. But, you know, it's, it's in line with everything else. The farmers have announced new protests, so stay tuned. You should follow her as well. Now here's Bill Gates talking about food god level, as she frames it, explaining how he will force farming and agriculture change on the world. Right. The guy who already failed in his efforts to improve food security in numerous locations. This is about Africa. But don't forget, India is the same way. What happened with the whole GMO experiment? Oh, it's weird. They don't talk about it anymore. You know why? Because they're more food scarce than they were before. And yet we're letting these same people play God with your bodies in, 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 in more specific ways. They did with this as well, understand. Here he is talking about this. It's great to have this uneducated person, this uneducated, you know, uneducated, unelected billionaire tell you about things that he probably doesn't know about, right? I mean, I, I, should, I mean, who knows? You, anybody can research things. And the point is, this guy is not a scientist. He's not a doctor. He's just rich. And yet here he is lecturing people on things that he's already proven that he failed at. 
Now, whether that was failure or just experimentation is irrelevant. But here we are letting it happen again. It's alarming. So just, just realize what they're talking about is controlling, influencing, whether we like it or not, apparently, what other countries are growing because it's better for the global, whatever they're pushing, right? That's what's the God, food God level. They're talking about manipulating these countries and what they grow. The point is, it's not your choice. You don't get to dictate what these places want to grow. And the, it, the problem is, look at what the United States is doing. It's unicropping everywhere. And you're destroying the soil when you do this. That's why these organic farmers understand about how you're supposed to rotate your crops to be able to bring these things back into the soil. But these people don't care because they're not even trying. They're trying to create a situation where we don't need these farmers anymore, that we need to grow things like I'll show you in a minute. Like I shouldn't like grow, I mean, but like manufacture mRNA meat and fake meat, milk and all the things they're doing. Don't forget, this is the guy who owns a gigantic portion of the farming of this country now because of COVID-19. Hard to miss that. Here she is again pointing out World Economic Forum and governments talking about four food hubs. The project will bankrupt small-scale farmers and producers, a system of global food production that's coming right off what Gates was just talking about, controlled by unelected elitists who will decide your future. As she said, stand with Dutch farmers, or this is the final destination. In the active food sector should be stimulated and able to create scalable uh, solutions. And here... I'd like to highlight a, a World Economic Forum initiative in this regard, the World Economic uh, Forum Food uh, Innovation Hubs. And these hubs in Africa, in Asia, in South America, and in Europe uh, will allow uh, businesses to connect regional stakeholders to skill innovation, because this is key, uh, skill innovation that can address food systems, challenge, food systems challenges. And here... Uh, I'm particularly proud to announce that the Netherlands will host the global coordinating secretariat. Of well, bottom line is they're talking about central hubs. So let's just think of central banks of food production and, and distribution, right? So however you look at it, there's control. Now you could take it to an extreme and say, well, okay, well, what are they going to do to the food? Maybe nothing. Maybe everything. Maybe they're already making it the way they want, or maybe they're going to be adding something. The point is, if they choose to, they have complete choke control of the flow from four locations, four major hubs of global food production and distribution. I mean, that's wildly concerning when there's plenty of people through history that point out the, the, the core point of control is food and distribution of it. I don't know why this doesn't scare people. You could argue they don't mean it now, but why would we allow this centralized control? History has shown you that this kind of centralized control always ends up getting abused, even if they don't mean to in the beginning. But you know what's very clear? They sure as hell mean to in the beginning. That's what I think. I think it's pretty clear. Well, the point of this is here's another food distribution center on fire. Weird how they're talking about building these four hubs and here we are with one after another. Now, I'm not saying I can prove that these are connected. It could just be that we point them out now. We've never seen it before. I, I don't think that, but who knows? The point is, it's pretty unprecedented. 
how many gigantic food distribution, food centers and food growing, all these areas are burning down and catching on fire and exploding and it's everywhere. This Ringus, this place we're pointing at, distributes 60% of the French food, not only across France, but the whole of Europe, weirdly on fire after, what was it, the 35th one we've seen? I'm not saying I know for sure, but that's pretty weird. Here's an interesting video. And this overlapped in my mind with the bio biomass discussion, or just simply, you know, you guess biomass specifically. TikToker exposes the truth behind garbage feeding. Basically, this is feeding garbage to pigs, and then we eat those pigs. Watch for yourself. TikToker exposed how plastics are getting into pig feed. Now, I should be clear, not just garbage, because pigs eat lots of stuff, but plastics and dangerous things that then could potentially translate into what you eat. Stuff like this. It says they fired me today for spreading this, basically for exposing this. Just put it here. Plastic and all. Don't even matter. Plastic, cardboard boxes, pallets, everything's grounded into this. Right here. Guys, that's biomass. That's what that is. I mean, other than like the pellet version of it, they're grinding up everything, plastics, everything, masks. Like you saw, there's, a, there's masks in that picture. The point is you're taking things that are supposed to be biohazards, grinding them up into a paste or whatever it is, and feeding that to animals that then people consume. I mean, what if there's some kind of weird mRNA vaccine overlap in there? Who knows? It's just trash. The point is, that's what he's concerned about. He says they send this stuff to be eaten by the pigs, and then we eat the pigs. They can leave the stuff off to be uh, eaten by the homes, and then the homes are killed, and then we can kill. I felt like I had to tell the world. Y'all believe me now. So, up the line. So, that big called the ground. The ground it out and turned into that. And then the hog eats it. This is what it looked like when it does. The practice of feeding retail food waste to animals is known as garbage feeding. This is an FDA fact sheet. It's legal in 27 states. Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. You know, occupied territories. But the legality of including packaging from food waste is less clear. A 2004 publication from the Association of American Feed Council. Where is it right there? Come on. Oh, from the from the Association of American Feed Control Officials. It includes plastics as a list of substances that are legally used in U.S. animal feed. Now, look, you can make an argument for why it might be important to make use of these things that are otherwise piling up in areas we don't want. But that's not the way you treat a problem. That's treating a symptom. If we want to stop the problem, you stop producing the garbage, right? You stop the overusing plastic. But this is the same point as before. You, address, you attack organic farmers instead of the people actually causing the problem. So in this case, the problem is not finding a place for it. The problem is stopping the use and the overuse of how dangerous and problematic these things are. But it all falls back to the overuse of oil. That's the same reason. These are oil, that's oil-based petroleum products, like our pharmaceuticals and everything else in the sun, it seems. And that's the pro- and that's the point. And that's they have no interest in going away from that, despite the argument. That's why the UK, as I keep pointing out, has made oil and gas green under the ESG direction. Only for them, though, not you. But this is dangerous. 
I told you guys. In America. So let's look down here. What does it say? Plastic. Plastic, plastic, plastic. I told you. Okay, let's look a little more. What does it say? Other metal compounds. Restaurant food waste. Contaminated, adulterated food. For those of you who don't know what that means, that's horrible. You know what blows me away, guys? That he missed by far the most important part. You see what it says right there? Antibiotics, byproducts of drug manufacture, other medical components, minerals, vitamins. My God, that's that's the story, guys. They're literally allowing antibiotics, medical treat, medical byproducts of pharmaceutical drug manufacture, vitamins, and other things inside the feed they give to pigs. They then allow to be fed to you. My God, that's crazy. So it says that there's a ruling that says they're not allowed to use these in certain feed, but they do anyway. See, this isn't the point as always, right? That he's showing he's showing people and they just go, No, 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 that's this. Oh, okay, so you're ignoring what you're looking at and pretending and you're just feeding me the narrative you're supposed to say, right? No, 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 that's they're safe and effective. <laughs> that's what's happening. The reality is they're doing things you're not supposed to. And nobody seems to care because we're apparently in the Wild West at this moment about all sorts of things where it's rampant lawlessness across the board. And all they want to do is enforce on the average people and not the corporations that are overlapping with the government today. That's crazy. Welcome to your antibiotic-riddled, pharmaceutical drug-riddled food products being pumped out by the government. Good times. Now, this is the human biomass now reality point that shows you that they're already using, it's already happening where they're burning bodies in crematoriums, and this is specifically in Bath, England, in a couple other locations, and using that as energy. That, it, that's human biomass. And it's what I predicted before that when he first brought this up, and let alone, you show, you, big surprise, that's already being discussed. But the point is the overlap of how they can use these things for other food sources. And I just think that's a very interesting point to make. As again, the first, the first major evaluation of Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's controversial efforts to expand capital-intensive high-input agriculture in Africa found, shockingly, the 15-year effort has failed to achieve its goals of improving food security, which means it either stayed the same or got worse, just like in India. And yet, here we are letting them do it with genetic manipulation for injections and everything else. It's all genetically modified organisms with the same problem. These are the same people. Here he is again. We need more money for seed innovation. So we're doing it all over again, apparently. Oh, great. They're not just food, but smart climate crops, right? That sounds exactly what everybody's asking for, right?
had the great success of the Green Revolution uh, huh. in the 1970s, where India in particular, uh, when they were able to get fertilizer with the new wheat, the new rice, the new maize, uh, uh, defied expectations of food shortage and actually raised calories per person because of this productivity. So that, you know, it's a miracle. Uh, some foundations at that time, Ford, Rockefeller, were partly involved in funding the war laws. We need to do that again, but this time we know that sometimes fertilizer can cause negative effects. We know we need to get to the smaller farmers. We need to think about ecosystems that are unique. Uh, I mean, it's, just, it's incredible that we're letting these people speak on these topics. You failed repeatedly, and you're talking about seed innovation? Right, the, the group overlapping with genetically modified organisms, the Monsanto direction, the Terminator seeds, all this stuff that's very clearly re I've proven this, by the way, despite their dismissing it. Even Monsanto's own statements say that they did do this, just was never used. The point is they created stuff. They, I mean, the Food Inc. Document, documentary proves this. That you have people having these seeds blown over to their fields, and they get patented, and they, get, they lose their farm. And the point is that these are manipulated, genetically modified organisms, and they, you have to buy seed from Monsanto every year. This, these are the people we want to control the future. They're controlling the food supply. These, these people are the problem. It, I mean, just no way around it. And here's what they're trying to create. mRNA meat is on the way. Look at this. A vaccine burger. That's the joke, obviously. But this is not a joke in regard to what's actually happening. mRNA vaccination of animals expected to begin by the end of the year. Right? So now we're going to have animals with mRNA. It's just like the idea of the blood crossover. There is an issue here. As we just talked about in the context of, of the other, uh, where was it? In this, in general, the idea that these things are in the animal, the mRNA specifically is a provable point, right? This is something that can be transferred and, and nobody seems to care about this. Or how about the fact, the fact that we're talking about vaccinating them, which could mean spike proteins as well. No big deal though. But here's another example. Would you eat milk and meat made in a lab? Of land created in the laboratory. I've been vegetarian and vegan for nearly 30 years, like thousands and thousands of tons of meat. Right. And so here's our point, guy. This is what they're driving you into. Now, I think I'm going to wrap it here. I'm going to rapidly go through some of these last points. Now, one of the main points I wanted to get to is here's a positive, right? Here is what's happening in Maine. And I'm so adamant about how important this direction is. October 2nd, right to food. It says, in the U.S., runaway inflation and out-of-sight food prices seem to be a new uncomfortable norm. And I, I mean, that's just because they're driving that into reality, but that's what's happening. But Maine, the state in the United States, the first state to embed in its constitution what they're calling the right to food. Now, I was a little concerned with the way they were framing it, but listen to what they described this as. Pamela Young says, quote, I think we should encourage people to grow their own food and have lots of homesteaders. Right, exactly the opposite of where I thought this was going. And I think we can thrive together and take care of each other in small farms and small homesteads rather than these big corporate farms. Thank God. This is my point about how local, even maybe state level, you can find people that are actually fighting for you. That's why I think the lower you go, the elections and the and the process there has more effect. From a presidential, state congress, or you know, congressional level, I do not think your vote matters. We'll get into that more as we get closer to the fake elections coming up. She supports the recent right to food amendment to the state constitution. It declares that everyone has a right to produce and consume food of their own choosing for their own health. Love it. It, pa it passed 
with bipartisan support in Maine's legislature and 61% of the vote. Supporters say federal policies and corporate ownership of farms, processors, and food in general could make it harder for people to produce and buy what can be harvested locally. I love it. I mean, I'm just I'm so glad to see something happening like this where people, even from a government level, are seeing the problem. Now, I want to reiterate this again. I hope you'll read the entire article. I wrote this actually long before this, I believe. It was, I said this last time. I, I'm pretty sure I wrote this before 2016. I usually put a marker in there when I republish it, but I don't see it. But let's just say October 10th, 2016. Ending food waste can solve world hunger, and it's where France was taking a direction in, in the right direction. But the main point is the, the misunderstanding about the reality of the food supply. This is easily provable today as well. And it's only got, I mean, it was, it's got to be slightly different. It has to be because things have changed since 2016, but it's still the same point. The world already produces more than one and a half times enough food to feed everyone on the planet. That's enough to feed 10 billion people. We're still not there. The population peak expected by 2050. Currently, one third of the food produced worldwide ends up in the trash every year for a variety of reasons. The United States is by far the worst, with about 60 tons of food wasted annually. This means that world hunger could literally be solved by simply utilizing the 33% of the world's food that is wasted. Now, I think I accidentally said that it was the U.S. that was the way enough to feed the world. At the time, I meant the context of the world, but the United States being the worst. This is my point to before about speaking off the cuff and mistakenly, you know, making that, you know, and being framed as fake, whatever. The point is we have a right to be wrong and I make mistakes like anybody. But the point is, this is the truth. And the reason this stuff is thrown away is for a variety of ridiculous reasons. One of the most insulting of which is that they're not perfectly shaped or colored. We've been conditioned to see this perfect display. And the problem is they throw away misshapen food and then dump bleach on it so poor people can't eat it. That's the real thing. Despite the fact that there's been legal precedent to show that they're not legally accountable for food that they give to people via donation. Yet, it still doesn't happen. That's coordination there, in my opinion. But the main point is, currently Americans waste almost 40% of their food. This was 2016. I'm sure it's worse than that today. That's $165 billion worth every year. About 20 pounds per person every month. This wasted Yet perfectly edible food could fill 730 football stadiums. The percentage of waste has increased by about 50% since 1974. In a time when California, at the time and still probably today, is struggling with its own resources, throwing away usable product is a negligent waste of the state's labor and natural resources that went into its production, such as water. This gravely needed sustenance then rots in landfills. Now think about that context in the water problem in California. If you weren't throwing away that much food every year, you might save that water. The bottom line is, guys, we're misled about the reality of the food problem. So people like Bill Gates can stand there and tell you we need to change everything for the interest of our own agenda. They know this information. But here he is. Right? Food innovation. Uh, the projection uh, just for 2030 uh, is 32 million more hungry people. Uh, right, okay, so again, right out of the gate, we're lying. Right? So seeing as how we right now have the means to just utilize what we don't use instead of throwing it away, and this is every store will tell you, every distribution company will tell you this stuff, yet we're just taking that standing and arguing that's why we... So we're going to radicalize everything to change something in a direction that we don't need because of an argument that is ignoring the current reality. So instead of fixing the problem, we build a new system. 
Now the question is, is that system better? Or is it just better for them? Most of that is going to be women and children. When you have food shortages, they're the ones who suffer most. And we see that in the relative rates of, of malnutrition. Now, just again, it's your time. I'm going to go ahead and wait. But the, the point here, guys, is that at the end of the day, these people starving in these countries are, by and large, not because we just don't have the food. That's really a stupid argument when we think about it. It's because of colonialism. It's because these countries have been raped and pillaged for decades, long before the U.S. government was in existence, and they're still doing it today. I mean, it's very transparent. And then, and then when we want to go in there and alter them the ways that we want to think are more palatable to our perception and our styles of life, and it's just, it, it's just insulting. We need to be able to realize that today. And the problem is that we, again, even if you take the money aspect, the U.N. makes it clear that $30 billion a year. This was a while ago as well. I'm sure it's a little more than that now. That's just $30 billion a year. It could end world hunger. That's all you need. And yet we spend over a trillion just on war. Now, I'm not arguing the government or any people the government should be obligated to put up that bill. But if you are arguing that we need to revolutionize everything to change and fit this problem, well, you're lying because you know that you could take the money you spend to manipulate these countries for the new direction, and that alone would solve the problem you're pretending is there or that is there because of your actions. But it's this simple. It really is. But this is why they want to change it. How John Deere plans to build a world of fully autonomous farming by 2030. That's the point. And meanwhile, we have people that are owning these farms that are being attacked that have a lot of very nefarious things happening. Like we see things burning down. Well, here's a farm owner who recorded an unidentified drone spraying his crops without his permission. Yeah, that's happening. So this is happening. His ring. And it's not at the owner's request that that's made. I hate to think it works, but definitely worried it's wow. What does that mean? Right. Maybe you could argue there's an explain, explanation out there, but it's, not, it's his farm. And it's not his. He didn't ask for that. So who could it possibly be? And I think ultimately the way I want to finish this today, just since I'm, I'm my expression Sierra here wants to get going as well. <laughs> we're watching a complete collapse of the energy industry as well. As we can see here, tensions increasing in France and the fuel crisis continues. People are fighting at the petrol stations. They're turning you against each other. And here, oh, here, by the way, here's another example. This is a, a Europe's largest refinery hit by a malfunction. Suddenly, 60% of its refining capacity is stopped. Weird overlap, right? It's hard not to see the coordination here. Now, this stuff is stuff you've seen before. Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari telling you that what they're doing right now, despite them blaming it on Putin, will cause an issue with employment except they just don't want to blame it on themselves, even though they're telling you this would happen. I unfortunately a lot of employment. Uh, just think of uh, self-guided cars uh, um, and all the pilots losing their jobs. Let's look at the bank employees and so on. If you're left behind, you're facing something far worse, which is completely irrelevant. 
they won't even need you as a serve or as a slave. <laughs> Direct brain computer interfaces, replacing uh, organic hands with bionic hands, uh, are adding to the body a second immune system, which is not organic, but an inorganic immune system, uh, made up of millions of tiny, rob tiny nanorobots inside your body. Does that sound familiar, guys? Right, those that didn't stick around for the second part might be missing that connection right there, right? That's exactly what we were just talking about. That's what they already are built. Virus mimicking nanoparticles from 2011 that then translates into the injections and adding proteins and spike proteins, right? This is what we're talking about. Now, the question then is, is that already what happened? Is that why their immune systems are collapsing because they failed in that effort? I don't know why we would talk at asking these questions. Here he is making the same argument dismissing job losses as inevitability. Except right now when they pointed all the problems, it's because Putin, not because of our transition to what we decided is best for everyone. And even though I don't think that's what they actually think, what they say. Revolution and job destroyer, by job creator. It is uh, certainly a short-term uh, job destroyer. Um, well, that's quite interesting, isn't it? And we're talking about the Great Reset, right? So you're hurting people with the argument that it will get better, even though... That's not defined, and we didn't vote for this. So why do we allow that? Because guess what? You'll own nothing, and you'll be happy, right? And this is the direction they've always been pushing. That's this clip, I'll include that for you to watch. They, they're building that reality. It's not secret. They want that to be the case. And what they're doing is transitioning you into this very quickly. Here's the Bank of England from August 12th. There are only 50 days left to use your paper 20s, 50 notes. Did you guys know that was happening? They're already transitioning and phasing out paper money at least in the Bank of England. This is rapidly happening. Look at that, trending. Paul Schwab. Guys, it's peeking through. Now, the point is that they're transitioning this into a smart reality for social credit. Now, here, Smart City Sunderland deleted their tweet about the idea of better point. This is, has better points, an app that tracks your travel movements via GPS using your smartphone and rewards you with points for using more sustainable modes of transport. Well, it can be extremes like rewards. And they deleted it. The council was rolling out a social credit score for travel. First carrot and stick. But they deleted it. But here's one that wasn't deleted. Here's one that they're happy with, apparently. The Italian city of Bologna is piloting a social credit system. This is all happening in real time, guys. This is from the Forum for Democracy. Look at what it's doing. This is the video they put out. The Italian city of Bologna is piloting a social credit system, the first of its kind in Europe. The municipal government is introducing a smart citizen wallet, rewarding digital points for citizens who demonstrate virtuous behavior. Disturbingly, actions related to one's carbon footprint are central to what's considered rewardable virtuous behavior. Because use is still voluntary, this social credit system isn't yet as all-encompassing as the one that exists in China. Rather than penalizing citizens for not behaving virtuously, as defined by the government, citizens will only be rewarded. The government hopes that this distinction, treating the social credit score more like a reward card, will increase the adoption among Italian citizens. While usage remains voluntary, it is definitely a slippery slope. Overall, the success, failure, and rate of acceptance of Bologna's soft social credit system could have profound consequences for the rest of Italy and maybe look back on as the moment Europe began crossing the Rubicon. Failure and rate of acceptance of Bologna's soft... The super green pass. Look at that. 
No, we didn't call it the Green Pass for Israel. No, there's no overlap, right? They're all lying to you. I mean, this is plainly out. Remember when the social credit system was fake news, conspiracy theory in itself? Well, here we are. Well, does this overlap with digital IDs and passports? Of course it does. That's the way it works. And of course it starts, as I keep telling you, with the benefit, right? First, you're rewarded for using it. Then you go to the back of the line if you don't. Then you get penalized for hurting everybody by not playing the game. That's how this works, just like with the injections. Right? This is real time. We are watching social credit roll out around the world as they just moments ago were screaming about how totalitarian China was going to kill everybody. But that's the point. But here is China as well. Continuing to expand its same point, enforcing social credit. Authorities have installed surveillance cameras outside the doors of stores to check if you're scanning your QR codes. Yeah. If we go down, if we might find the same. There we go. Health code here. Camera here. All right. This, this is the world that's being built around you. In fact, it's already there. You just don't see it, most likely. And here we already have in Australia putting chips in your hand that unlock things around the house. Here's somebody, the Metro Detroit man gets a chip implanted, doing his key to his Tesla. Some of these aren't incredibly new, but this is the point already happening. People are already going in this direction. It's a slippery slope, guys. And as Gates doubles down on digital IDs, critical warn, critic warns of gravest technological threat to liberty. They're all pushing aggressively the digital ID direction. Here's Kim Bexby pointing out published documents prove the Trudeau government have $105.3 million contract with the World Economic Forum to develop its known traveler digital ID program. It's happening right now, rapidly. Here's Bernie Sweets pointing out this is what the Green Pass vaccine passport is really about. Their vision is nearly complete. The state will control you because the state will own you. Digital identity is here. The future is now. The certificate back in April. Unfortunately, it was adopted nonetheless. And this just goes to show there's only a minority of MEPs who truly stand for European values. The majority of MEPs, for whatever reasons unbeknown to me, obviously support oppression of the people while claiming shamelessly to do it for the people's own good. But it is not the goal that renders a system oppressive. It is always the methods by which the goal is pursuit. Whenever a government claims to have the people's interests at heart, you need to think again. In the entire history of mankind, there has never been a political elite sincerely concerned about the well-being of regular people. What makes any of us think that it is different now? I agree. And this is the world they're driving us into rapidly. And as Solidarity points out, solidarity, the nightmare isn't over yet. Digital IDs are going forward. This is Ontario, right? It's all on the day. It's up front. My Alberta digital IDs, secure way to verify who you are. Like, it's funny how this was all rationalized by COVID, but now it's not even mentioned, right? It's well because of climate change or because of your crazy political beliefs, right? It doesn't even matter. They don't, it, this shows you that it was never really about what they said it was about. This is, again, Harari pointing out, if you have a, a, enough data on someone and enough computer power, you can hack that person and you can completely manipulate them. As Bernie Sweet points out, don't trade convenience for freedom. Digital ID and central bank digital currencies are the road to enslavement. And here, probably the point I'll end on here, groundbreaking swift innovation. Derek shared with me today. Paves way for global use 
of central bank digital currencies and tokenized assets. There you go. They're already rapidly driving this in under a guise that it's best for you. In reality, it's best for their control over you. And this is a point. This is really interesting, by the way. A man discreetly places a card skimmer at a convenience store. Now, you won't even see it happen. It happens so fast. He pulls it out of his... Right there. Barely, barely noticeable, right? To quickly jump to the point. This is what it looks like. Check this out. Look at that. The guy comes into a store, places the thing over the card skimmer that it still works, still functions. You still pay, you still walk away, they still get their money. But guess what also happens? They skim all your information and then they have your, your, still your identity, right? Guess what? Can't do that with cash. There's your point. Continually acting like this direction is safer is an illusion. And I think that's pretty obvious. Now, I was going to play this, but it's going to take a while. It was like long. It's a great clip. They, they give me a, a shout-out when it comes to PayPal, but the point was how this direction is going to be used to manipulate you financially, and PayPal is just one of many examples of it. But here, I think, is, I guess I'm finished. <laughs> I'm rapidly going through it. The point is, we already see this happening. This is actually an old story, and I think that's why Igor Cummings deleted it, his tweet, because he says October 7th, they're here. But this is, it's, not, it's still relevant. In Argentina, you are no longer allowed to enter or withdraw money at the ATM from your bank account if you're not vaccinated, right? And this was a clip, it is real, but it's just, it's not real, it's, it's actually from 2021 at the end, so it's still pretty new, but the point is, mandates ban unvaccinated people from visiting banks in multiple countries, one of them was Argentina. The point is, it's already happening. You're already being dictated, I mean, we saw it happen in Canada, we saw it happen all over the place, right? So it's real. And as he points out, the TV could be monitoring you and knowing whether you are angry or not just by analyzing the cues, the biological cues from your body, like they're driving you in this direction for very clear manipulative points. And using your money, your control of your life, drive you in this because it even it enters into a situation where you're in more control, or rather they, you're under more control from these kind of technocrats. Now, I'm going to come back to this point. I don't want to get into explaining it's very weird. But the, the happy point here, I think, to end on, not only just the food point, but con I mean, of, uh, uh, of Islamabad. Yeah, okay, just making sure. It, it will lead one million people to protest corrupt government and a country on its economic means. And she says, remember, Bernie tweets again, big shout out there, doing great work. The government has stated every single person supporting him because of his resistance to all this will have their bank accounts frozen through their digital IDs, but one million people stand at the protest this regardless. Now see, they want you to think that they're con specifically the people in this movement or anybody out there challenging what's happening out to be a wild, dangerous conspiracy theorist. The point is the people do not want what they're selling. And it's as clear as day. That's why you see things like this. They don't want you to notice this. And I'm going to end today with a clip from George Carlin. Because again, I feel like he was far, far, far ahead of his time. I mean, we, I think anybody aware of what he was saying at the time was aware of that. But it's a great clip that shows you when he's not joking. Like as much as his jokes ultimately weren't jokes, right? But the point is that he's on a show, it's actually Bill Maher, I believe. And he is he's being very real about what he's saying. And he outlines exactly what we're seeing today. Look at that four and a half hours. That might be the longest show we've done. I can keep going now. I'm, just, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> 
But I had to get all this out, and I wanted to get it out today because I've been backing all this stuff up. Something about the way I just can't, it sticks in my mind, and I feel like I'm failing if I'm not at least relaying information. As much as I know the longer ones, like especially this long, get less reach. I get that. So help me spread it. Make the clips, spread it out. Do your best to clip these up. Uh, T-Lab Clips, I believe. I might be forgetting the name of the, the, the Twitter account. Somebody that follows the platform that just started doing it of their own volition, and I appreciate it. I'll share it. I'll clip it. You know, uh, right now, as far as Star and Brock are the only ones like unofficially making clips that we talk about, but I'll support anybody out there that wants to make clips and share it and get the workout. I really will. That's important. But I'll end with this clip. I, I just didn't think this is exactly. I think people are starting to become more aware than ever that he was right then and he's right now. But thank you all for being here and those that stuck it through to the end. Four and a half hours. That's a, that's a great, a long show. I really appreciate you being here. Help me spread this. Help me clip it. Keep fighting, guys. Oh, and by the way, as a, and make sure you continue to follow us on our platforms, on the, especially the lastamericanvagabond.com, but follow us on Parler because I'm going to continue to try to make more tweet, uh, more par- parlays, I guess, and, and effort on that platform specifically. But I also want to give a shout out since I'm talking with them as well and in, in, in continuing to check out the Last American Vagabond on Sovereign, another platform that doesn't get enough attention. But anywhere else we're doing that work, but I, I keep making the point on Parler because we're going to try to make more engagement on that platform. But as always, be critical of all of them and every, every platform that claims their free speech and hold them to that account. It's important, as I will do myself. But thank you for being here. I love you all, as always. Question everything. Come to your own conclusion. David. One thing, you have because to give them credit. They're out in the open the now. They're out in the open now. They're not even trying to conceal it anymore. The owners of the country have, t- they bought their elect, got their election. They said, we're going to get this election. We put you people in that court for a reason. Right, Now's back the time to, to pay earth us. for you and now. Yeah, forget all that stupid. <laughs> will you? Hey, uh, you they're out in the open. They're open. No They're openly driving the bus, and we're all in the back. There is no. There is no national conspiracy to buy elections and control America. Now that, talk about back to earth. Conspiracy, but you don't need a formal conspiracy. Right. When interests converge, these people went to the same universities and fraternities. They're on the same boards of directors. They're in the same country clubs. They have like interests. They don't need to call a meeting. They know what's good for them. It's a they're getting it. And there, there used to be this- seven oil companies. There are now three. It will soon Ooh. be two. The things that matter in this country have been reduced in choice. There are two political parties. There are a handful of insurance companies. There are about six or seven inf- information things. But if you want a bagel, there are 23 flavors because you have the illusion. You have the illusion of choice. Right. You don't get the real important choice. There's no exactly. freedom of choice.